We at Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So thanks go to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Christina Armstrong, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Grant Leedy, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichard, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Bjork, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., and Tim Lindner. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encouraged, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to everyone's favorite live talk show. This week, we're going to be talking about getting back into the cocoa hobby. Are you new to the hobby? Well, let's tell you what you need to know. Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome here to Coco Talk, episode 164. Everybody's favorite talk show featuring the Tandy Color computer. We've got a great panel. We've got a great topic. We've got news. We've got game on. We've got surprises. We've got dancing girls. Wait, maybe not dancing girls. But we do have beauty on the panel. We absolutely have beauty on the panel. We typically gather some of the most beautiful men in the world of retro each and every week. And one of the men in particular has been making a lot of us jealous with his luxurious hair. You guys have been seeing Nick Morota lately and how gorgeous his hair has been. I know we're all jealous. Now, this, um, just I, I don't want to say anything special, but here's a little something that was submitted to us by a fan of Nick Morota's hair. Take a look at this, boys oh, and girls. No. Oops, hold on. There it is. Wait oh. a second. Wait okay. a second. No. no God dang no. it. Hold on. My screw up. My screw up. Hold I on. I love second. surprises. This is this is a good this is I'm a good surprise. This. That was a surprise. This is a this hey. is a surprise. It is. Okay. Are you ready? Let me re, let me reshare my screen because I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you after. I, I, did, I didn't want you guys to see this. All right. So to to celebrate Nick Morota's luxurious hair, this is a fan submitted contribution to the show. Take a look at this, boys and girls. Oh my goodness. 
Here we go. From the cover of Tiger Beat Magazine, <laughs> it is none other than... <laughs> All right. So Nick. That is awesome. Oh, Nick, man. your hair's been looking great. Oh, Nick, it says here it says here that this is going to cover Nick's biggest heartbreak. So Nick, uh, let your fans know what what exactly is your biggest heartbreak? Oh boy, let me see. Well, uh, there, there was Taylor Swift. You know the song about me. Um, you know, just didn't work. All right, all right. So Nick, we're all jealous of your of your flowing locks, your Fabio. Your Fabio-esque hair that you you got going on there. So and those shades. Uh, Thank you to whoever did that. Yeah. I, have yes. no idea. I I don't know if that person wants to remain anonymous, but uh, <laughs> Rob Inman says, "What was Nick's scariest moment?" Uh, <laughs> um, well, thirty seconds ago, when I was trying to see what the surprise is going to be. <laughs> uh, so um, on the panel today, we have our resident Apple guy, Mark D. Overholzer. Welcome, Mark. Howdy, glad to be here. We have from sunny Arizona. He likes to have lunch with people. It's Ron Neville. How's it going? Oh, oh, we've got a guy from Australia who likes to say, Oh, Rocky. It's none other than David O'Connor. Good day, David. Crocky, would you look at the size of that croc? Look at that croc. <laughs> look at the we size have... of that cocoa. That's what a it. <laughs> we have from the Great White North, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome. Hey, that's a pretty big croc, eh? Hey, it's a beauty, eh? <laughs> take, take off with the size of that croc, eh? We've got uh, one of the, uh, the, the probably the person who owns the most Calor computers in the entire country of Uruguay. We have Diego with us. Hello, Diego. You might be muted. Yeah, I am. It's just I was trying to keep the crocs away from here. There we go. <laughs> and the man whose name is so nice, we must say it thrice. It's Nick Maroda. Nick Maroda. Nick Maroda. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. All right. I think we have to call him the man with the hair now. The man with, with the, the hair. Mane. The golden mane. <laughs> Rick Eulens here, a guy who's keeping ZZ Top beard alive and well. ZZ Top, I should say. Hey, Rick. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Happy as Someone's always to be here. Our backup streamer, engineer, and just all-around well-dressed dude, Mark Bosley's here. Oh, hey, I think Mark. Nick's biggest um, heartbreak is when his Coco 2 wouldn't turn on. <laughs> oh, that <was> <laughs> yes, that was definitely up there. The guy who knows the ins and outs of eBay and makes us all jealous, Brian Weasler's here. Welcome, Brian. Hello. Got a piece of uh, essential cocoa gear that everybody ah, has. So. I'm a coconut mug. There we go. <laughs> From the Glenside Color Computer Club, somewhere in the Illinois proper area, area it is Brian, the music man, Shoebring. Welcome, Brian. <laughs> Hello, everybody. That's right. The production, <laughs> lozenge? The production <laughs> value on this show. He knows the way to San Jose. It is Michael Furman. Mikey, how are you doing? I'm I'm scared. I'm scared of that guy over there. Okay, he is. And uh, uh, I think we have uh, Crocs the size and shape of cable cars. Crocs the size of cable cars. Crikey, Crikey. to that. Yes. Oh, San Francisco Crikey. treat. 
<laughs> we got a guy best known for saying... Stop right there. Jason, the Coco Man Riker is here. Welcome, Jason. Howdy, howdy. Uh, from the uh, Indiana Toll Road, and I'm going to attempt a Coco Talk first today. I'm going to be on Coco Talk in two different time zones. Crikey. Wow. Wow. So we'll see you in an hour. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere inside. I, I believe this is the bunker at the end of um, Terminator 3 when John Connor was sent down there to survive the apocalypse. Alan Murphy's hanging out from Technology Bunker. How you doing there, Alan? Howdy, howdy. Doing all right. Hope everybody else is too. All right. Speaking of saying... Oh, Rocky. From down under, it's the Thunder, Nicholas Morantes. Good day, Nick. Good day, everyone, from the uh, underside of the world. That's <laughs> the underbelly of the world. The world's undercarriage. <laughs> world's undercarriage. <laughs> Have you greased your undercarriage lately? Um, and last but certainly not least, the guy who knows a thing or two about the MC10, it is James Diffendaffer. Welcome to the program, James. Oh, it's good to be here. Since David Ladd wasn't here, I was thinking of doing my best creepy david ladd impression but well, let's I just hear it can't get up let's the hear it let's hear it come on oh i'm so excited to be here we have a great all right i can't go on all I right well and, and <laughs> so i'll fight the game on challenge that doesn't have enough energy i just well, don't <laughs> everybody's sending your best david ladd impressions it'll be a game on challenge yes he's not he's not here but let's let's give a warm welcome to david ladd yes and so, since i have the hairdo i'll try the impression now hold on is hey, everybody be here excited today. about being here today? I think we're going to have a great show. I don't know about you, but my weasel is greased, and I'm ready to get out my floppy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Uh, what if I start? <laughs> weasel is greased. <laughs> oh, I think we're going to need a And you can tell it, Steve, he's really committed to this. He got the haircut. I got the haircut. I, I'm drinking my Diet Dr. Pepper. He's so a method <laughs> uh, I, 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 got, I got my diet, Dr. Pepper, but I didn't water it down. That's oh, the problem. You're if only, anyone wondered if this was going to be a dumpster Jeez, fire, now you know. Uh, <laughs> and in the first 15 minutes, too. Oh, <laughs> why did the show go four hours? I wonder. Yeah. yeah. And we've got... Four uh, hours of these? <laughs> we've got people watching us live, and to you out there, we say, we're sorry. But in the live chat, we've got Rob Eanman and Mark Overholzer and Curtis Boyle and Nimble is out there and Al Hartman from Jersey and Kevin okay. Holloway and uh, Mark B and Rob Inman and Frodo NL from the, uh, what is that? Where is NL? The Netherlands, right. Yes, yes, Not yes. Sweden. Not Sweden. <laughs> Tim Lindner is out there. Frodo, Mr. James, different after James Jones says, whew, I just got here during the intro. Mikey is here. Ken Reichert is here. David Croker is here with his, uh, hopefully the family's watching. This is a family show. Daddy, why did he say F-balls? Um, Al Hartman's here. Kevin Holloway. Frodo, uh, thanks for being here, guys. <laughs> we are live. We are on the air. It's a family show. Uh, we, got, we have uh, a great topic today since it seems like more and more people are coming into the 
the cocoa community and getting back into cocoa collecting and back into the cocoa hobby, we thought we would call today's show Back to the Cocoa, and we'll all chime in on um, if, if you're getting back into the cocoa hobby, what are some things you should know, right? So that'll be our uh, main topic of discussion. Jim Rye is here. He says, and he's not wearing pants. All right, thanks for sharing there, Jim. So we've got a jam-packed show. We've got game on results. We've got a new game to reveal. We've got a nice, juicy meaty bone topic to to chew on in the in the last the last segment of the show today so lots to talk about so why don't we go ahead and kick it off since this is a serious show a soulful show with serious discussions we're going to get in some important news with l curtis boyle so we can't do anything without having a professionally produced piece because this is a professional show too so get ready for news with l curtis boyle everybody from around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with L. Curtis Boyle. A Muppet News Flash. L. Curtis Boyle, what is new in the world of news this week? Oh, there's actually a fair bit, so that's kind of cool this week. More than I was expecting. And I was even scrambling to add some stuff in this morning, so... Let me get this set up. Can you guys see that? Certainly we can. can see it. Yeah, it's an arm error. Oh, yeah. it's meditating. Um, saying, um, yes. um, yeah. We see um, a CMA with a resisting. door. Um, yeah, yeah. CMA with a door. That's, yes. the, that's the real news here. <laughs> Resistance is futile. <laughs> it's the own. Um this error. just in. A CMA with a door. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, uh, TJB Chris on YouTube, who's Christopher Heiser in, in chat, and he's also in Discord. He's done a couple of pretty good technical uh, videos in the last few months that we've discussed. So in this one, he talks about replacing the image that appears when you hit the Control-Alt-Reset on the Coco 3, which, of course, brings up the one known as famously as the Three Mugateers, which is three micware employees that worked on the Coco 3 ROMs and on OS 9. So he goes through and how to replace it here, and, of course, he... Uh, Picks a pretty, you know, cool logo to put in there. Tandy Rules, C64, or Commodore Drools. Tandy Rules, Rules, Commodore Drools. <laughs> All right. So he makes that, just as he explains it, because it's a standard P-Mode 4, you know, two-color picture, and then he goes through with his, you know, EEPROM burner and stuff and explains how to do all the transfers and burn it on the ROM. And eventually, when you reboot your Coco... Control Alt F1. There it is. Tandy rules. C64 rules. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's so cool. P Mord 4 resolution and colors. 256 by 192. Oh, two monochrome. colors. Monochrome. Yeah. This isn't yeah. even the final one. The, it's it's a uh, blue. Mm. Yeah. The when you it, actually do the the Tandy ROM, that's what it defaults to. It sets the palette. So you put <laughs> one of his design. earlier ones. Okay. <laughs> well, he's a graphic designer, apparently. Commodore's, uh, yeah, he must have used his uh, pad. <laughs> oh, that's an early prototype. Anyway, all kidding aside, it's a pretty good technical article on how to, to reburn ROMs on your Coco 3 and how to replace the picture. I know Paul Barton posted one where he has a picture of Homer Simpson that he's had in his for years and years yeah. and years. I'm sure Ron's seen it. Mm-hmm. And, so it's uh, a great custom. business opportunity for someone with a prom burner. Yeah. yeah. It's, the, Go ahead. What was it? Thirty-two k of leftover space ahead on the ROM or something? Or well, this is a six k picture, but uh, and it depends so on how you the- layer it on. I mean, there's there's parts of basic because of the uh, the copywriting with Microsoft and Microsoft refused to give them 
access to the code or let them have the rights to the code that uh, Mike Reddy did this you know, patchwork thing of, you know, taking the original ROM image from Microsoft and then patching it live while it's booting to, to get it to run in the Cocoa 3. So I, I, one so the interesting thing I found out afterwards, though, is that Chris actually got in a bit of trouble from some of the Commodore folks that thought that this is in poor taste, et cetera, and, you know, the wars are over, et cetera. Hey, Curtis, Ken can make it ask, can you use that space for something useful instead? Yes, that's <laughs> what ADOS 3 Extended does. You put your okay. name and stuff in there. <laughs> so that's, for security, um, that's security not purposes. Useful. For security so purposes. Do, someone steals so that? I don't know. <laughs> so to put in the custom image, you've got to burn a custom ROM with it, yeah? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. He shows the whole thing I, in the video. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm not going to play I'd the like video. I'd like to point out that uh, Tandy's patch job here is much more elegant than Commodore's. Well, here's a great big list of pokes to enhance Microsoft's basic. <laughs> Just type 10,000 of these and you'll have graphics. <laughs> hey, Mike Miller on Facebook says you could uh, make it for an OS 9 boot track. Uh, in that yeah, area you could. I think our Boise, uh, his Coyota project, when he burned uh, the ROMs on the Coco Two and had it boot up straight into OS Nine Level One, and was kind of along that line. Okay. And some other people have been experimenting with that lately too. I've seen on the on the groups. Okay. Anyway, it's, cool. a, it's a very interesting one. If you guys have an EEPROM burner or the interest in doing that type of stuff, um, this is a complete. Yeah, matter of fact, do I don't it, know so. if you have this in your news articles too, but Ron Delvo had showed a picture of his family from a long time ago, and I was like, man, that'd be yeah. cool if you digitized that and made that your reboot screen too, like a family picture on your Coco. Yeah, it lent yeah. itself very well to that, you know. So yeah, I mean, personally, here my family picture would be my Coco One and then my Coco Three and my TC Nine, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Retro Innovation says, okay, enough. With the Commodore bashing. By the way, Retro Innovations. Hey, you said Commodore. Hey, you didn't guy. read the whole Somebody thing. Call security. Um, <laughs> it's enough of the Commodore bashing, or we'll start talking about how exciting sounds are on the Coco. <laughs> that, that second part was important. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> He'll uh, dish it right back. Mm hmm. All right. What would Simon put on there is what Ken Reichert's saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Todd Wallace, a.k.a. Lord Dragon. Yes, uh, he released a, a video and the software images that go along with it showing his new OPL CCT player for Nitrous 9 that works with the OPL 3 chip that's in the Mega Mini MPI, and it's also in one of the boards that Ed Snyder sells. And he's using his uh, IBM CJ fonts as running the graphics mode, so I'll just play a little bit of it here. It's a fairly lengthy one, but just to give you guys a feel what it sounds hey like. Hey, guys. So I was thinking one of the more underappreciated uh, modern Coco accessories... I'll be skipping because I know we're this Coco is showing what chip Ed's tunes. Looks like. I copied these files over from the their normal. It works. Sound blaster. Yeah, basically it's the same chip as Sound Blaster. Used. So I'm basically doing my best to interpret because um, this is Coco ASCII in the file, and so I try to eliminate extra spaces. It's all in caps and kind of convert it. So the CCT format is one that Ed Snyder came up. He kind of converted the OPL standard ones that other platforms use. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Todd decided to take a bit further and actually plays the OPL things natively. Okay. Finally here. In, uh, in uh, Nitrous 9. That's so then it jumps to the next track. Feature now. You can I wanted to say which track number you were on out of the total, just in case you had a bunch of them and you had no idea how deep you were into the playlist. 
at any given time. So put that in there. This Sounds like Duke Doom. Nukem. Now this is a Doom. This is the opening screen of Doom. Yeah. That's an iconic music track right there. All right. And as you can see, because we had a dash C flat. Uh, that's hey, cool. it's really cool. He's got that. That's it's all working. Cool. And he's got it working on both formats, the native OPL format and the CCT format. So it works with Ed's files and ones you just pull off the web. Okay. So, um, so will this be on the next beta release of yes, it will. ease of use? Yeah. So what hardware, what, what sound hardware is being used? The OPL3 sound chip, which is on the uh, Mega oh, Mini the MPI and on, I can't remember, the Zipster's other board. He's got an OPL2 chip, one that it works with too, so. And Todd really? is planning on trying to get this to work on some other sound chip solutions that the Coco has now too. So we'll see, you know, how far he gets. Like, some of them have better capabilities than others. But. Okay. Coco PSG. Uh, I can't remember which one always he's going to try to target. I mean, like some of them, like the Sound Speechback, for example, only has three voices. So obviously, you can't do something fancy like this. You may be able to do like you know the melody track or something, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to see exactly how far he can get with that. But he's just been learning all it's not in a semi-language, you know, in the last couple of months. So he's come a pretty far away to, you know, get to this level already. Yeah, yeah that's impressive. And, yeah. and I'm I'm not saying this I'm not saying this as a jab, but it's like to see. It seems to me that Nitrous Nine is getting to be more and more like my memories of Windows three one because I used to love to play MIDI files in a playlist, you know. And now yeah, and we've had that already from Bill yeah. Pierce. So. And um so and the sound of the sound blaster to me historically was around the time of Windows 3.1 and this sounds like that. So my my mental memories and time and place is taking me back to that Windows 3X era and and Nitrous 9 is definitely getting us there with with and and this is the perfect example of um why you need a real operating system because you can have a driver for these sound chips, right? So if if brand X, Y, and Z sound chips come out down the road and you just get a new driver for those, this player should work on that theoretically, right? So Yeah. Um, right now it's not using a driver, it's all like built in the oh, driver's really? built into the, the software direct, itself. Direct rights to the hardware then. Yeah. This this is basically to learn how the hardware works, make okay. sure it's working properly, then yeah. we'll start working on the driver after. But yeah, you're right. Oh, oh. Yeah. Neat. Neat. Neat, neat, neat. Good hey, job. Next step. Karen has released uh, an updated version of XWare. Most of it is bug fixes. There's a few bug fixes for like 6.3.9. There's a few bug fixes for some of the new fancier hardware graphics stuff they've been doing. Um, there's also some updates to like the Mac OS X uh, user interface now using SDL2. There's updates for the ID. Uh, that hardware scrolling we showed him doing before using some of the tricks on the VDG and the SAM. It's had some updates to match the real hardware. So basically, most of it's a bug fix. There's a bit more bug fixes on the Mac side because he doesn't have a Mac normally, so he you know, had to get some help on getting that part fixed. I, I've ran it on a few things already, even taken some screenshots for the uh, game website I'll be posting tomorrow night. And uh, I haven't noticed a huge difference, but uh, it may crash less because it was a couple of bugs in the CPU core that actually on rare occasions where a program set up things in a certain way, it would not work for properly. So the compatibility should actually be a little bit better as well. So that's available for download. It's available for uh, Windows and Mac OS X and Ubuntu. Uh, and plus you can get the source and you know compile it yourself if, you, if you're into that sort of thing. So, Okay, next up, um, I was hoping Paul Frescarelli was going to be on here today because he actually helped Aaron quite a bit with this. Um, the keyboard adapter that Paul has that you basically plug into your emulator with a real Cocoa keyboard uh, based on USB. 
Aaron at the Amigos ordered one of these and he ordered the kit because he likes doing soldering. That's his day job too. So he actually soldered the whole thing together, put it in, and then the keys were all giving the completely wrong keys. And uh, (laughs) after going through with Paul quite a bit, like they spent hours going back and forth, they finally figured out that the keyboard that Aaron has in his Cocoa 2, which is a melted keyboard, is an odd one where the pins on the connector are flipped compared to most normal Cocoa keyboards. Paul had never seen this before, but basically he, he desoldered because his Cocoa 2 is dead. He desoldered the keyboard connector from his Cocoa 2 and then soldered it onto here. And now it works perfectly fine. So most of the time, the connector that Paul supplies with the board works fine. It works fine in Cocoa 3s, Cocoa 1s, Cocoa 2s, except for maybe one or two sub-models of the Cocoa 2, which Aaron just happened to have. So that's what it like looks like, and that's with the connector from the Cocoa Two added into it. And good thing uh, that he, good thing that he did have the rare model then, I guess, because otherwise it wouldn't have been. Yeah, Paul would have never known about it otherwise. But uh, mm. now that we know, and I mean, I know there's been some research on what all different model numbers of the Cocoa existed and stuff, and I don't know if this is attributable attributable to a specific model number, or if it's maybe you know a certain a batch of the model numbers was done with this wonky thing. They must have known about it though, because they needed the special connector to do it. So. It was a very interesting video, and he kind of goes back what he talked with Paul and how they figured out what was going on and how they got it fixed, etc. So it's a, the, it's a pretty interesting connector. Movie. I have one of uh, Paul's uh, adapters. I don't know if this is coming through or not, but here's what the connector looks like that he ships with it. It's like an edge card connector, and then he yeah, sends. I have to stop in- sharing for you, me to show that. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, sorry. I got him. I had him zoomed. In. I had him zoomed in. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. So, and then he also sends this little mylar piece right here, which is a little filler. So it has enough uh, friction to hold it in place. So yeah, I'm guessing what oh, he yeah. did is he pr- he probably soldered his his edge card connector from his Coco Two right onto this connector probably, and that that probably got him going. Then so I think he resoldered the actual board if I remember correctly. But oh, he did. Was, okay, it was soldered. I mean, you can um, yeah, can you can see at least on what uh, on what you have up there, uh, Curtis. Oh yes, yep. that it soldered yep. stayed onto the thing. Interesting. Yeah. So it was cool. an interesting bit of hardware trivia because I don't think any of us knew that there was some custom connector because, I mean, when you get your Cocoa, it's running fine. So you never noticed that it would have been different. It looks similar, but there is obviously some models that are different. So it was, it was good for that's Paul to actually, know that. That's actually interesting you mentioned that because I had a Cocoa 1 here, which I, I swapped for another Cocoa 3 with Darren Ottery. Um, and that Cocoa 1 that I had here had a melted keyboard in it as well. And I remember trying the melted keyboard in one of my other Cocos here and it didn't work. So I wonder if that actually has. Wonder if I wonder if it's a, a more common among the melted keyboards. Maybe that was. Part now of the did it not work at work. all, or did it just give you the wrong keys? Um, from memory, I think it didn't work at all. Which yeah, actually. Okay, because in this one it actually works. It just it, it's like plugging the dragon in. Like the dragon wired the PIA differently, so then okay. when you hit a key on the Coco, it comes up as a totally different key on the dragon. Yeah, and right. In this case, it was similar to that. There was just like all of these rows were flipped, so. We have yep. we have to uh, translate from what uh, David was saying that the Australian Coco One is really a Coco Two for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's actually, a, it's a Coco Two in a co- it's a Coco Two in a white Coco One case. No, this one wasn't. This one was a grey case, original oh, Coco wow. One with a mel- with a melted keyboard. Yeah, wow. with the original melted keyboard. It came out with it. So, uh, and I do. Re- That's, I, that sounds a- like a weird one then. Yeah. 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 My my original Coco one, 
um, the eboard one, that's got the, the the really early one where you needed to get the special adapter. But that's that's a well known. Yeah, because it actually has a connector that the, on the edge of the keyboard cable rather than just the yeah, flat yeah, mylar. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So here I actually had three different types of keyboard connectors at one point, and the melted keyboard was one of the three. So I don't know, maybe yeah. there, whether that was the same as the one that you're having issues with or, or a derivative of it, and they had maybe had four different versions. I don't know. Yeah. And one thing I will say, too, because some people have asked, you know, why would you want to hook a real Coco keyboard up to an emulator when you got a full PC keyboard right there, you know? Uh, basically, it's because of the key layout. I mean, sometimes you have to set the emulators up. Some of the games use the arrow keys designed to be up, down on the left side of the keyboard, right, left on the right side, and the games play much better. Even on the Coco 3, they're hard to play in the diamond configuration. And another one that usually trips up people that are new to the Coco emulation scene is, you know, you want to pause a basic listing. You have to shift at, well, on most keyboards nowadays, you have to hit shift just to get the at symbol at all from the two key. How do you do a shift shift at? And you, you have to make a custom, you know, keyboard mapping to do it. I'm sure, Steve, you, I think you mentioned that in the video for MAME, that you had to do some you know, patches to the MAME keyboard layouts to get that kind of stuff to work. So this is one way to get around that. If you happen to have an old dead Coco 1 or 2 or 3 around that you want to just take the old keyboard out and use it modern machine. Neat. Hey, guys. Hey, Polly. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Actually, since you're here, did you want to mention anything that, about what you and Aaron found out going through his keyboard and how they had to swap the connector out? Yeah, sure. That's why I hopped on. So what uh, Aaron had found and what I was um, unaware of is that with uh, some of the older Coco 2 keyboards, um, the actual contacts for the keyboard are on the underside of that Mylar cable. And uh, the way that my uh, encoder works is that uh, card edge connector um, it's reversible. So if you want to rotate it 180 degrees to have the USB pointed in a different direction, you can do that. Uh, so the outcome was when Aaron had tried it with the card edge connector, uh, basically it was uh, swapping the rows and the columns, and that's why he was getting the funky output. So through the troubleshooting, we realized that um, the, uh, the contacts for his uh, card edge connector were on the other side uh, for his particular model, Coco 2. So um, that's ultimately what we did is we, um, he came up with the, I, I told him, you know, I'd ship him a new connector. Um, he uh, pulled his out of the Coco 2 and um, put it in and it, and it worked great once we did that. Um, so one thing I was going to mention though, is when I uh, first started putting this kit together, the idea behind it was um, I was just picturing people with Coco 3 keyboards using it. Um, never occurred to me that people would be using the older style keyboards, uh, either the chiclet or, uh, you know, the melty keyboards or anything like that. So um, it's uh, kind of a lesson learned and uh, the, the kit will support the older keyboards um, just with the caveat that you have to use a different type of connector uh, in some cases or a different orientation of the connector. So yeah, Aaron was awesome. Um, he, you know, was extremely patient through the whole troubleshooting process. And ultimately we got to the bottom of it, which, uh, which was great. So um, everybody's happy in the end and moving forward, kind of a path uh, for, the, uh, for the adapter uh, for folks that want to use it with an older chiclet style keyboard or a melty keyboard, um, just need to you know, know ahead of time so we can get them set up with the proper connector or the correct orientation on the connector. Okay, cool. As I mentioned, I mean, one of the reasons to use the older keyboard is, is for certain key combinations, especially on Coco 1 and 2 software that, uh, you know, really want the arrow keys to be separated and not jammed together in a diamond or a T-shape or something. Yeah, exactly. So one other thing, too, I'll just mention real quick. Um, 
the uh, the the color computer three keyboard with the extra F one F two keys, the control, and the alt. Um, that gives you a few different uh, combinations of keystrokes that you can do. Um, that I was working on Ron Klein with uh, with Ron Klein. He was helping me troubleshoot, um, and he was coming up with some suggestions for the for the Cocoa Pie image uh, for uh, like the uh, uh, to emulate the tab key. You can do Control T, or if you want to do Alt F1, Alt F2 to cycle between emulators, um, you can do uh, Shift F2 uh, to bring up the different uh, um, emulation key maps. Uh, for XOR, MAME, and uh, VCC because they're all slightly different from one another, or you could do custom in that particular case. So having the Color Computer 3 keyboard with the extra keys really uh, lends for some added features. Um, unfortunately, with a standard Coco 1, Coco, T, Coco 2 keyboard, there's really not many options because they pretty much use shift with um, pretty much every other key on the keyboard. So there's no really leftover key strokes that you could come up with that would be um, able to do the same type of things that you could do with the Cocoa 3 keyboard. Well, here's an idea. If, because this is going on a PC or whatever that you're using it as a for emulation purposes, the alt and control keys are where the up and down arrow keys are. So in your main mapping, you could just map alt and control to be up and down arrow as a, a, a dual mapping so you could still get the Cocoa 2 layout. Yeah, that's a possibility too, Stevie. Yep. Of course, it's brilliant because I thought of it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was an interesting lesson um, with Aaron, and uh, it's definitely helping me make the product a little bit better for folks um, that purchase it in the future. Yeah, and he pra- he praised it. your support too quite a bit on the video and even on uh, the show on Friday for the Amigo show when they were kind of going over you know their videos from the week, and he was praising your your support and stuff uh, for you know spending hours with him literally on the phone and stuff trying to get everything fixed up. Yeah, he, he, he was awesome. And uh, definitely, um, you know, the praises he sent my way are probably more than I ever deserved. So um, <laughs> it was it was, uh, it was great to, to hear that feedback and hear that he got it working and um, he's happy with it. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for popping on to help explain it in a bit more detail. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Okay, next up. Um, if you remember, we did Super Basic, which is kind of that scripting language that makes it look like a modern language, and then it converts it to Basic. So uh, Jerry Stratton, who did that, has posted a link to his blog on Facebook about converting IBM PC Basic games to the Coco. And in this particular case, he chose the uh, Giant Book of Computer Games by Tim Hartnell, which are fairly generic ones. They don't use a lot of sound or graphics commands and stuff, so it's a bit easier. And the book even itself says it's designed to run, most of the programs are designed to run in any computer with basic that will run in 32 or 40 columns so what he does in this one is he actually converts some of the games over but he actually goes through specifically what you have to change from pc basic or gwiz basic if you're using that version uh to the coco and then exactly what code you had to change he's got some samples here you know on the left is the original pc basic code on the right to coco and how to translate it some of the caveats that you got to worry about etc some of the instructions are a little bit different you have to do differently and uh, kind of goes through the whole thing and it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting read. So if any of you want to convert some old PC basic or GWiz basic games or other programs to the Coco, um, this is a pretty good article to do it. It probably would work easier if you're going to the Coco 3 because, of course, we both have 40 columns. We both have 80 columns if the program requires it. 32, you have to kind of like muck around and do your own changes to get it to cosmetically work. But it's a pretty, pretty good article. I think it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that Alan Huffman's been doing lately. Uh, 
Uh, next one up in the Dragon 3264 group on Facebook. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Soren Rug. Rug. I'm not sure. Um, he's actually been trying to de disassemble the OS9 kernel for the Dragon Beta. Now, the Dragon Beta is one of the more advanced dragons that was in the prototyping stage when Dragon went under in the UK. So it's actually got some details that he's managed to figure out. Like it had a 4K MMU, which is more similar to some of the other 6709 systems. The Coco 3 has an 8K MMU. So there's a, you know, there's little bits of the hardware differences that are showing up in there. It actually had a sound chip built in the AY chip that was pretty popular at the time. Plus the MMU, so it was a pretty, you know, pretty decent advanced system. Um, it looks like the MMU was built to handle up to 256K, even though it was originally advertised as a 128. And he's actually got the source code commented up here at the top that you can actually download and take a look at. So for you OS9 people and people in the history of the dragons that never quite were, it's a pretty interesting read. Now, this is a, a new person I've never seen before. Um, on YouTube, he's called Chibi Akimus, and he's done a bunch of YouTube tutorials on programming a semi-language on a variety of chips, 68000, 6502s, uh, Z80s, etc. And he's just starting a 6809 one. And, and this one here, he mentions that it runs on Dragons, it runs on Cocos. Uh, he wants to eventually get it working on his Vectrix. And uh, he also, did, in the particular case here, he's actually using the Fujitsu FM7 as the demo thing because yet the emulator has a really nice, easy way for it to jump in and has a built-in monitor. You can tell it to dump registers and stuff to the screen so he can kind of show you the results as he's teaching you some of the basic semi-language. And this is only the first part of a multi-part series. Now, unlike Steve Bjork's, which is, you know, Coco-specific, Coco-centric in some ways, like how to do sound and how to do graphics, this is more generic 6 and 9 semi-language. At this point, I don't know if he's going to, get more specific on how to program, say, the vector graphics on the Vectrix or how to do the sound chip on the FM7 or how to do, you know, Coco Dragon graphics or something. But it's, it's a pretty decent uh, tutorial. He gives a lots of example code, explains how every line works. He's either from the UK or Australia. I'll let you guys decide which ac accent this is. Hello, it's Keith here, and this is the first in a new series of assembly okay. programming tutorials, this time okay. on the 6809, okay. because I didn't think I was covering enough processes. Anyway, it's a half hour for the yes. first one. He just released it this week, and like you said, he's, he's planning on doing an entire thing and going through the rest of the instruction set, etc. The cheat so, sheet is pretty nice, too. I've seen that site in that particular link. Yeah, he's got a lot of good tutorials. Like, if you want to you know, learn any of these other chips, I mean, there's a ton of stuff he's been done, done over the years, so... I will I'll definitely be keeping up with his, and I actually did a little bit of a comment for him. Um, mentioned the 6309. He has heard of it. Uh, he's not sure if he's going to be doing it in this tutorial or not. But if you're wanting to learn a semi-language and, and you want some additional uh, tutorials besides Steve's, and uh, who's was it, Paul? Was it you that was doing the other 6809 tutorial? Yeah, Long Branch Never, Paul Fisk, really. Yeah. So there's there's a third one now that people can do to learn 6809 semi-language, so... The resources are out there. Yeah. Kind of on topic for the theme day. Uh, next, Alan Huffman on Subitha Software, which is his uh, blog site and formerly a software company, uh, has a thing on bit shifting in BASIC, um, which actually has some sample code and showing how bit shifts work. And he was trying to, you know, bit shift graphics and stuff. And he was originally doing the VIC-20 because they have a character set. And you have, if you want to do smooth animations without jumping an entire character cell, you have to do these offsets and do double characters, which he kind of shows here on the little diagram of the circles. <clears throat> so then he goes through using Cocoa Basic and explaining how to do bit shifts and sample code and, and sample results, et cetera. And of course he has his usual challenge. Can you speed it up and optimize it, et cetera, at the end. 
But uh, for those that want to know how to do that kind of stuff and, and even do it in basic, because some people, it's a lot easier to understand doing it basic at first and then learn the assembly language version after, it's a pretty good blog entry on how to do that. Next up, uh, John Whitworth in the Dragon Group. He's been working on his MSX2 prototype board, MSX2 Plus, sorry. And he got his first, you know, real prototypes to start working with here. And you can see it's even dated June 2020 on the silk screen, so. Wow. Aaron just joined us. Hey, Aaron. Now, you in, said this is... Call, a, you mean, or in no, the uh, chat? No, just in the uh, chat. You said this is oh, okay. an <laughs> MMX2 board? Yeah, it's a, it's a graphics chip based on a thing on the MSX. MSX, the, Okay. Yeah. yeah, and sound and stuff. So he did this here just showing that he just got the boards, and then this was, uh, I think, yesterday. And he's already managed to populate one of the boards and plug it in, which the next video shows... So this is just a very quick demo he did. Per Surratt wrote the program for it because he's doing the hardware. Mm -hmm. And this is showing some of the graphics capabilities on this board, like all the different colors. And it's also got the sound chip built in that uh, Per did some programming in. So this is a quick little 20-second video. Hopefully it uh, sounds okay. Hey, Jude. Yeah. And make it better. Is that internal? Yeah, the SD's internal. He's got a a board that a riser board lets him mount it. Yep. Yeah, okay. it's it's pretty cool though. I mean, the amount of colors he's getting on that thing. I mean, we've got yeah. a couple of these graphic upgrades now in the Dragon. That Word Pack Plus, yeah, or two plus. Yeah. It's pairs been working yeah. on as well. I gotta tell you, you know, I haven't jumped into assembly game development yet, but seeing that we have things like this Word Pack too. And now we have this uh, MSX. And MSX was a great system. I think the weakest part of the MSX system was the Z80 processor on it. But it was a great computer, great gaming system. Um, you know, Microsoft basic, the whole nine yards. I think by the time I'm ready to start jumping into assembly, as much as I, yeah, I want to learn how to use the DAC and how to write to the VDG, I think I want to develop for one of these things here because these are just cool, man. You know, it's like, yep. why, why should I learn how to, reinvent a wheel and create sprites on a system that doesn't support sprites when there's sprite cards now on the market you know so it's yeah like a, it's the same thing with the gimme x and the coco vj like you've got some extra features there yeah, that you can yeah. use too like the so, gimme x has that little memory copy thing that runs faster than even the 639 can do it even on a 6809 so you can do screen scrolls and stuff like three times faster. yeah yeah i mean because you always say well what if the coco had a sprite chip what if the coco <laughs> had a sound chip well it's looking like it can. Well, there is now. <laughs> yeah. And I'll hold my beer, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> That's Now, cool. this next one almost could warrant a discussion on its own. We've discussed, and I've discussed many times, the fact that I, I lament that Tandy in North America did not sell third-party software. They did in the UK. They did in Australia. They sold some of Nick's programs. So they were much more open-minded, and I think the market would have done much better if that had happened. I have a, I have a sound clip I could play for that real quick if you sure, indulge go me. Ahead. Yeah. Tell me why. You guys didn't hear it because it wasn't sharing sound, but everybody else did. All right. So um. so the interesting part of this is this is a UK <clears throat> Radio Shack Tandy catalog. Mm -hmm. Even has the Coco prominently featured. And this is from the 8485 area, I think it is. How did they spell Calor in this UK catalog? Did they spell it with a U? Well, you'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stevie. But that's not even the highlight. Okay. 
Okay. You so notice they spell it properly, first of all. A color computer, <laughs> yes. It's the, <laughs> that, an advanced color computer. Look at those computer. prices. Yeah, these are all in pounds, of course. Pounds. Pounds sterling. Yeah. But take a look at the screenshots. That's Donkey uh, oh, that King. Is, no, that's not. That would be Cuthbert because this is uh, in the UK. Not on the right side. The right side's <laughs> oh, the uh, Pie Factory and Donkey oh, I King. I can't see it. It's all blurry over here. So it looked like Cuthbert rescues yeah, the princess. This is Cuthbert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the left is Danger Ranger. Okay. Uh, from Med System slash Screenplay, and okay. the right one is Donkey King. And of course, they're uh, using the ugly palette set because yeah, of artifacting. Uh, it's coming. But the Radio so Shack dark. catalog is promoting third-party software on their main screens. Right. Yeah. Right. And then if you get into the catalog part, and it's probably hard to read because these aren't the greatest scans in the world here. Yeah. But, I mean, if you look in the upper left corner, the 32K cassette software That looks like the Donkey King, King and uh, Buzzard, Buzzard Bait. Bait. And yeah. Time Bandit. Time Bandit. Wow. And then 60K cassette software to the right of that is Cuthbert Goes Walkabout, Goes Digging, Frogger, Crazy Painter, Scramble, Pangon, wow. Cuthbert and in Space, Dungeon Raid, Keys to Wizard, King Topping, Top. Calore Computer Software. So they've actually kept charts. Chart Topping. Wow. That's impressive. But the fact that they're promoting the third-party stuff ahead of Tandy's own stuff. The Tandy's own stuff is in there, but I don't see a single picture of them. Now, does yeah, that right. mean you could walk into a UK yes. radio shack and buy them? Yes. Why didn't now, Why Tandy didn't do they do that in yes. North America? I know Steve's gone on about it a few times that there was some internal reason, but obviously it wasn't a very good one because Tandy, everywhere else on the planet, did not do that. Yeah. Because Tandy was a hardware company. First yeah, and, and just, just to give you an idea. Have... To give you an idea how liberal Tandy was in Australia, they put one of Nick Morenti's crappy games in the box with the. With well, the I mean, there's no kind of taste. But still. Well, and then note yeah. the uh, the third-party software seven ninety-five and the Tandy software nineteen ninety-five. Ah, so it's actually cheaper to buy third-party. Yeah, and I mean, this was something that came up on one of the Spectrum shows because they had um, some software on the Spectrum where it was dirt cheap like a pound 99 or something like that for some of these games. But if you take a look at the prices here, Donkey King is only seven ninety five dollars pound wise. That's insane. Yeah. And yet if you want Pyramid, the cassette game from Tandy, the Pyramid 2000 game, it's fourteen ninety five. Yeah. And okay. I mean, he, in, the, in North America, it was reversed. The King was maybe $29. Yeah. And I think Pyramid yeah. might have been twenty four nineteen. I think they were like fourteen ninety five. I think the cassette, because it was on tape. So I think yeah. it was like a but, 50 But in, in the UK, it's the opposite. The, the, the Tandy ones are almost twice as expensive as the really good third-party apps. Yeah. Well, it's probably cheaper for the third parties to distribute through Tandy. In the... That is oh, really interesting. Quality MC10 software. Quality MC10. Microcolor checkers. Microcolor <laughs> games pack. Wow. The thing is, <laughs> though, in, in America, you had Radio Shack as the main company. In Australia... And the UK was Tandy. It was a, ah, a and here in Canada different. we were a hybrid. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. So there could have been different rules. So in this case, countries. so in this case, Tandy yeah, did point. do that, and Radio Shack didn't do that. Yeah, we and they a, should. We need a new this. jingle. Why didn't Radio Shack do that? <laughs> Let's all sing along. Tell me why I, 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 I didn't Radio Shack do that? Do that. <laughs> I mean, I'll go back to my original premise that, that we've argued with Stephen a few times. That if Tandy had done this in North America, the sales would have been better and the machine probably would have lasted longer. Yep, absolutely. Because the software quality of some of the third-party stuff was quite a bit above most of Tandy yeah. stuff. There are exceptions. But. I mean, yeah, because Radio Shack... If if there were the killer apps out there, they would sell more hardware, and they were still making forty points on on a cocoa sale. So if if they didn't make the points oh. on the cartridges, why not make the points on the computers themselves? Yeah. Well, 
but even if when you did... even if you um, knew the software that was out there, you had picked up like the Rainbow Magazine and saw so all the software that was out there, you'd have to pay shipping and handling to get it yeah, sent to you. You yeah. couldn't yep. just pick Wait, it up 16, at your local weeks. radio shack. Right, this way right. you can go in, you could try the software right in the store. Right, right. It and it wasn't just games. Like if you look in the on the right of the first page there, at the very bottom of the white area, the Composer, which is a four-voice music editing program from Speech Systems, was yeah. on sale. <clears throat> but what you're forgetting, though, is when, when did the Coco um, uh, stop? Production. When, when was Which it discontinued? One? Which one? The latest one, say, the Coco 3. Was it 89, 91? 90, 90, 91. 91. Okay, what other 8-bit computer was around in 91? Commodore, Commodore 64. 64 was, yep. They had a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple II was holding on. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think even Atari still... Uh, they were still. Yeah. I don't know if they were producing any new ones, but they. they my were still my selling. point is, by 1991, the market had pretty well shifted, at least from to a 16-bit computer. I think uh, the Cocos and the Commodore 64s all died because basically they were. It was the end of the 8-bit era. Tandy yeah, but this catalog's from 84, 85, Nick. Yeah. This is yeah, in the well, highlight of the of the eight bit era, yeah, this and this would have helped sales if people had known better software was available than Demolition Derby. Yeah, <laughs> well, they they probably thought that you know having a lot of these black and white NTSC games wasn't going to going to cut it in the uh, the British market. Hmm. Well, they're selling them here. Yeah, they're they're plugging. in Radio Shack. Yeah, in Tandy, Tandy, in Tandy, yeah, yeah. Tandy yeah. was plugging third party in 1984. That's impressive. And if Radio Shack had done that in the U.S., I think that would have definitely boosted Coco sales. Yeah, and then not only plugging, they're putting them prominent. This is ahead of all of Tandy's own software. Yeah, yeah. They're they're, the Tandy's them. own software is that little text only box in the bottom. So they obviously know their software is not as good as the third party stuff was. And if they'd done that in North America, I think sales would have been much better. Because if you walked in and you wanted to get a game, you know, a Pac-Man game or a Donkey Kong game, I mean, yeah, Canyon, what, what do Canyon you get Climber from Candy? And, yeah, Canyon Climber and Megabug were the closest two things we had from Tandy. How much you want to bet Fletcher's the one that came up with this catalog? <laughs> she went far. She went all the way to the UK. Yes. <laughs> was, one of the reasons ColecoVision did so well was because their version of Donkey Kong was amazing. Yeah, exactly. Time. So for the, if the Coco had had theirs out, too. As visible, like if the King was available in Radio Shack stores in 1983 when it was out on third party and in mm-hmm. all 6,000 stores in North sure. America, I think, think and think of all the better. upgrades though, because that prompted me to upgrade my 16K Coco. Yep, so everybody who had a 16K that was looking for a, a reason to upgrade, I would have in a heartbeat gotten an upgrade. Um, if that was playing in you know in the store, well, that's why I got an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why I got my Coco. That- si- Coco sales weren't that bad, though, were they? They were still selling in you know, '86. Obviously, uh, when did the ColecoVision die? It, it only lasted '84. Well, it died with the video game crashing yeah. '83. Yeah, yeah, well, there, there you go. The Coco kept on going. It was yeah. still selling. Yeah, but if well. you compare the Coco sales with the other eight bits of the time, we weren't in the top. Well, '86. Which ones are you comparing it to? No, go, but going we're, before we're that, if you, if you compare with like 84, well, 85, back, yeah. with the C64, the VIC-20, well, we weren't selling as much. If you well, look at no, 19, no. shortly but, after the Coco came out, 
everybody was talking about the Coco was going to die because Radio Shack hardly had any software for it, and yet there was third-party titles for it. Yeah. That was Wayne Green's big thing in 80 Micro. He predicted it was going to die, and then you know, a year later he starts Hot Coco because the sales were actually doing pretty good. Hmm. Anyway, yeah. it's a good what-if scenario because it actually is something that really happened. Yeah. And the fact that they're promoting it ahead of their own stuff, I think, speaks volumes. And by the way, on the lower right there, C-O-L-O-U-R. Okay. Yeah. Just <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, let's call asparagus on this one and move on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> next one. I'll actually let Stevie talk about this because he was instrumental in this, uh, where Ed Snyder decided to fix one of Stevie's machines of the MC-10 so that it actually would use the uh, 8K, up to 8K could be used for graphics. You could actually have a full P mode 3 or 4 screen because the current MC-10 is limited by the hardware design to only have 4K. So, Stevie, take it away. Well, yeah. So, when I was doing my research on the MCX-128, I came across the blog from Darren Atkins, and he mentioned that there was, I believe it was Dennis Kitts who came up with the 8K upgrade that was in a hot cocoa or something. Um, and that upgrade, as I believe Canadian Retro Things found out, there are some issues with that upgrade because it won't let you plug in a memory expansion because of how the upgrade was done. Um, it caused problems. So in Darren's article, he mentioned that um, there's a way to change the design to take one of the pins and have it go to ground or something like that. It, he made it sound real simple, right? Um, and so I'm thinking, oh, this is whatever. So um, I, I wanted to get a composite mod done anyway, so I sent it to him for that. And I'm like, well, can you give me that 8K upgrade with the fix so it'll work with the uh, 128? And so that's kind of what started it. Now, I just saw the picture of what he did. I had no idea it was going to be that complicated to add RAM. Is there, is there pictures here? Can you scroll down? Because they're on Facebook. Yeah, here we go. So look at all these freaking wires. I, if I had known it was going to take this much work, I never would have asked for well, it, to be honest with you. So I didn't know. It's like a whole nervous system had to be rerouted on this thing. Well, the original, um, the original mod piggybacked 2K RAM chips on the original RAM chips, and he chose an 8K chip so that's just to adapt it to the different pinout okay and then he said in the process of figuring out a better way to do it he's actually come up with an idea how to create a 32k onboard uh, upgrade for the mc10 so so my crazy request has given you know you know what ed snyder is going to do as soon as he goes to do something it's like hold my beer and he's going to come up with something <laughs> better so um so we're going to probably have that now wh why is this significant as curtis was saying um, the the MC10 can only use the onboard internal RAM for graphics. So even though they make memory expansions, the original Tandy and the MCX2028, you can't map video RAM to that expanded RAM. So if you want higher resolution screens and more pages of screens, you can only get it with onboard RAM. Um, I didn't know you could even go higher than the 8K because I had only heard of the 8K mod. And so that's what I asked for. I should have asked for more. <laughs> so anyways, but uh, this is apparently my MC-10 I sent him. And so when this comes back, I'll have the 8K of internal RAM and my composite mod. And I'm looking forward to doing some really clean videos on my MC-10. And I think there's a, 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 a... Oh, let's see what the video is. I didn't watch this one. What does this video look like? So is he pushing graphics on this? Yeah, he just shows that you can actually write the entire screen yeah, without it right, wrapping because that back. was the other problem on the original MC-10. You could create the screen, but part of it was being overwritten because it was not accessible. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. neat. 
So, and as you can see on the bottom there, he said this can also be extended to a 32K mod, and he yeah. plans to draw one up. So, yeah, and so that means I'm gonna have to send my second MC10 to him for that when that's ready. So, <laughs> uh, gotta have more cowbell. So, thank you, Ed, for doing that. Uh, so and one thing I, I don't know, maybe he told you, Steve, like the 32K model, like 8K is enough to do a full P mode three or four screen, and now you can page flip like you know, P mode one or two, right? But it's not enough to page flip to do smooth animation on two P mode three or two P mode four screens. This 32K mod, is he actually extending the video memory to 32K as well so you can do full page flipping? I, honestly, I don't know. I, I This is, you You were hearing about this. Matter of fact, people were telling me that he if, posted this in Facebook because I hadn't even been on Facebook yet. So um, they're like, oh yeah, Ed's got this thing on your MC10. I'm like, he does? <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I was like one of the last people to know. Uh, yeah, because that'd be, that'd be pretty cool because, I mean, I know there's that extended MCX-128 yeah. basic, and yeah. now they could put in, like, P-Copy and, you know, P-Mode. Yeah, P I mean, P ideally, that would be really cool. Um, how Because then you could port Cocoa programs directly over and, and have... Uh, regular extended Cocoa basic programs, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be kind of cool. They'd kind of be able to cross-pollinate the libraries now. Yeah, like something uh, like Advanced Star Trench Warfare, if if it is allowing up to 32K with video, that uses two P-Mode 4 screens. That's 12K. Right, right, And he right. page flips yeah, to the yeah. animated trench. So he doesn't say whether he's uh, flipping pages at the same memory address or if uh, he's changing the address that the VDG uses. So that's the one thing he leaves out. Well, right. he said he's writing up a technical thing to download later, though. I don't think it's up yet. So, yeah, that, so honestly, I just I had no idea what the upgrade was going to entail. I am just naively. Assumed yeah, that's that, way beyond. Like, look how much of my hair would be all over yeah, this board yeah. by this point. So. <laughs> Um, but I mean, even though he had to do a lot of this creating these manual traces, he did a nice job routing all the wires. It's clean. It's not a freaking yeah. spaghetti bowl. I think right? my so. favorite comment to show that he's a hardware geek uh, that he posted here is that this is based loosely on one that Dennis Kitts had done back in Color Computer Magazine, nineteen eighty-three. Yes. Yeah, and he said this simplifies it and makes it much cleaner and easier. <laughs> this is the easy version. Yeah, oh, I mean, I feel bad. Well, I, I, when I see this, I feel really bad for asking for the upgrade. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> he could have just told me to screw myself and save himself a lot of time. <laughs> but you also well, wish you asked for more. Yes, yes. I guess we could ask Amigo Aaron in the chat because he soldered that whole Paul Fiscarelli board on his own too. So apparently, he likes yeah. doing this. Apparently, there's some glee in soldering. I guess it just oh, causes you know burnt bad hair smells for me. So it's oh man, it's a totally different kettle of fish. I think he didn't count the. the I think he didn't count the desoldering of the original chips. Yeah, there's like nine hundred dollars in labor going on here. It's like four. It's like forty three cents. Forty three cents in chips and wires and nine hundred dollars in labor. Right. So. Yeah. I, and if I did this in my case to get it up to this point, I would look like Steve now. I'd have no hair left. <laughs> I've got to say, Ed does, he really goes above and beyond with everything he does. When I got my original Coco VGA for my eboard Coco One, um, it wouldn't physically fit. And we knew that beforehand, um, before I actually got it here. I did some measurements and you know, got a ruler out and took some photos and everything and sent it all to Ed. And Ed actually built a custom offset um, board that plugs into the, where the 6847 goes. And then the Gimme X, uh, not the Gimme X, the, the, the Coco VGA plugs in offset onto that. So I didn't have to cut out the center post and do any physical modifications. And it was a lot of work. There was a lot of wires you wow. know, uh, wow. bridged onto that. And, and he, he did it 
you know, just because he, he can and he, he likes to help people out. And it was, oh, uh, that's so cool. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, that's so a good thing we have in the Coca community in general. We have a lot of people that are like Paul Fiscarelli. I mean, when he helped Aaron, you know, getting that yeah. keyboard connector working. I mean, we, we have a lot of fairly helpful people. I know I answer a lot of questions on Nitrous 9 stuff. Well, sometimes I, I don't even know because I haven't I, got that far into the, the code I, yet. I but. guess I could kind of relate to this a little bit because sometimes you do like, like I'll give you a perfect example. I, the, the video I made on how to set up MAME for the color computer, I must have redone that video no less than a half a dozen times because I kept screwing up or I wasn't happy with it. So I probably spent literally 12 to 18 hours to produce what ended up being about a 24 minute video. But all that suffering at the end, you want to make sure you provide the best possible product you can for the community. Right. And that's definitely what Ed does. And mm. um, in this case here, he, it gave him an idea to make a 32K upgrade, which has never existed before, an internal 32K upgrade. So the fact that I got this wild hair idea to ask for this one project, we might now have a new product for the MC-10 that's mm. going to breathe a whole well, bunch of new life into it and maybe create a market for people wanting to get MC-10s now, too. Um, so, And, and uh, Ed is talking about doing a new new board. Oh, the too, MC-11, so think, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So anyways, to, uh, for the MC10 users out there, uh, or the ones that you are thinking about, you know, getting an upgraded one, that and definitely keep yeah, your and, ears and, and eyes and, posted. And, here. and just so you guys know, I, I'd like to go on the record to say I've always said the MC10 is a fantastic machine. It's a wonderful <laughs> computer. Uh, it's incredible. Keeps doors open really yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I am so looking forward. To, I'm going to start doing a lot of MC10 videos. Like I can't wait to start using the MC server and playing all Jim Gary's games on real hardware. You know, I'm really looking forward to. You know, having some quality time with my upgraded MC10. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing what you what you managed to accomplish with it with some of these modifications here. Yeah, so. absolutely. Make the MC10 great again. Make it great again. <laughs> yes. Got to fly, guys. <laughs> again? Uh, are you leaving us, Brian? Later, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next up, this is uh, from Ian Maverick in Australia. And he's been he's been quite active in the Tier City communities, actually on the trash talkers and stuff too. So he does a lot of hardware stuff for all the various TRS ADs and, and Tandy models. Um, what he has here is he has a 512K Coco 3 with the upgraded label sticker saying it's 512K and it's got a 6309 pre-installed. He's refurbished it up and he's selling it. This just went up yesterday. It might have sold already. I have no idea. Okay. But, uh, and he made a two-minute video just kind of showing that it's working. He's actually got it plugged into a NEC multi-sync 2, which is the same one I have in my TC9, okay. which as far as RGB CRT monitors go, was probably the best quality one the Coco could plug into. Nice. It had a 0.28 dot pitch, so it was way better than the Tandy CM8 or even the Magnavox. Did it have the, did it have the right connector, or did you need an adapter cable, like a passive Coco RGB? Just a passive. You basically just different wires okay. go to different spots. It's a DB9 connector, so as long as you just put the right wires in the right place, there was no circuitry needed or anything, it would automatically sync. Plus, it also worked with CG, you know, RGB TTL for CJA. It worked with um, Amigas, by. with Atari STs, etc. Well, since David Ladd's not on the show, I got to throw acronyms around, I figure. Yeah, so. Reese Weasel. Reese Weasel. Anyway, I won't play the video. It just kind of explains it's working and shows you and shows you the neck multi sync, etc. But I don't know if it's sold out yet, but I know there were some people in our Discord in Australia that have been trying to buy Coco 3s and they keep getting sold out and they can't afford the shipping to ship it overseas from you know the United States or Canada. So here's one locally in Melbourne, Australia. If it hasn't sold already, you can buy it by itself or you can buy it as a bundle with the NEC multi-sync 2, which, I, as I said, is probably the best 
RGB CRT based RT, RGB solution there is. I, I, I had a multi-sync three on it for my Amiga and they are very good monitors. Yeah, I still have my multi-sync two here. It's actually right behind me with my TC9. James so. Jones says it's already sold. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully one of the people that was trying to get one got it. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. How much did he sell it for? If we, do we know? I have 12, no idea. Twelve dollars. Twelve dollars. <laughs> Twelve dollars Australian, which is like. All right. I, I just hope it went to somebody that truly needs one. It isn't like their fifteenth one. They're going to put it on a shelf, or somebody's just yeah. going to try to flip it and sell it for nine ninety nine, ninety nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I don't know if uh, yeah, Ian had as a filter for doing that. I hope he did because there was a few people that have been trying to get one for a year now and haven't yeah. been able to get one. So yep. yeah, yeah. But he does say that he's he's planning on getting some more available too. Nice. So I don't know if they'll be as yeah. upgraded as this one was, but yeah, he does Ian, have some other Ian is basically the Ed Snyder of Australia. He has the same yeah. level of skills. He designs stuff. He sells stuff. He makes all kinds of uh, reproductions of FD five hundred twos. He makes the. Um, was it the the Mies or the Mies or the Moos? One of those TRS eighty upgrade things he makes. So he did one uh, of the RS two thirty two plaque clones too, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, uh, James Jones says it sold for four hundred fifty dollars Australian. I wonder if that's the whole thing or just the cocoa. Probably the whole thing. I'm guessing. Mm. No, I would say so. Okay. Probably It'll be a yeah. half meg six or nine cocoa three plus the neck multi sync two. That'd be a pretty oh, good. Oh wow, deal. yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, crikey! Not right. <laughs> crikey. Not to turn this into a hardware discussion, though, but can a U.S. Cocoa 3 be converted to work hardware-wise in the in Australia, or is it a totally different board? Yes, it can. Okay. The only thing you need to do is change the power supply and make power sure you supply, got a, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what my Cocoa is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, the TVs in Australia now work on both PAL and NTSC now anyway, don't they? They work on both 16 99% of them do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you want to use composite <laughs> crap. Okay. Yep. Ken Reichert is no, calling no asparagus. Bias. Ken Reichert says asparagus. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, asparagus. Uh, uh. Oh yeah, this was posted in the TC9 group, and it's actually not a TC9, but it's it's a Frank Hogg product, and it was the last full blown computer that Frank Hogg manufactured and sold. And this is the Kix 30. There was also a, a Kix 20 that was cheaper. So Mark Marlette has one of these, and they're they're pretty rare. I remember seeing them at, at a couple of the Cocoa Fest, Rainbow Fest shows. So this was a 68,030 base machine, and the entire bus ran at full CPU speed. At that time, if you bought like a 386, your chip would run at 25 megahertz, so the bus is running at 12 or something like that, same as the ATs did. This was actually, if you had a 20, 33 megahertz, 68,030 here, the whole thing ran at 33 megahertz. It took up to 128 mm. meg of RAM. It had a custom graphics, or not custom, but it had a graphics chip that was quite advanced for the time. SCSI hard drive controllers and everything else here. So this is a kind of a picture of the board. Hazelwood Computer Systems was the hardware manufacturer designer that actually did the manufacturing of the TC9, the TC74, Frank Hogg. Um, so Mark's been trying to get this one running. He's got the main board working now. The graphics card is not working yet because he doesn't have any real details on how it's supposed to work to fix it. But he has got it running off terminals, running OSK. This was sold as an OSK machine. Hmm. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was about seven, seven or $800 US with like, 8 meg or 16 meg of RAM, but uh, quite an advanced machine. And the graphics, I'm trying to remember, it came with G Windows, which was a, a OS 9 GUI that was actually pretty decent and not related to the K Windows one that the MM1 of the TC70 used. It was made by somebody else called G-Spec, I believe it was called. But it was quite the machine, and it was quite quite impressive at the time. It was quite far, of actually, the, the Amiga and the PCs at the time, for graphics even, for that matter. Um 
unfortunately, that was, you know, right at the end when basically the entire industry was standardizing on Macs and, and PCs, and that's pretty well it. So it didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. Well, I, I hope he gets the graphics card working because I'd love to see him actually put some video up because the graphics I did see on it at the shows was very impressive. Hmm. With the uh, bus speed running the same as the CPU speed, I'd imagine it would be a little heftier on power consumption. But uh, probably not really a big issue, but just a curiosity. Could be. Um, I, I don't know too much about the, the hardware details because I'm not a hardware guy. Otherwise, it would be covered in hair. But uh, <laughs> Okay. And then the last of the regular news for today, uh, Bart van den Acker of the Home Computer Museum in the Netherlands. And Frodo was just there, actually, in our chat. He was just there not too long ago at the actual museum himself. But he's had a Cocoa SDC, and he's got a 3D printer. So he got the schematics for printing some of the cases out, and he printed his own custom green. Oh, neat. Cocoa, uh, Cocoa SDC there. So let's zoom it up just a little bit. Even though the Tandy logo, but anyway, that's one oh. of the freely advanced or freely available designs that you can download. So if you have a three D printer or access to one, and you want yeah, to make your I own have case, that, I have that case in white, and it's got the little soft button where you can press it and and hit switch your drives floppies. and stuff. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I got that from so anyway. That's a, that's a yeah. pretty pretty cool. I've never seen a green one before, so that's unique. Yeah, it's a beauty. And you notice he's using a ten eighty four Amiga monitor on his Coco. Ah, oh, an RGB monitor works fine. That's a hint to Aaron, by the way, in the chat. Okay. And to keep it with the CM8, it doesn't have the cover. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like a tradition. (laughs) Basically, that's the same as a Magnavox monitor, which is like an 8515 or the, what is it, 8CM135, which was the stereo version. And that's it for regular news. All right. Well, we're going to take a commercial break, and then we'll be back with some game on. But I think the world needs a little bit more of Nick Morota on the cover of Tiger Beat Star there. Uh, Just soak (laughs) in the beauty that is Nick Morota. Nick Morota. All right. Be sure to ooh and ah. Ooh and ah over Nick Morota. All right, so we're going to... Walk that plastic uke. We are. We are going to go <laughs> ahead and take a commercial break, and then we'll be back. On my album cover, thanks. I am going to share screen <laughs> and share sound so you guys can see what's going on. All right, we'll be back after these words, everybody. <laughs> it's, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Please give a warm welcome to Karsten Lawrence, a.k.a. Cars 10, from Berlin, Germany. Honey Mustard, Connor, JFed, John Federico, DJRM, a.k.a. David, from the UK, and a very special thanks to David Ladd, Rob Inman, Alpen Grace, Paul Fiscarelli, Terry Steggy, and our patrons for boosting the server. Join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. Welcome to Discord, everybody. And now, these messages. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Hi, I'm Kieran Unscombe, author of XRAW. And your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. At GSoft, we make games for the TRS-80 Color Computer... 
TRS-80, MC-10, and Dragon computers. Our basic games cover the range of genres from arcade, to text adventures, to simulations, to 3D dungeon crawls. This is our latest puzzle game from Japan, Fruit Panic. So come on, drop by our website, and download our latest games. Tired of switching your joystick between the left and right port? Want to change between different controllers? Well, Joey has got you covered. The Joey Controller Switch. Take control of your controllers with the flip of two switches. Order today at cocoman.biz. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gines. Legend says, when the moon is full, if you go out in the country by the lake and whisper the name of Nick Marota three times, his spirit will appear and he will grant you a product idea. Radio Shack has a great gift idea for the whole family. Fast action TV games and they're on sale. Get this six game model for $29.95 or the four game model for $21.95. With rising entertainment costs, that's a real bargain. You play hockey, tennis, squash and more. Easy to hook up and great family fun that lasts all year long. The sale price TV games. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy Company. Hi, I'm Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and other amazing games on the color computer. And you're listening to Stevie Stroh on Coco Talk. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Oompa Loompa Doopity Doo. <laughs> I've got a new Coco Thought just for you. Oompa loompa doompa dee dee. If you are wise, you won't listen to me. What is it like at the candy company? Conveyors everywhere, no sign of safety. Chased by Boris in his terrible hat. Can't avoid the licorice trap. It's a fur working bomb threat. OSHA, OSHA, shutting them down. No safety barriers made them go frown. Employees with injuries sued. Candy Dan indicted. Goopy doll, too. <laughs> that is bizarre. <laughs> Sounds like, like the movie. Show yourself. Oh, man. <laughs> High Score Challenge with Nick Marotta. All right, guys. Welcome to the Game On Results. We had another fantastic week this week. We're 24 participants. Alan Murphy, 250. David Ladd, 1751. Mark Bosley with 2300. Cat Lord with 5352. Brian Weezer, 5703. Paul Shoemaker, 5950. Rogelio Perea, 13153. Damon Beals, 17260. David Mitchell, 17, uh, 1731. 
Elkhurst Bro, 92259, Aaron, 2286 Joshua, 142706, and finally me with 214160. Nice. So thank you again for all the fantastic entries. Uh, uh, we had uh, 24 people, which is uh, which is a good turnout. And uh, yeah, so thank game you very on. much again. Yeah, game on. All right. Wow. What a turnout. And my God, Samuel Gimes. I did not think Samuel Gimes was going to be able to out uh, Gimes himself from the um, <laughs> from the Timberman one, but Samuel Gimes has out Gimes himself again. Uh, that was incredible, absolutely yes. incredible. And uh, I have to send a special shout out to Joshua getting 142,000. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. He's seven years old, ladies and gentlemen. So just remember that. That's right. I get and, my uh, butt he, kicked he, by a seven-year-old. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding us, Nick. Yeah, I'm just. I just <laughs> want to say I'm glad that Curtis Boyle was way down on the list in this game here. I feel so much better. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was a game I was never good at back in the day. Um, and to be honest, I didn't. I don't think I fully understood it. after watching some of the videos here just yesterday when I was kind of going through news and stuff here, and some of the tips that were going through in the chat in Discord. Uh, it, it it makes so much more sense now, and I think I probably would do better now if I tried again because I now know what some of the pieces do, like yeah. how the hourglass level works and all that kind of stuff, which I did not before. So right, pretty it's funny. Complex. Back in the day, I had no idea you could kill the the Boris as uh, Samuel called him. Uh, I just discovered that during this, but I did know about the hourglass and all that, and that's a pretty uh, neat. Uh, game mechanic, which a lot of people got tripped up on. Um, people thought getting the hourglass would make you lose your time, but what it actually did was flip the hourglass to the bottom. So you only wanted to get it when your hourglass was almost empty, so it would be almost full. But if you flipped it when it was almost full, it would become almost empty, and then you'd, you would die. So that's a pretty cool mechanic. Rather than just collecting time, uh, you had to be careful when you actually collected it. Yeah. Now, is there a surefire way to hop onto the platforms going up and yes. down? Because that's, that's a problem. If you if you pick the direction before you get to the platform and just hold it, it'll put you on the platform when it thinks it's the right time. Not and, always. And there are times when you have to actually pass the platform you want to go on. It depends on the direction the platforms are going. Um, if you're going a certain way, you have to actually pass the platform you want to go on to before it lets you on. So now, is there any to, rhyme or reason for that or that you know I'm pretty sure it was consistent. Like if the platform is going down and the one you're going to, I'm sure there were rules around it. I never figured them out, but I just basically held on to the direction and it became quite easy to go from platform to platform. And I was also using a digital, I found a control pad was, uh, was. Yeah. Cause Aaron was trying it on, on something I'll be mentioning the game on news later, but he had a live stream of Coco stuff and he was playing it a little bit. That's when he got his score that he submitted. And he seemed to figure out by the end, near the end of his game that it seems to work better on the diagonal to go on the up and down platform yeah, rather than straight up too. or straight down. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, there was the there were the pieces that made you get stuck, the taffy. Um, I think it was taffy. I'm not quite sure. I'm just calling it that. And then there was, of course, the uh, invincibility, which lets you kill the bad guys or, or get cherry bombs without dying. 
And I thought the other cool mechanic was when you touched Cupid doll, she'd, she'd come to life and would go around and collect points for you uh, if she didn't walk into a cherry bomb or something like that. And if you have uh, two players simultaneously, then one of you is Cupid doll, correct? Yes. One of you is Cupid doll and one of you is Canadian. And we actually had a couple of people in our community fall in love with Cupid doll this week. Um, Stevie was one of them, I believe. You guys got to fight over her, I think. Yeah. But, uh, shoot, how do I get rid of this? Okay. Uh, yeah, so any other thoughts on the game? Definitely, I like the original. fact it's an original game, yeah, completely. I, original. I don't know anything from the arcade like this. No, no, the fact that you've got the multiple layers moving, um, they get things in, in front of and behind things. There's a lot going on, it's a pretty busy screen. I've, I found every time a new screen started, I was trying to figure out where the hell I was. Like, which one of these things is me? There's so much stuff on the screen, you know. Um, Speaking of being an original game, that uh, that brings up, there was a, uh, Curtis had an interesting email conversation with uh, the author, David Clark, uh, mm-hmm. who also wrote Colorpede, Robotac, uh, and Grand Prix. And he had said, after we put out Robotac for the Coco, Williams Electronics wrote us a cease and desist letter. I decided to pull the game to avoid a lawsuit. George Harris wrote an incredible version of Pac-Man for the Coco, but halfway through, I decided not to put it out there for the same reason. Instead, I had him develop an original game, which never made it. So there was a version of Pac-Man out there that apparently would have been really good, but they didn't publish it for, uh, for fear of being sued. Another interesting thing he said was Candy Company was an original game idea. It was technically very good, but it took too long to write and it took too much memory. And it was not what people were looking for. You should have stuck with with arcade lookalikes. Hmm. So that statement actually made me kind of sad because I thought Candy Company was a, a good game. And yeah, I remember back in the day wanting to look, wanting games that were uh, similar to the arcade because people wanted to you know play at home and save money. But at, that would have been at the expense of some original games that we mm-hmm. have now, and I hope we appreciate with a different uh, different lens. Yeah, I can think of a couple like Double Back and Firecopter were some pretty original games that the, that was one of the fun things about playing those games back in the day was that there wasn't anything like that. It wasn't like anything else. And, um, yeah, it was always nice when you had something like Donkey King or Zaxxon where you could show your friends, hey, my my computer can be just as good as your computer when it comes to the things you know. But, you know, Dungeons of Daggerath being pretty original. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. Uh, Actually, another intracolor game, uh, Willie's Warehouse, which is one of my favorites. is one yeah. I would have picked over Candy Co. myself. But Yeah, so... Um, yeah, thankfully, man. he spelled intracolor correctly. <laughs> Color. And uh, the woman's voice in the intro was his fiance. Mm, fiance. Yeah. Um, well, I knew this one was kind of off the beaten path. I had this as a teen, and, um, but I never really heard people talking about it very much. So I knew it was going to be a game that a lot of people weren't necessarily familiar with. And, uh, but I really wanted to do an original game. Like, I like to mix up between ports and uh, original games. So I, I want to choose something that was uh, uh, a little more original. Now, I never actually played Willie's Warehouse, so I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, uh, that'll definitely yeah. be a contender for the future. And then we got a couple um, of good suggestions from Retro Rick. Rick Rick Kelly emailed us a few things. Yes, those have been definitely noted, and I've tried them out, and they're definitely on the list. Okay. Um, yeah. 
So just out of curiosity, I think you've mentioned this when we were talking on Discord, for, but for the folks listening at home right now, what is inside? Just hold on real quick. Real, let me just go back to something real quick. Let's let's bring up the picture of dreamy Nick Marota here. What's in that gorgeous head of yours when you think about um, what games to pick? You know, what's your... Um, What's your go-to for that? Um, how do you come up with, you know? Well, basically, uh, I want to alternate between uh, a couple different factors: genres, mm-hmm. Coco Two versus Three, and original versus port. Okay. So, I, so basically, I try to alternate, uh, and then yeah, I try. So I try to alternate between those and pick games that uh, I think are, uh, you know, good. Right. I mean, there's, right. there's a lot of. I mean, there's games out there that. Uh, uh, there's a lot of games out there I don't know either, so I appreciate getting suggestions as well. Sure, sure. And oftentimes I'll hear somebody mention a game in Discord, you know, one of us or or somebody mm-hmm. else who will send in a message like uh, Retro Rick did. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely welcome suggestions because I don't know all the games that are out there. I'm just going by what I enjoyed mm-hmm. as a teenager. Um, right. Or at least was aware of as a teenager. Now, did you, do you still officially take bribes for games as well? Or? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I take Checking. kickbacks. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. nice that's well, why yeah. I got Malcolm Mortar in there I'll just have you all know So exactly, it's, it was a fun game and I spent more time that night we did this live stream playing this game than I probably did the entire time I owned the game back in the day so that's one thing I like about the challenge is that we'll sometimes spend more time on a game than we ordinarily would have you know so and kind of follow up on that thought Steve this is a game that I did play back as a teen didn't really get it that much, so I didn't play it that often. I you know, played it more than a couple hours, but I never was very good at it. But watching what other people have done and what some of the mechanics actually are once people figured out you know, how the taffy works and how the bombs work and how the hourglass mm. works, this is one I will revisit in the future because yeah. now I have a better understanding of what I'm supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Good pick, Nick. Thank you. And again, P- thanks for a fantastic... Uh, he said picnic. Picnic, yes. <laughs> I was very pleased with the turnout of, 24, of uh, 24 scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a special shout out to the Croker family. We have David and both his daughter and son took part this week. Yeah, great job. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, we, we really like that the families are uh, taking part as well. Cool. So are you going to reveal next week's game? All right, so I was I wanted to do a so since we did an original game this week, I wanted to do a port next week, uh, or conversion of an arcade game. So next week's challenge will be Galaga. Oh, Galagon. which okay. is a clone of Galaga. There is a hacked version that has almost infinite lives, so we need to make sure we find the non-hacked version with just three lives, right? I believe this one. Uh, yeah. Is the one on the website that most of us know to go to get software? Is that the uncracked one? I believe so. Okay. I believe so. I'll double check, but yes. Okay. So yeah, standard standard three life game. Yes. This I, one, I played it. I played it. I played it off the SDC and I believe it had the three lives. Okay. This would be interesting to see how this would do on the Coco 3 double speed poke to see if it's frame locked and you can maybe get a few more cycles out of steering and shooting and stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's that's our game yeah. of the week for this week. A little yeah. bit of background. It's by Spectral Associates, of course, uh, by Brett Keaton, as you saw. Brett and his brother, uh, who are the BK and TK, or TDK, uh, did a lot of Spectral games. Some yeah. of them they did individually, and some of them they actually did together. Like Lunar Rover Patrol was one that two brothers worked on simultaneously. So they're kind of like the Thayer brothers of the old era. Ah, yeah, Lunar Rover Patrol. 
Yeah, this this is a really good port with the uh, parallaxing star field. It's got all the challenging stages. It's got all the stuff that the original had. So an, another great stellar uh, Coco arcade clone. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, thanks again for making the segment uh, work out. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Do we have Game On news with Al Kurtz? You Boy? bet. All right. Game on! Yeah, game on! <laughs> Explorer VR says soon both Nicks will have Ferraris. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> okay, so this, this screen that's showing up right now is not actually the game right. being demoed here, but Marlon Lee released one more Coco video this week, and it's like we said before, it's really glad to have Marlon back in the thing. <clears throat> so in this case, he did Demon Seed which is a Phoenix clone from the arcade. Hey, guys. Today we have... Uh, and for those of you who have not played Phoenix Demon Seed or the arcade clone, there's five Phoenix. stages, and the Cocoa version has all Phoenix five, including clone, the, the mothership at the Phoenix end. Clone, a very faithful Phoenix clone. Absolutely. Uh, there it is. There's the mothership. Phoenix. And he actually won it. Nice. Beat you know, beat it, and then it wraps back. Course it gets hard. Well, hopefully that'll be in the game on challenge too. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be a pretty cool one to have. If in only there. we, if only we were personal friends with the guy running that show. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. Get it. <laughs> Any if only we could afford the bribes properly. Yeah, and so. just <laughs> yeah, and just so you know, like I say, uh, the reason why we're asking Nick how he makes his decisions is that most of the time we have no idea what game he's going to pick. I think the only times we have a small clue is when we're doing a kind of a cross promotion with the Amigos guys and whatever game they had done that week we might try to cross pollinate there but um with a few exceptions none of us have ever known what the game was going to be so yeah in in the early days when i was kind of helping nick launch the the segment i i would sometimes have a bit of inside knowledge then too and i wouldn't i wouldn't cheat i wouldn't play the game before the actual you know release time when everybody officially knew it but uh, now he's keeping me completely in the dark and i have, have no idea what he's doing so. you must be a mushroom yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a sorting hat. And you notice my my placement's been going down as that's happened. So, <laughs> yeah, good kept, point. Oh, kept kept him a dark and kept him a dark and fed with crap. Yep. <laughs> it's a mushroom. Davey hey, Mitchell. next up, Davy Mitchell, who's uh, Daft Spaniel on uh, GitHub. What I thought's a really cool name. I uh, posted a link to a disc image here, which contains multiple Coco games. Uh, most of which are in base. Well, they're all in basic, but most of them are 10 lines or less. So he's got a bunch of these little mini games and he's got a little menu system that you can see. Um, so there's a list of yeah, the, uh, the lines, the 10 liner ones. Mm-hmm. So the 10 lines. he's got it available. For he's got a couple of bigger games. He's got an adventure game that he's put on there as well. And then, then there's a card game called pig, which I think we covered probably about a year ago. So it's it's a nice little thing to to download and a you know, quick little basic games and you know you know, lowers graphics and some but some pretty good stuff on there for basic especially for a program that small I mean most of these will run in 4K so um, if you want to check that out the disk image is here on uh, GitHub just a single disk image with the entire thing okay thank you Davy Mitchell uh, Terry Steggy. Actually, both Carlos Camachos and Terry Steggy had some pretty interesting conversations on Facebook this week about cartridge label designs mm-hmm. from Tandy. Um, so the first story that came out was from Terry, and this is one I didn't know about either. I knew there was at least two labels uh, for the downline cartridges. There's the original one on the bottom you can see here, I mean, yeah. which is the original 
it's in Coco Green now. Yeah, what yeah. the heck happened there? You lost your R and your G. Yeah. Oh, you R and B. Maybe just escape yeah, out of it and bring it back up. Yeah, that's, lost, that's weird. Lost R and B. Okay. Looks like it was highlighted or something. Yeah, it's highlighted. See if you can click on the text over there and highlight something else. Curtis, you and your damn Mac. It's your problem right there. Yeah, I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. Oh, well. I'll yeah, just leave it did. here. <laughs> so anyway, the bottom, the bottom one's the very first version, 1.0. Now, there was two versions of the software as well. 1.0 was the original cartridge for the Cocoa 1 and 2. And then when the Cocoa 3 came out, it did not work. It actually would crash. So they did a revised one. And we usually be, were able to tell by the label, the top one in this picture is the one I knew to recognize that it would have the 1.1 version. And that was Cocoa 3 and Cocoa 1 and 2 compatible. The one in the middle, though, I've never seen before. It's got a different font. It's got the Tandy logo shifted up and mm-hmm. the uh, catalog number shifted up. And I didn't know there was three versions of labels for any of these. Is that a phenomenon anybody else has seen before in any other card? Was that the last one? Is that the last one they did after they were starting to close down? I don't know. Uh, production. It's a pretty, it's a pretty budget-looking uh, label. That middle one. Yeah. yeah. I'd have yeah, to I see have... what the actual, fo- the picture part on the front of the label looks like to be. I have the top two of those. The middle label has the same picture as the top. It's just smaller. Um, so, like the image. The doesn't bottom grab. one. I I used to play a downland, and the the things, the prizes or whatever, were a different size, and I was kind of disappointed when it was reissued and everything was bigger and it. I don't know if the hit range was bigger, but it just looked. I you know you've mentioned that, but I don't think it was Downland. It might have been the other one, Cave Walker, which was the kind of unofficial sequel. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll have to look. But I do remember all three of these labels, and I have the top two now, but I don't have the one that's on the bottom with the original. Hmm. Hmm. Now, the, one thing one odd on the about bottom. the labels I want to point out, too, is that if you look at the copyright notices on the labels, the original one is copyright 1984. The later ones are copyright 1983. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that is. I, I know that a lot of games that Tandy mm-hmm. sold were you know, written a year or two before they actually got released, and they'd just sit in limbo for a while getting approved or whatever. So maybe that's the well, case. So where that, they went back that, to that bottom label might have been a reprint of the first run that maybe had said 83. Maybe they changed the date on it. You know, maybe they had multiple runs of that label. And or the, the rework came from an earlier version of the program yeah, hard to say but yeah the, the, if you're into collecting that is kind of neat where you can get some of these variants of the same thing um yeah I, for me the odd thing is the 1.0 version I t- has i'll the tell you later why. copyright I, date the I, 1.0 version has the earlier copy okay do you see where the downland is in white on that bottom cartridge that yep. to me that's like a second run of these because i've got some cartridges where i have two of the same cartridge and sometimes like on typing tutor the where it says downland that would be red because it matched the graphic on the top of the cartridge, but in some second runs, it would be the same cartridge with the graphic on top, but the, the label would be a generic white. Like I think I've got some Dungeons of Dagrass like that too, where the 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 title is in white because it's a second issue, but the first run was in red. So this might be a second run of that label design, and that's why it says '84, and that's why it's in white and not in blue. Uh, I'm guessing, but I've seen stuff like that where they've done on that first design on the bottom they've done multiple runs and in the future runs they got more generic and less colorful on the spine you know so okay 
I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. Different no, copyright dates and yeah. three different label designs. I've known of quite a few that had two, but I didn't know of any of three. And, and Jason has found some of the ones where they're literally a generic label with dot matrix printing on them, wherever it came from that. Yeah, I think that thing. was the express order after yeah, the Coke was yeah. discontinued. Yeah, so it's like if you want. I, I got a question <laughs> since we're talking about these cartridges. Yes, the, um, I know someone else uh, outside of Tandy made a red one, but did Tandy ever produce a colored? cartridge i don't think not so. that i know of yeah. no they're always black yeah they were always they're black, black yeah. that was pretty okay. standard for all 8-bit systems at the time all cartridges seemed to be black although i take that back nes were gray super nes were gray but most cartridges were black the uh orchestra 90 cc was gray oh yeah that was that would kind of became the coco one color the kind of platinum ish color yeah Ooh. Yeah, I think some of the uh, the uh, hardware cartridges, like like you said, the Orchestra 90, the Speech Sound Pack too, is also I yeah, think, I believe that gray, was so. white. Yeah, yeah. But as far as game cartridges, just ROM cartridges, I think they're all black from Tandy, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. And then, not an hour later, after this was originally posted, another topic about uh, cartridges came from Carlos Camacho's, and he was uh, talking about that the original car- Coco cartridges, when they came out, had a unique look to them; they were stylized. With that 3D box shadow, so you'd have your logo of whatever in the middle, mm-hmm. and then you have these diagonal lines to make it look like a 3D thing, and they all look the same. And then later on, they totally changed and became a free-for-all type thing, and he's actually one that thought that the stylized looked better. Yeah. He said, you know, I apologize to the artist, but the, he thinks it became terrible, in my opinion. It's like they fired the graphics artist and gave color pencils to elementary school kids to make the label. <laughs> <That's, laughs> Tell us how harsh. you really feel. That's, that's a little harsh. <laughs> a little bit harsh. Derby, in, in well, his honest opinion, is perhaps the ugliest label. That one is pretty bad, I have to Well, agree. so here's an interesting... Don Pan? Yeah, so there's, there's Ron Delva holding up uh, Audio Spectrum Analyzer. So they had that 3D printed thing, right? That 3D angle, uh, almost like the Schoolhouse Rock looking logo, that style. Yeah, see? Now, hold, turn it on its side again, Ron, where we can see the labels blue. Yeah, you see how the spine has got the blueprint? Uh, where the title's in a blue oh, background. Yeah, right. So I've seen those yeah. where the original run was in a color that matched the cover, but then a future run, they just made it a generic white. But you see how the cover's got the blue background and the spine has the blue yeah. background. So t- I'm going to call that like the the, the 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 Gen 1, right? So the Gen 1 uh, TRS-80 game cartridges all had a color spine that matched the color label. And then future ones got very generic where it still said TRS-80, but it was white. Like I've got some color baseballs with a blue spine and a white spine. So, and that might be where that um, 1984 came from as the second run of the first generation design, you know. Um, probably a, probably a cost, yeah. you know, obviously no. a cost-cutting measure, mm. you know, printing with less colors, especially back then, would have been less expensive, I guess. And they were cutting costs on everything. Like, you know, okay. the original, when the Coco 1 came out, it was like, what, $500 or something, and then 100 bucks for the Coco 2. So mm. maybe it's something to do with that. Look how used this thing is. Yeah. That's before they went to gold contacts. Too. Yeah. Now, now as far as the stylized, I mean, it, it was stylized, but it almost looks old-fashioned, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Now? Yeah. So do you think they made the right decision in making it a bit more free that you know artists could make a, a more wide-ranging decision on what to make the cartridge if, look like? Obviously not hitting it every time, but... I think the downline well, was nice. on the artwork. Yeah, downline was nice. That bigger, wider picture on downline was a nice yeah, artwork. Yeah, some of the artwork was okay, but some of it was like... What was it, Don Pan and was it Car Wars or something like that? Oh, I don't remember. Demolition Derby's probably Demolition Derby. I, I got to tell you, the weird thing is when you put it in the car, the cartridge in the MPI, 
you you don't you don't see the label. See. Yeah, you see the back. Yeah, of it. you see they it. never put yeah. anything on the back. You don't have yeah. to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, when Rick Adams released a bomb threat on cartridge format, his son Joel did a lot of research into the art style and the colors and the printing technologies and stuff. So the bomb threat cartridge, the artwork that, and it's on the same thing for the CD cover, the, the style and the, and the imagery he came up with. You got one show us. Was, I don't, it's, I was just looked around. It's not nearby, but um, it's, it's inspired by the original Tandy design. So Rick Adams, bomb threat, Joel, who is a very artistic person really looked into that and recaptured that spirit with bomb threat. So, yeah. I mean, myself personally, I do like the fact they had a stylized standard. Yeah. But the images within that standard usually didn't impress me that much. They were a bit too stylized. Like they almost were abstract in some cases, like Checker Man. King and Chess. So I, I would have preferred the pictures of, you know, like Downland House, which mm. actually kind of explains the game better. Yeah. But leave that 3D thing just to make it sort of a Tandy label standard or something. Yeah. I would prefer to combo myself. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, this has a. Uh radio like yeah but, but yeah. it has headphones yeah and uh, the bars yeah so you get the idea the picture yeah. sells it yeah yeah and in some cases on the old style of ones it, it did work but on other ones it didn't yeah like dino much. wars you got it you saw two big dinosaurs like trying to bite each other so you you kind of yeah. knew what it was going on so pretty obvious yeah yeah all right interesting discussion and that's something to think about for people who are maybe going to design future products you know and next up, this just happened last night. Uh, Aaron decided to do a live Cocoa stream, so we just went through and picked some games. I think uh, Nick Brandes was in on the chat for a bit there. I was in on the chat. Frodo, who's in our chat right now, was on there as well. So we just went through and picked some. He picked some arcade clones. I you know, tried to pick a few oddball ones. Uh, he did try Willie's Warehouse. It was one of the ones because we, we okay. were talking about Candy Company and stuff. So it's it's over an hour, so I'm not going to play it here, but uh, just go catch it on their uh, page on Twitch. And he's planning on doing some more Cocoa streams in the future as well. So Nice. Um, I try to announce them in the Discord, on our Discord, that if he's about to do one of these streams or if he's just started one, I'll actually throw it into the generic games okay, channel. Games channel, okay. So if you guys monitor that channel a little bit and you see a little pop-up, and then it's uh, telling you there's a stream starting. And then you guys can get on their chat on Twitch and actually give suggestions or tips or whatever. Yeah, too, so. yeah. I was thinking about doing something similar on the uh, on the Cocoa Pie, but after cutting the grass, my arms were like rubber. I'm like, I can't play any games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Curtis. Yeah. Uh, um, how m just for kicks or for trivia's sake, how much uh, how in quantity... Um, how many megabytes of um, Cocoa software is there in the world, do you think? How many megabytes of what? How many megabytes, megabytes of, of Cocoa software? Oh, God. Um, just just taking a stab at it. One one point uh, twenty one terabytes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it depends, I guess, because um, some of the, like, the OS 9... Sierra games and stuff can actually get quite big. Like those are like, you know, some of those are six, seven hundred K by, you know, a single game. Actually have a couple of them are even bigger than that. Like up to a meg. So um I suppose you're gonna tell us. Do you know the answer, Ron? No, I do not. Um I you know, I think of the um archive, you know, it's fairly good size. Mm -hmm. And there's yeah, that's including bank bank stuff. books and magazines and stuff too, though. So that's that's yeah. I can't really use Let's that. Take a lot of space. Well the STC image is one like a gig. Yeah, I guess if you're including all software, not just games, like if you're including productivity software and music software and everything else, yeah, it's probably pretty close. And the but archive's not complete. There's stuff missing. 
Yep. I'm, yeah. Good I'll, question. I'm just throwing it out of my ass because I really don't know, but I'll say, yeah, well, it sounds do, great. Do you think um, several gigabytes? Well, for sure, Apple and um, Commodore's uh, much more extensive than that, or could it be sim- similar? I, I'd say Comm- Commodore was such a huge market. I mean, they sold 30 million mm. or whatever it was over the course of multiple yeah. years. And Apple, because it was such an old platform starting in 77 or 75, you want to count the Apple One. 77. Well, Apple Two, yeah. Apple One was yeah. 75. And I mean, Integer Basic worked on both, so you can even go back that yeah. far. And they kept selling it through the GS in what, 93, 94, or whatever the heck it was. So 93 is when they finished the Platinum. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like five years longer running than us. Um, so their their library would definitely be bigger too. So um, the Atari 8 bit. I mean, we don't really know what Coco sales are, but that would probably be closer in size of the market. And they were primarily games. They did have some productivity software, but I think we did a lot better on the utility productivity side compared to the Atari 8-bit line. So, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I wish I wish Tandy would just release the friggin' figures already. I don't know why it's such mm-hmm. a big state secret. <laughs> okay. And then the last batch here, um, Cuthbert, Dragon has been just pumping out the videos this week. And I there's a bunch I highlighted here. I'm not going to play them all because you know, we have a pretty big discussion topic coming up. So there's a few there. I'm going to try to pick a few here that we probably haven't seen before or we've seen very poorly. Like there's a couple that you know we saw really grainy video footage of. Uh, but I'll try to pick a few here that are quite different. A lot of these are Cocoa ports. So let's skip. This is one I'd not seen before. This one's called Jaws. Oh, look at that. You got a scuba dude who, who stares in different angles. That's cool. I tell you, that's one more thing I'm looking forward to doing, because after I go through my MC-10 uh, phase, I want to get into my dragon phase. Oh, look at that. He's dropping freaking bombs on a shark. <laughs> oh, and you got to pull stuff out of the water. No freaking lasers <laughs> here. Yeah. Are they all fishing? Oh, he's rescuing he's people from the water with the ladders. Oh, and the shark just pulled a guy down. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's this is really one I've cool. never seen before. No, never even heard of. No, this is cool. This is kind of violent. Yeah. By violent, you mean awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, I like. Oh, shit. There, the shark just got him. Oh, sorry, dude. Sorry, there was dude. no um there was no warning before they played this. <laughs> was no, what is what the hell's down. firing at him? Was that like other stuff? I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen instructions for that one yet. I wow. was actually because Jays are coming up fairly soon in my That is uh, uh this is like very James Bond where you're underwater shooting at shit and there's shit shooting back at you. That's a total James Bond thing right there. Um <laughs> That yeah, so that was cool. an interesting one. I've never seen that one before, so I'm going to try to find that one and see if it's Coco compatible or not. Ooh, a Phoenixy looking game here. What's this one called? This one's called Creepies. Creepies. P mode 4, obviously no color, so it's, it's, it's set up for the dragon specifically for that, but uh, not a bad looking little game. No, that's Sound cool. Sound effects are pretty cool. Right. The poppy sounds. There's oh, a yeah. little bit of color. Back yeah, you're getting some uh, POW artifacting on the vertical lines, I think, there. Yeah, plus reflection mm. in the screen from yeah. the window behind them. but The unpredictable purple and green of yeah. uh, <laughs> that affecting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that was one I had not seen before. Yeah. And uh, this is another version of Boulder Dash. We've now got, I think, we've got Stone Raiders 2. Uh, what's the one from uh, Bouncing Boulders? And now this one here called Boulder Crash. 
Boulder Crash Man. Which I'd not seen before. Oh, yeah. Total power artifacting there, huh? Oh, you got a, he's got a ghost behind him. Look out, dude. There's a ghost behind you, dude. <laughs> Zoinks. Zoinks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That looks good. Would he have got away with it with it if it weren't for the Look at all the kids? diamonds in there. <laughs> yeah, because Bouncing Boulders was a real freaking p rick when it came to the diamonds, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize we, the dragon had more clones of Boulder Dash than the Coco. Yeah. Wow. The Stone Raiders 2 is an, actually a pretty good version of it as well. And I don't know if there's a Stone Raiders 1, so... So that was another one I had not seen before. Nice. Uh, this is another one, Caverns of Chaos, and the, it shows at the start here the black hole level. Caverns. And the dragons seem to name their screens more often than we did. Caverns of Chaos. That's Coco Talk, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, okay, so that's the first level. So you're level. the dude up in the top right. You got, you got like a freaking UFO with a beanie propeller on it. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Oh, he hole. looks like an astronaut. Oh, I love that. Like that black hole. Yeah. I don't know if it performs gravity or not. I couldn't quite tell from the oh, game. Oh, you got a key. Video, the sound effects get pretty annoying pretty quickly. I think I would turn the speaker off on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but yet another one I've never seen. Before. No. The sound effects sound a little like uh, some of the early Spectrum games. Yeah. yeah, or the AGD, which is being based on the Spectrum as well. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Uh, oh. Dicky Spaceman's one I've never seen before. <laughs> Crikey, it's Dicky Spaceman. <laughs> hey, hey, it's <laughs> And this one you got to refuel your ship. Okay. Look at SpaceX. SpaceX. Oh, <laughs> this is um, it's the Dragon. <laughs> GB one. What the yeah. <laughs> freaking hell is going on this here? Is, this is a clone of a Spectrum game. Okay. Um, it's loud AF. Can you turn that down? Yeah, this is Jetpack. Holy Jetpack? Yeah. Jetpack for the yeah. Spectrum, yeah. Okay. That is yeah, wicked cool. loud. You drop the pieces of the ship, and then oh, you Oh, you have to put your ship back together. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, it's and then refuel it. Yeah. Okay. Was that Jetpack Willy or something is what it was called, or just Jetpack? No, Jetpack yeah, Willy is different than this. Okay. Oh, there's your fuel. And you actually watch it will fill up the ship a little bit here when it hits. Oh, <laughs> oh, so they keep falling until your ship is full. Oh. Jetpack clone mm. is what Mike Miller says. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a very fun game. At least the, the original yeah, Spectrum I, was one of the... Okay, that's cool. I, I haven't seen the original Spectrum okay, one here. So, so. You yeah, fill that, it up that again. was a very popular game. Yeah. Cool. He's got, he's got a little jet under his butt. Yeah, man. <laughs> He's got a jetpack. Imagine that. Yeah. I'll skip a He's couple of these caverns. Of from his belly button. <laughs> caverns of Doom, uh, White Cliffs of Dover, Fishy Business, Lost in Space, Franklin's Team Wings of War, Mortal Strainer, all adventure games. They have nice layouts and stuff, but there's nothing really to... You know, go down to the one that says Copta Snatch. That title screen... Oh, I'll be getting to that one. We okay. have seen it once before, but not, not with really good quality. That is, I'll do this uh, uh, Mission XK1 first. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. XK1. It's really good. And this is kind of a clone of Lunar Rescue, except you're mining instead of just rescuing people. Oh. Which is kind of an innovative thing. And they actually do fairly decent graphics when that happens. 
I love Steve, the... you sound like a kid in a candy store. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have some of that candy too. Yeah, man. Lunar Lander. <laughs> oh. With a twist, though, as you'll see shortly. Oh, now what's going on? Oh, oh you got to mine down. Got some honey. Yeah, and rather below. than rescuing humans, you have to. I mean, the rest of the game plays like Lunar Rescue in the arcade, but. Uh, nice to get back there's up to a the game top, that huh? plays exactly like this. With the mining? Yeah, well, not. I don't know about the mining, but the having to take come back up and bl- bring stuff up. Okay. Yeah, Lunar Rescue by Tato is the arcade game. 79, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh, crap. Oh, man. That's neat. I like what they've done here. They have the blue for the background, so it's not that god-ugly green, green. background for a space <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Which now, that doesn't I... mean Nick Morandis won't complain about the border still being green. But... Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like tapping into whatever's down there, right? Yeah, like it's a, it's mining for a certain yeah. strata of ore or something. I don't know what the details are, but yeah, it's an interesting take on the lunar rescue. Yeah, you know, I have one. been for a long time. I've been wanting to get a setup where I could record straight from a CRT. But you see how he's got the glare and the reflections. It's hard enough to get a camera to make the screen not look blurry or phase shifted out of sync with the waviness. But then you got to deal yeah. with reflections and so many other things. But I would love yep, to. The pursuit of the perfect CRT screen grab is like the holy grail of something I'd like to be able to do with videos at some point in time. In the old days, Stevie, they yeah. actually have like a like a um, a cone that goes over it that fits over uh, the monitor to yeah, cut out okay. your side glare. And they, they charged a lot of money for that cone. Yeah, yep, they, used they to did use stuff like that for like taking your picture for your license. Yeah, the cheap the shot back in the day. The other thing you can do, Stevie, that I've done in the past is go into a dark room. Yeah. Uh, and then turn down the brightness on the screen, and then yeah. you can yep. camera like that. And further back, yeah. makes it more flat. We're gonna stick an umbrella over the top of the monitor, and the umbrella will keep your reflections away. Off okay. the ceiling, yep. Diffuse the light, yep. Yeah, yeah. So this year's Cop to Snatch, which is kind of a scramble-style game, but it's done in semi-graphics. Yeah. So you get a lot of color, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. No green border. No green border. This will now work on the Cocoa 3 with the Gimme X, just to let you know. So. Hmm. But quite a well done one. I mean, it's kind yeah. of like, it reminds you of Early Bird Run. but uh, Yeah, very scrambly. Yeah. A lot more colorful with the, the semi-graphics mode. This this game needs a theme song. Copta, Copta Snatch, coming at you with the Copta Snatch, oh yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it's a totally unrelated subject to me. Not at all. Not at all. No subtext. Sure. Aaron says it's a chunky super cobra meets choplifter. <laughs> hey, I resemble that chunky remark there. <laughs> now, this is one we have seen once before, but it was a really taken from far away on a real CTRT, and it was kind of a crappy video of Star Swoop. Another semi graphics game, but the rotation of the TIE fighters coming in in semi graphics actually. Oh, looks wow, look at that. And there you got your stars in the back. Oh, that is neat. Yeah. That's cool. Now, the game itself is fairly simple, but uh, it's yeah. another, like, the dragon seemed to have a, did a lot more semi-graphics probably because they yeah, didn't it looks the like the stars game. are blinking, too. Yep. Looks um, kind of in television. Yeah, like Astro Smash, kind of. Yeah, that's good. Well done. Yep, so that's a cool one. Bleep, 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 
blah, 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 blah. If I Desperado Dan's yeah. one I don't think I've seen before. If I ever do a game in assembly, I want it to not sound like every other annoying sound I've ever heard on a <laughs> game before. You want to create a whole new... And a whole new level sound, of huh? annoying sounds, yes. <laughs> Never isn't before heard. Some of, yeah. Isn't it amazing some of the waveforms? Some are more pleasant to your ear than others. Yeah. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's a basically an obstacle course platformer. So okay. What is he riding? Is he riding one of those yeah, freaking what the heck scooters? Is that guy riding? It's like one of those <laughs> mall no cop scooters or something. I don't know. Dude with no eyes. Uh-huh. Uh, Jet boot no Colin. I don't know uh, if that's a port from Colin Specky or, or something. Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a jet boot in my colon, man. Oh no, never. It is Colin. Uh, okay. <laughs> Is that Cuthbert or Cuthbert or whatever? Cuthbert. Yeah, it's Cuthbert. Yep, that's Cuthbert. Cuthbert. I think that's the same Cuthbert. thing as that one game that was called, what, uh, Bandit O? Yeah, yeah. Bandit O. Cuthbert and Bandit O. <laughs> Holy sound overload, Batman. This kind of reminds me of Bomb Threat because you have bombs with the timer ticking down in yeah, the middle of them. Yeah, true. And of course, every level you get like different platforms. Honestly, one of the best sound designers for the Coco was Ken Callis. He had some really neat sounds and some really distinct sounding games. Anyway, it's it's another standard game there. I'll I'll give it this. It's unique. Yeah. Of all the games written for the Dragon, that was this is one of them. This is one of them. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, is Brock's that a semi-graphic Cubert uh, 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 game down there? Pogo yes, it Joe? is. Let's That's one that. of the ones I'll be highlighting. Let's see. That. Well, I'll get there. Just a second. Hold on your horses. <laughs> on. Oh, actually, I'll do a Morbid Mansion first, I think. Morbid Mansion. Welcome to Morbid Mansion. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Good luck. Good luck in the Morbid Mansion. Uh, this looks like this isn't basic, huh? Yeah. Nice flickery. It's a little Donkey Kong-ish. Yeah, it's a platformer. Yeah. Welcome to the girders. Okay, nice fonts. Oh, I even played the... Um, yeah. In that case, he opened a chest which had a whole bunch of treasures, yes. not just one, yeah. which is kind of neat. You don't see that too yeah. often in arcade games. No. There's a key. Chris Chris Poacher on Facebook said that that intro sound for JBC was done by Sharper by Shard Software. With Shaper by Shard Software. Okay. Oh, okay. Program. Shaper? Yeah, probably. Okay, so you use the yellow key to open the yellow door. Save keys to open doors. Um, Now, that's neat. This is really nice looking for basic. Oh, there's a pack dude in there, a pack ghost. Okay. Yeah, so basically a lot of different platforms. Yeah, this is really good for a basic game. Get gold bar. Do, do, yeah. do, 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 and and once again, the dragons when they did these platformers, they always named their rooms, which we never really saw. I know the guy that did Downland, Michael Eichmeier, he actually said he had named the rooms, but he couldn't fit it on the ROM cartridge because Tandy said no bigger than eight K. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tandy! Oh, that was one. Tandy and your penny mising. Okay, this is Brock's kingdom. Rock Kingdom, the place where it's basically a maze game, game again, where you're trying to you know, manipulate and get guns and stuff like that. Yeah. So, 
Where are you going, Brock? Around the outside. Oh, this reminds me of Seamus a little bit. Kind of Seamus y, yeah. Okay. Okay, where did I leave off? Here? Aaron says that's kind of a European thing. Many uh, <laughs> yeah, ZX games name their rooms, for example. I want to see that damn semi-graphics Qbert. Quit teasing me, Curtis. Get to the Qbert. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Oh, look at that drive ratings. Pogo Joe. Press any key. Enter your name. But only six characters. Select your screen. Select your level. Wow. We got lots of customizable abilities here. Okay. Start... Speed is good. The kind of bouncy, springy look of everything. That's yeah, pretty And your good. different screens have different maze layouts. Like, it's not okay. all triangle, just repeating. Yeah. This is a really good implementation of Qbert and a good use of multiple colors here that you wouldn't get uh, on your normal... I'm that. Yeah. Yeah, the colors look good. Colors. Lovely colors here. Chris Posher also said that Blabby games were done in Oasis Basic and compiled. Oh, I'm not familiar with oh. Oasis Basic. Oasis Basic, yeah. I'm not familiar with that. I'm, There's some no, color can, for you. No, look at, us, cool. look at all that color. Lots of colors here. Neat. Neat. Yep, so that was a cool one. I got a couple more I want to show. Uh, vultures. Oh, is this a game about lawyers? <laughs> and politicians <laughs> it's kind of a galaxian style game in some ways but not quite okay i got you rewinded a bit here so you have these eggs were kind of wandering around but only one launches at a time as soon as you kill the previous one okay kind of demon attack ish yeah and then those top eggs are a special breed that kind of mutate before they come down. Ooh. So, yeah, a little bit of Phoenix, shades of Phoenix going on there. Alexander Wallace is there. Hey. It was kind of an interesting take yeah, on the Galaxian thing. Uh, I think the first Freddy we've okay, seen Okay, what's the name so. of this person on YouTube again that we're looking at? This is Cuthbert Dragon. Cuthbert Dragon. Lots of great stuff here to look at. Yeah, just only a couple more I'm going to show you, and then I'm pretty yeah. well done. So, thank you, Cuthbert, for your oh, a shooting gallery. Yeah, this one's a little bit different because shooting gallery usually just has everything static. This actually kind of wraps and they come down oh, at you. Oh, look at that! That is neat. What is that? A slice of bread or something, or is that an owl? Looks like a slice of bread. What do you got going on here? I'm getting hungry. I need a sandwich. Yeah, it might be moldy. You never know. <laughs> where's, the, where's the hamburgers and the sausages? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, a different, different game mechanic because usually they just straight scroll across yeah, and multiple yeah, levels. This actually neat. comes down at you for three levels. So. Yeah, I was oh, even was thinking that a shooting gallery game might be kind of fun to pull off on the Coco VGA with just definable character sets. You yeah, know? actually, it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, right. Hey, Fearless Freddy, I think we've looked at before. Pitfin, we've looked at before. I can't remember if we saw this one or not. Cuthbert Dragon. Does anybody reach out to him to see if we can get him on the show? L Driver. This is French for Le Driver. Uh, like, like, or Spanish. El Driver means the driver, right? So, El Driver. Ooh, me likey. It's, uh, yeah, most driving games are vertical, so it's nice to see the horizontal. Mm. Where's the catch? Where's the catch? 
slightly slightly <laughs> less annoying sound. So you got to pick stuff up. Yeah. So what's the family balls. sedan doing with the uh, Grand Prix cars? Yeah. Uh. Well, that's why you had the granny option as one of your levels, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's in 100%, 100% machine language and yeah. basic. And basic. <laughs> that's neat. Nice yeah, thing to many horizontal um, drivers. A couple of educational games. We'll skip those. Yeah, uh, who needs to learn anything? I don't learn blah, anything. blah, blah. Knowledge. <laughs> knowledge, knowledge. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Knowledge, smell For all the kids out there, don't listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Learning's for losers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You'll end up like sure. us, kid. That's right. Do, do I, what I say, not what I do. <laughs> yeah. I think I, that's pretty well the only ones I wanted to really. That's neat. Here. I, I'm going to have to. There's a few other, time. like I said, adventure games. There's a few other arcade games, too. You can also see the Dragon versions with the P Mode 3 graphics instead of P Mode 4 for a lot of old Coco games. But like they've been busy channel. this week. There's dozens of videos they put up. So I like his channel graphics at the top. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, go back up to the top. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah, the Dragon, they were really big on cover art. They had really cool artwork on their cassettes and everything. I really like that. And talk about yeah, you, even the same games they sold in the States from yeah, Spectral and yeah. Tom Mix, they actually improved the graphics on the artwork a lot. And there and we were talking about cartridge variants. There were definitely some cassette variants too. So like I think I'm following not only the Dragon group, but one of the micro deal groups. And you can see the people showing off their collections and you might see variations on the J cards for your different tapes and stuff, which is pretty cool. And that's it for the uh, ah, news this week. Good stuff. Thank you, L. Curtis Boyle. As oh, always, nap time I, is over. Nap time is over. Snoo- <laughs> snoozy news. Oh, is snoozy done. news. What? Huh? Yes, what? Calls it. I actually so, ate lunch during the news. So we're going to take one more commercial break. But before we do that, I think we just need to take a. We just we need to soak in Nick Marota here. Look at that. Look at that dreamy <laughs> hair. There, look how dreamy. If you want to show an autographed copy, just I send do. five bucks I to do. He's so dreamy. You're so dreamy. The shades are the coolest. The yeah. shades are the coolest. Oh, I like uh, the shades. <laughs> yeah, whoever did this did yeah. a great job. Absolutely. I'm not going to reveal who the person was in case they wish to remain anonymous, but I know. It was you, Stevie. That was, I, don't have, I don't have that much talent. All right, so we're going to take a commercial break, and then our topic is going to be back to the cocoa. And the idea... The idea behind this was, if you're new to getting back into the cocoa hobby, what are some of the things you should know um, as, as far as cocoaing in, in the year 2020, right? And so we, all of us here have our own experiences. I'm sure there might be some questions and some, some suggestions and things like that. So we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to hear from Fletcher and what Fletcher's been up to. And then when we come back, we'll talk about what, you know, what do we know about being back in a cocoa hobby? We'll share our experiences and then um, we'll take some questions and all that kind of stuff. So after these words, we'll be back, kids. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. (laughs) You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant, 
would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbie the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Right. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. And we're back. And today's topic is back to Coco. Back to Coco. If you're new to being back to being a Coco user, you probably have questions. You've got questions. We've got answers. And so one of the suggestions that Mr. Dave had was that maybe we start by having the people in the panel tell us when they got back to the Coco. And so I'll just go around the room and I'll start in the top left-hand corner with our resident Apple guy, Mark D. Overholzer. When did you get back to the Coco? Well, actually, I am new to the Coco. Um, uh, basically I was an Apple II guy and my family were Commodore 64. So I had both of those back in the day, 1983 for the Apple IIe and 1986 for the Commodore 64, actually a portable SX. Um, but in, in 2012, um, there was a guy I knew who had an Apple IIe platinum system with a monitor and discs and stuff, and he wanted to get rid of it. And so I bought it from him. And he also had this Coco three that was brand new in the box that he had gotten for this, uh, um, uh, correspondence course. And he still has the cassettes, you know, for learning, you know, how to do basic and stuff. So it's like, ah, well, you know, I'm not into Tandy, but, you know, it's, you know, I'll, I'll take it. And I thought maybe I'd flip it or something. It's like, oh, wait a minute. This has got a 6809 in it. It's a Motorola chip, not a Z80 chip. I like Motorola chips. I think I'll hang on to this. Well, since then, it's been, what, eight years? Got a Cocoa 2 and a Cocoa 1, another Cocoa 2, another Cocoa 2, a Cocoa 1, another Cocoa 2, two MPIs, uh, two Cocoa SDCs. So uh, <laughs> and I'm on the show. 
Anyway, so <laughs> so I, I'm new to the Coco, but uh, I'm getting with it. <laughs> ah, it's a great machine. So welcome to the addiction. Thank you, uh, and I like it. I play with it way more than I do uh, my Commodores for sure, and my Apple usually. So anyway, but I'm glad to be here, and it's a great little machine. Excellent, excellent. So 2012 is when you didn't necessarily get back into the cocoa, but you got into the cocoa. So you've been cocoing for about two years now. Eight years. Eight years. So I see. I can't do the math there. Good. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That, that was Canadian. That was the rate of conversion. Yeah, right. um, yeah, Stevie doesn't have a six eight nine in his head. So yeah. Yep, exactly. Needs a real good song. Eight years. So oh my. Anyway. Oh my. Okay. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, what about David O'Connor? When did you get back to the cocoa, or did you never leave the cocoa? Um. Oh yeah. About a, about a year and a half, January 2019, I think it was, that I got back into it, roughly. Um, my Coco, my old original eboard Coco one that I've had since brand new in the early 80s, um, it'd been, I'd, I'd never got rid of it. It was sitting on my shelf and it was doing nothing. And one day I just sort of got out of bed and I looked up and I saw my Coco one sitting there and I thought, hmm, I'll plug it in and just see if it still works. And I plugged it in and um, I was greeted with a really ordinary RF screen with uh, lots of interference and just about completely um, unviewable picture. And I thought, oh, all right, okay. Um, well, maybe I can make a composite mod for it and, you know, do some of the things I was going to do back in the day and never got around to doing or finishing. I actually did start building a composite mod for it, never got it finished. So uh, I got on the internet and I started searching for composite mods for Coco One, and I found the uh, TRS80 Coco Facebook group, and I found uh, a few other bits and pieces, and uh, yeah, then I, I, I found a, a circuit for a composite mod and built it up, and I wasn't happy with the results, so uh, I posted about that on the TRS80 Facebook group, and uh, then decided, well, you know, I might as I'm a qualified radio tradesman, electronics tech with years of experience, I'll sit down and I'll design my own composite mod. So uh, so I did that and uh, and posted all about that on the uh, TRS-80 group and then found Coco Talk and got involved with the show and one thing snowballed to another and I got Coco STCs and I got Coco VGAs and I got Coco mechanical keyboards from Ed Snyder and two Meg Rams and big badges and... And before badges. long, I was just badges. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I and I'm sorry, I was multitasking. I was trying to update my checklist. Did you uh, did you start off by answering when like what year it was you got back in? Because you you said yeah, so many yeah, things January. like so how yeah, long? Yeah, January 2019. Yeah. 2019. So about a year and a half. Oh, okay, so you yeah, yeah. you're relatively new. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Relatively new comeback. Yeah. Re- relatively so. new return. Sorry about that. I was kind of putting yeah. together my little talking points here so yeah I've, I've just gone full on with it full so in in less than less than two years time you've become a cocoa holic absolutely oh, yeah yeah i've got uh, four cocos here now i've got two cocoa oh, wow. threes and two cocoa ones yeah. and hi my name is david o'connor and i'm a coconut hi dave <laughs> right it's like a support <laughs> group, right? so yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> and l curtis boyle did you ever leave the cocoa are you back to the cocoa or have you always I, been i mostly i i didn't leave um i'd gone and got burned out i mean we were working in nitrous nine for almost 10 years as a commercial product plus we were using it at work so i was using it you know all my time not just my free time and i was doing the games website and everything else too and then i just kind of got burnt out at it so when we stopped doing nitrous nine developments so early 2002 Basically, I would just, you know, occasionally fire it up to play games. Um, I was still using it to work a little bit. 
kept the website, the game's website going a little bit as well. And I was involved on the, the Coco listserv. I'd still answer questions and stuff and then join the Facebook group, et cetera. But I didn't really start getting into it again until I started finding some of your videos on YouTube, actually. And that's when I kind of decided to get back into it. And of course, now I'm back into it full throttle. So, okay. That was, that was for me was around 2015. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, so maybe we start off when I asked the question, uh, when, when did you get back? Maybe let's just give me the year. <laughs> it's been like a 14 minute build up to the answer to the question, but thank you, Curtis. So, yeah. so Nick Marona. And on March 2nd, I, no, no, no. <laughs> Nick, Nick, when did you I, get back? To my the I was born a small town back in 1968. <laughs> and back then, no, I, I got my first, I got my first new old cocoa boat a year and a couple months ago. It's like April of last year of 2019. Now, was that was that when you were back, or were you kind of like in well, the hobby? I was hobby? in the community. You were in the I community. I was in the community for about a year before that, hanging out in the show and, and that sort of thing. You were running and, emulators back then, if I remember correctly. I was in emulators, kind. Of, yeah, I was. I, was, I ran the emulators uh, uh, somewhat, uh, but uh, just. I, I was just enjoying reliving the memories with you guys from first year. But then finally, I had enough, and I had to get, uh, I had to get a Coco again. Right. Uh, so I ended up getting a Coco two uh, in April of 2019. And unfortunately, that machine is not working right now. But since then, I've gotten uh, three Coco threes and uh, three Coco twos. Mm. So, welcome to Coco hoarders, everybody. Um, spares, you know, spares, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> or good, or deals oh, that make just us feel pass bad. up because it yeah. would have been uh, a crime to pass them up. And that's why I have so many Coco twos. Spare We're parts. him from landfill. Yeah, uh, Rondell Vo. When did you get back into <clears throat> the hobby? Never left it. Never I left always it. Had one. Okay, I've had one since '83 and when I started with the MC10, and then in '84 I got a Model One set up for 300 bucks. I uh, just I was always always had had one set up alongside my uh, IBM PC stuff. Wow, as the years went on. And, and Ron, did you actively use it that entire time, or were you like me, where you kind of it kind of yeah, wasn't I, being used as often, just once in a while you'd fire it up? Or uh, that got to be toward um, the two thousands, where I'd use the uh, PCs more. But I always uh, played with my DS sixty nine. I always went back and looked at uh, all the stuff I had been doing, at, um, you know, artwork and things. Uh, there, there's just so much. I mm-hmm. I love to do um we facts and uh, there's a broad spectrum of things we did with the cocoa and there was it kept me busy you know with any spare time i had to play with things uh, i rarely played games i <clears throat> i played it there's a few i like but mostly it was uh applications and yeah files and pictures and who's, uh, and, you got a picture of a handsome guy behind you there who's that handsome man on that picture behind? yeah that's <laughs> that's on a cocoa one <laughs> Can you believe That's it? That's the guy from the paper towels. <laughs> uh, Brawny. <laughs> yep. That was that Timberman. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And Mikey, when did you get back into the retro hobby? So uh, I think I sort of left in the early, sometime in the early 90s. I don't remember it. don't remember the exact time. And then I was sort of in and out through the 90s. And then sometime around around the early 2000s i want to say like 2002 2003 started playing with stuff more and then when i was in i went back to uh, university of california in 2006 i think i started playing with it a lot more 
because I'm like, hey, you know, uh, the Coco is basically a old-fashioned version of the Arduino, you know. <laughs> so I started doing more programming stuff. So I, you know, I'd say really the mid 2000s is when I started getting back into it more seriously. All right, so you've been around for a while then. And Rick, you mentioned that um, you're kind of new to getting back, even though you've been around forever. You're kind of new to getting back into playing with your Cocos, right? This is true. In the 90s, I used to actually manufacture stuff, but I was in remission for 20 years until Curtis dragged me back in. Remission. With <laughs> story. Are you, are, you, are you equating the Cocoa to like a cancer? I was in remission. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was a systems administrator, so I really didn't have any time for computer thoughts outside yeah. of my 24-7 yeah. Yeah, yeah. time job. But now, I've uh, thanks to all the software that's out and so forth, I'm already back in the swing of things. In fact, I'm manufacturing hardware again this is nice. very cool but uh mouse tamer we're going to have swappable exchangeable mices without having to pull your cocoa out from underneath the cm8 so you can move plugs around ah nice because nice. hey two dollars worth of silicon does more than a eight pole double throw toggle switch does nowadays <laughs> anyway so here i am it's fun i hope to continue on excellent diego when did you get back hey, into well it? Um, I will say uh, 2004. Okay, that's when when I was in the states. I had moved a, a few months before and started discovering everything that was going around. Uh, so I bought a, a Coco Three from Cloud Nine. I mean, I, I always had and still have my my original Coco Three from '87. Mm-hmm. But I will say that 2004 was when I kind of okay really got back into it because i was not really using it that much just plugging it in from time to time to play a couple games or like that so 2004 was when i started okay let's get it and get using it wow that's that's, wow 16 years you've been back in there yeah uh mark b when did you get back into the coco uh a couple years ago um just one day i Pulled, pulled it out of the closet, set it up, um, got OS 9 set back up again, uh, and then just, you know, searching around on the, uh, on the webs, finally, uh, you know, ran across your videos, and then uh, just kind of latched onto you guys. Well, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Relearning everything. I, I feel violated. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and Jason, the Coco Man Rikard, as seen at PenFest 99 and 2000, Hamcation, Hamvention, Tandy Assembly, multiple Coco Fests, creator of the Switcheroo. Um, when did you get back into the Coco? You know what? I'm, I'm thinking it was, well, let's see. I'm sure I have a long story to go along along with that that I won't tell. But um, I think it was like mid-2017 or so, I was... Uh, working on a video mod for an Atari 7800 and I just happened to be using Donkey Kong as the test cartridge that I, you know and then uh, that reminded me of the Donkey King for the Coco and I went hmm, I wonder if anybody's got any video of that and um, then I found your video and uh, there you go there you go and now. we're sorry yes 
And I think I got out of it about like around after PenFest 2000, I got out of it and just occasionally tinkered. Um, but that's when we all went, we went all whole hop there and it's all your fault, Stevie. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, we got a guy who's definitely doing some stuff with the cocoa. Mr. Dave has got the, uh, advanced cocoa going on there. How you doing there, Mr. Dave? Hey, I'm always good. Okay. Um, I got back into the Coco because I wanted to build my own computer using a 6309. And I figured the way to go would be, you know, if I had a Coco, I could do some hands-on programming mm-hmm. and um, really acclimate myself again. Because it's been since the 90s since I had a Coco, like early 90s. And I got a Coco too, and I really fell in love with it. I started doing all kinds of mods. Uh, like a lot of people, your videos and your show directed me into a lot of uh, interesting places. Neat, neat. So, so it really, uh, it really grew from there. So now we have, I got a Coco two, and I finally got a Coco three again. So you got a Coco and three. Lots of interesting people. Hey, you got yeah, lots of interesting yet? people, and I got back into the games too. Um, that was kind of a fun surprise because I was really on the hardware side, you know. Right, right. I just love that. And I love sh- that RGB keyboard. You yeah, and we should segment. remind everybody that the game on segment was kind of your suggestion. So we asked people to give us feedbacks and give us suggestions, and that's been the runaway hit in the game on segment. So thanks for that, Mr. Dave. We heard oh, from no. Mark B already. We heard from Rick, Nick Morentes. You maybe you never left the Coco, or did you? Did you take a break? And when did when did you officially come back out of retirement to being a full time Coco user? Um. Well, I, I got out of the Coco uh, back in 92 and then returned into the, the retro hobby back in about 98. Okay. So, yeah, a bit of a break there in between. Basically, the Coco got discontinued. Then I thought, oh, well, that's the end of the Coco and then discovered it was still alive. And then 98, I re-entered. And I'm still here, so I'm Excellent. sorry. Yeah, we're sorry. Well, <laughs> Just never could find the door out back out, eh? I'm not sure if Polly's listening, Polly Fiscarelli, if you can hear us, you're there muted. Is, Are you there able, is no interest? door out in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't even exist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still here, Stevie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I really – I maybe uh, 89 was when I kind of got away from it for a little bit, got into the PC side of things, and then uh, – Kind of really got back into it in maybe around '94 time frame, back uh, before VCC and Mame and XWAR. Uh, Jeff Avisor had a emulator. Yeah, I started uh, you know pulling some of my old discs out of storage and um, uh, retrieving data off of them, and kind of you know from '94 on, you know little bits here and there, and wow. then really, really picked up uh, maybe the last uh, eight or nine years. Um, so uh, definitely. Um, your show um, and what you guys have been doing as well as like things like uh, the Coco crew guys and that sort of thing. Um, I think have really been a catalyst that have really gotten a lot of people back into it. So thanks for everything you guys are doing and um, definitely has invigorated me and re-inspired me to, you know, be involved in the community. So thanks. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you. And what about James Diffendaffer? Oh man, I don't know exactly when I got back into it. I, I dropped, uh, I stuck my cocoa away when I got an Amiga, and I mean, I 
I checked in on the mailing list when I found that somewhere in the, I think that was the nineties or was it business server or something? And I kind of followed it, what was going on, but I never, and I, I picked up a Coco three in 90, I want to say 93 or four, something like that. But I didn't really do anything with it. And I put that away and somewhere around uh, 2005, I decided to work on a project for the Coco 3, and for reasons I won't go into, I said I didn't want to have anything to do with the Coco again, and, but I messed around with other retro computers, and then uh, Mark Overholzer invited me to join the, the uh, Discord community and and uh, watch Coco Talk, and that's kind of how I've gotten back into things. Excellent. I've been chatting with James on Atari Age, which is a great hangout for Apple and you know TI, especially 994A and and some Tandy and Commodore stuff. But mm. I've seen James commenting on multiple platforms. I thought I think he'd hang out good with us here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for me, you know, I got officially back into it when I started uh, my YouTube channel, which was going back to like April of 2015. And just doing uh, this is this is how much things have changed in the past five years, right? When I so I started off my YouTube channel, I did some like arcade games on Mame and a few random things, and then a lot of Minecraft with my kids. And then I said, all right, I, I knew I knew when I started YouTube that I wanted to do retro in in, in addition to the Minecraft. Um, and then I also knew I wanted to do Coco because obviously I grew up with the Coco as a lot of us did, and it was it's very kind of influential for us and very nostalgic so i knew i was going to want to do coco videos and so the first coco video hey uh aaron's joining us the first coco video i did was a little like powerpoint i threw together like because uh, i figured nobody's going to know what this machine is so i need to kind of explain this so i had to explain what old computers were like you know so i cut of this little video <laughs> this is what it used to be kids you know there was the trs-80 and the reason why it's called the color computer was the first trs-80 was actually black and white if you can imagine this you know and so <laughs> and i went through all that and i did this video explaining what the color computer was, what the times were like back then as a way to kind of set the stage for doing, you know, gameplay videos. And then I started doing just on emulators. I think VC VCC was one of the first emulators that I could get to work and started doing his videos and then kind of got discovered by people. And the Curtis was one of the people that discovered me and Alan Huffman and, and, uh, Rogelio. So a lot of these people that, um, found my videos and started commenting on them. And and then they started making me realize there was this whole world out there of people who are still actively involved and interested in the color computer. And I think one of the first things I found, which is probably defunct at this point, but there was a Google plus group for the Coco. Um, and then I found the Facebook group and the mailing list. And so it just kind of slowly became aware of things. Um, uh, the Coco Crew podcast. One of the first things I heard that was kind of the monthly infomercial to get people interested in coming to Coco Fest, and so these things were happening. Hey, Aaron, he's here, and he's. Uh, this is like the first time we've had you on the show, man. Welcome, brother. And um, you're muted, but uh, and so you know, so my journey began about five years ago, and I started on emulators and doing stuff on YouTube, and 
um, eventually somebody says, oh, you ought to look into this thing called eBay. You could probably get a cocoa on eBay. <laughs> and that was the beginning of what we should say was my problem. We had what some people would call a problem, <laughs> right? Uh, went from uh, at the first, uh, I was such a noob to eBay, didn't understand anything. I, I ended up bidding on three cocoa twos at the same time hoping I would get one of them. And I ended up winning all three bids. <laughs> I was such an eBay noob that I ended up... So I didn't start off by getting my first Coco. I got three Cocos all at once. Um, Spares. Yes. Anything and, worth doing is worth overdoing. Oh, yeah. And I, and I, and I, I mostly used a Coco 1 and 2. I had a Coco 3. I didn't really play with it. I was like, meh, it's 16 colors, whatever. Not that impressed. And I only had some early games to base that on. And then I had the Tandy 1000, so I wasn't that interested interested in my Coco 3. So all of my nostalgia goes back to Coco 1 and 2. So I knew I wanted 64K extended basic, and I wanted to be able to play every possible game that I had back in the day. I wanted to be able to play on a real Coco with the real Black Beauties. Because I just remember using my Xbox 360 controller on the emulator saying, this controller sucks. I remember the Black Beauty was so <laughs> fluid, and I could spin around in circles and get all this gracious, <laughs> you know. And I was, and I remember cursing the Black Beauties back in the day. These Black Beauties suck. I wish I had an Atari joystick. And now that I'm trying to play an Xbox 360 controller, I'm like, this is like 360 sucks. I need my Black Beauty, you know? So one of the first things I bought was getting the old Black Beauty real joysticks on the real Coco. Um, and he then, hasn't mentioned the MC10 yet. Yeah, no. But um, <laughs> so so that was kind of, I said, oh, if I got to get a 64K Coco with, you know, that's what I needed to get. And that's where it started. And, and, and at one point in time, I had more Cocos than I care to admit. And I still probably have more than I need. But I would have to, I would say that my problem is is much more under control now, um, thanks to limited space and a, and a un a non-understanding wife. I can't have as many cocos <laughs> as I'd like to have, but she tolerates it. Um, and then, of course, which leads into at, whenever you get back into it or get into it, there's a lot of things you have to discover. And now we've just been joined by Aaron of the Amigos Retro Gaming Group. How you doing, Aaron? Thanks for being on the show, man. It's a pleasure having you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm doing great. I've just I've been watching most of the show here. In- just walked in the door and Curtis said, "Hey, hop on." So I thought, yeah. oh, "What the hell? I'll so, do it." So when did well, you, you just back? got back into the Coco Two and both just got got into it for the first time? So I thought it'd be good to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, of course, you, I had a Coco when I was a kid uh, and loved it, and then we eventually moved on to a Tandy One Thousand uh, and moved up, and eventually uh, I got into the Amiga and you know everything else, uh, and so uh, my time with the coco ended probably about 80 88 something like that and uh i mean i always enjoyed the memories of it but i never really thought about getting back into it in fact i always i kind of thought collecting consoles and computers was sort of idiotic for the longest time because you could emulate the majority of them and so later on i just became an idiot and started collecting (laughs) consoles and old computers i don't know why (laughs) i mean i guess during the show uh uh we just uh, I don't know. And now I've got a ton of these things now, but I, I was at a, with the cocoa. I still, I was like, I, I, the cocoa, that stuff's pretty archaic. And I wasn't really super nostalgic for it for a long time. And then I just happened to be uh, walking through the hillbilly flea market in uh, uh, beautiful Greenup, Kentucky uh, at a lunch break. And I walked into one of these goose, uh, you know, little stores and sure there's a cocoa too sitting there. 
And I'm like, man, there's a color computer too. You know, and this guy didn't know what he had. I was like, you know, I'll give you like 40 bucks for that. He's like, it's yours. I took it. And it, the only cartridge it came with was a database or something. It was, it was so I was like, man, I got to get some games for this thing. And I thought, you know, let's see if the color computer scene is, uh, uh, I mean, I knew at this point I had seen this show. Uh, and I had knew there was some sort of scene out there for the Coco, but I didn't know what it was, you know. And I, so I started nosing around. Well, all of a sudden, here comes the uh, the SD card solution pops onto my screen. I'm like, bam, I got to get me one of those because I'd been loading up all my consoles with those. And that was the way to go, you know, because I'm not the kind of person that collects that much software cartridges and stuff. It's just not my bag. I'd rather just have everything. I'm lazy. I don't even want to change cartridges. I just want to have the thing. <laughs> and so when I saw this thing, I'm like, I got to get me that. So I went ahead and picked that up for the Coco too. And once I got that uh, installed, I was like, bam, now we're ready to rock and roll. And so I started playing this thing a lot. And I was talking to Boat about it because we do the Amigo show. We've done it for a long time. And I'm like, Boat, you need to try it because he's an Atari guy from way back. And I was like, you need to try to get some cocoa action in your life, man. And uh, so... <laughs> I know Boat, and he's even lazier than I am, and he also hates <laughs> hardware. I mean, it's it's true. He told me many times, I'm, because, I mean, you guys don't fool with the Amiga, but, I mean, the Amiga, God bless it, it's a harsh mistress, this Amiga. It makes everything difficult, especially with all the European stuff that we do. It's all There's all kinds of PAL issues and, and all kinds of crazy hardware, and there's something uh, incredibly refreshing about turning on a computer like the Coco and just starting to play with it without having to cajole it and do all this crazy stuff. So I knew Boat. I was like, if I'm going to get Boat into this Coco scene, there can't be a Coco 1 or a 2. It's got to have composite out. It's got to have all the memory he needs. And so I just went and bought him a Color Computer 3. I got in just before, the, I mean, the market went crazy and got one and uh, hooked him up. And then uh, he loves the Coco almost as much as I do. He plays the thing all the time. Uh, and we've enjoyed uh, getting back into the scene and uh, having a lot of fun playing the games. I mean, you know, we're game guys. I don't do any, I don't really do any non-gaming stuff on it. I mean, I I did just fool with the keyboard uh, encoder thing, but that was just for a little project I'm working on. Uh, but for the most part, we just play the games, and we just want something simple and fun. And the Coco has a lot of games on it that didn't appear anywhere else, including clones of arcade games that you can't get anywhere else. And uh, uh, so it makes it a lot of fun. So between the ease of use uh, and the uh, availability of, of the software and uh, the support of the community and the uh, uh, the and the fact that it always works, we got back into it, you know. And so and that's pretty much where we are today. I just fired up. I've got mine always hooked up. And of all the computers I've got in here, it easily gets the most use just because it doesn't aggravate me. And that goes a long way. <laughs> it sounds like you got the check. <laughs> yeah that's cool and yeah i know i know you probably heard me um gloating over that little clip that curtis played but yeah that six minute clip that we played between you and boat going on how yeah, awesome the coco sdc is the committee that's the best six minutes of my life i've ever heard that is uh i need to I, we need to start off every show with that clip it's, that, that, that's that's pure radio gold right there boat so. is an extremist he loves things or hates them and yeah. interchangeably i yeah. mean he will i've seen him flip like that yeah and so but i mean he he is very passionate about playing stuff on the coco yeah again we get aggravated so much 
because it's the spectrum, you're loading all stuff from tape and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And even when you've got an SD solution, it don't just pop stuff in there and it works. It's a bunch of baloney you got to go through. Wow. This just works. And so, and plus the games are great. I mean, if it just worked and the game sucked, we wouldn't even bother, but they're fun. <laughs> yeah. So we, and we enjoy that, that helps, sort of yeah. thing. I'm kind of in the same boat as you and Boat. I just like the games. I know there's some serious things you can do with the machine, but I'd like to, I like to play the games. And I guess I've been spoiled because the Coco was the first retro thing I bought and the Coco SDC, the first multi-cart type device. And as you guys pointed out, it just, it works so well. Now, when it first came out, the Coco SDC Explorer was not around. So for a while, you had to fat finger your way into mounting the discs and during and loading things. But the Coco SDC combined with the SDC Explorer is the single greatest add-on. And we're going to get into like what are the what are necessities, what are must-haves, like your wants versus your needs. The Coco SDC, hands down, you need to have that if you're going to run yes. a real Coco. It is the must-have mm, product, absolutely. and it's a life changer. It's a game changer. And as you mentioned because uh, I, I never used the keyboard i mean i never used a joystick on the sdc explorer you pointed that out and, and he's like yeah it makes it like kind of like a game console and i'm like man that is so true and i i never did that because i'm just used to using the arrow keys but if you wanted to you could just sit here and joystick which is i'm, I'm trying to do that in the coco pie on mame to be able to joystick control like from 10 feet away like game console my coco pie but the coco sdc lets you do that too so that's that's just a whole nother observation uh, on the ease of use factor there. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah, the community is, is so cool because we got so many different people, uh, different experiences and stuff. And as you mentioned, everybody's willing to kind of share that. Um, I, I thought it, it might be worse by starting out just kind of going over, like, what are – the, the, what are the basics? What, what, are, what's, what's, what are the platforms of Coco that are out there? You know, if you're going to buy one, what should you look for? So, you know, I kind of threw together just some bullet points and some talking points here. Guys, feel free to chime in. But for those who don't know, when we say Coco, the Coco is a family of machines. There's a whole ecosphere of, of Coco-related things. So um, the original Coco, which we'll call the Battleship Gray or the Silver, that we now call the Coco 1, that was the first machine, right? That one had a few options, 16K was the one of the original releases. I think Tandy supported a 32K. I don't know if Tandy... 4K. They 4K. Had a, a 4K, yeah. They had 4K, yeah, 4K, actually 4 16, 32, and 64. Yeah, yeah. yeah 4, 16, mm. and 32K. I forgot about the 4K. My first Coco, my silver Coco one was a 16K. Um, Mine was a 4. <laughs> right, so the original, what we now call the Coco one, um, is the silver model, right? It had the chiclet keyboard. It I believe from Radio Shack, 32K was the max you could get. However, there were third-party 64K upgrades for that machine. That machine I had uh, 128K on mine. Wow, wow! You were just you're a cool. baller, right? Back in the day, yeah. So this felt like a fat cat. The um, Silver Coco <laughs> One's lifespan was basically from about 80 to 83. Right, 83 is when the white. Coco One came out, full size Coco One with the melty keyboard at the same time as the Coco Two. That was around eighty three, and so the Coco Two lasted from eighty three to around eighty six when the Coco Three came out. Right now, was that one in Canada, Curtis? Because I've never seen the white Coco One. Yes, it was. I actually had a couple friends here right. in in my city that actually had them. Right. Okay, now, came and, out in late eighty three. And, and then, of course, the holy grail of Cocos right now would be the Coco Three, which are kind of hard to get if you're trying to find one out in the wild, right? So there's the Coco One, the Coco Two, Coco Three. If somebody wanted to buy a Coco right now, what would your suggestions be? And it's, let's say if you could only have one Coco, 
Would you say go for the Coco 3, which is 99% of running everything? I know Nick Morota's got his feeling on all you need. But <laughs> if somebody had limited means and limited budget and limited space to hold nine yards and they could only get one Coco, what would be the single best thing for them to get? These are Coco opinions. Coco 3, right. 6309, gimme X. Missed <laughs> 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 yeah. so. the limited budget part, I think, right. the question. The thing is, if you're well, going you to said be, unlimited budget, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if you're going to have to provide a monitor and a Coco SDC, you might as well try for a Coco three. Right. Yes. Yeah. You aren't yeah. going to save that much money. Right. Right. And we also need to also mention that when we talk about Cocos, there's also the MC10, which is in the Coco family. It was called the Micro Color Computer. That's what the MC stood for. It is similar to the Cocoa, but it's not completely compatible. It's got a different processor and things like that, but it is in the Cocoa family. And then there's the Dragon, which is the UK version of the Motorola reference design that the Cocoa was based upon. The Dragon is 99% compatible um, uh, with a few exceptions to the keyboard matrix, but the Dragon is in the Cocoa family, same CPU, same graphics chip, the whole nine yards. Um, and then obviously a bunch of Brazilian clones, right? So the Cocoa family includes the actual Cocoa variety of machines, the MC10s and the Dragons, right? So that's the whole big umbrella. Yeah, and the GDP, um, which is actually MC- a Tandy product, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. sold elsewhere. The only thing about the MC10 is I think they're priced about the same as the Cocoa 2s. The, uh, you mean on e- eBay prices right now? Yeah. Yeah, right. Because so, MC10s are more MC10s rare. MC10s so are yeah. more rare. Right. So, mm. so in a perfect world, if you could have only one Coco, the Coco 3 would be your single best choice. The Coco 3 is kind oh. of like the Apple II GS, right? If you could only have one Apple, get the Apple II GS, right? Because it's got all the fancy stuff and it's mostly compatible with the older stuff, right? So, yeah. Um, but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a perfect world, though. <laughs> in the perfect world, we have our walls lined with cocos. Yeah. So, but but there's there's a, there's a lot of things that are going to prohibit some people. You know, I started off playing emulators, and the fact that I could buy a coco was kind of cool. Oh, let me get a coco. Yeah. Of course, I started off with three. Uh, I'm not sure everybody's going to get into the uh, uh, obsessive collector realm of things. They might want to get just one. I, if I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and invest into one machine to have the real machine. So what's the best bang for my buck, right? So um, Coco 3s on eBay right now, though, you're looking at minimum of $150 to find one on average, right? And they sell for considerably more. So you could be looking at $200, $300 to get a Coco 3. That's a little bit rich for some people's blood for a, a hobby. Right, this is a hobby thing. Uh, I'm not sure I want to spend $300. So, if you can get a Coco Three at a good price, go for it. But would would it be bad to suggest start off by looking for a 64K extended basic Coco Two? I mean, that's that was my so. entry point. That's what I was looking for because that was the fully loaded experience you could get prior to the Coco Three. Right, and um, those are fairly plentiful. You can get 64K. Uh, extended yeah. basic Coco 2s on average for maybe 75 to $150 is what those things sell for, depending on the condition and if it's in the box and if it has side dishes with it. But you could get well, another another good thing is all the cartridges uh, that are out there. Right. It's those the same ecosystem. Yeah, there's memory <laughs> upgrades that you can get in a cartridge form for the Coco 1. 
Um, so a nice cocoa two package would make a great do anything cocoa with package. The right. problem the problem is is vid- it all comes down to a beginner. It's a video out, uh, your composite out. I mean I, that's a, I don't have anybody mention that. Uh, I know from working on a lot of different computers, I can't tell you how uh, um, helpful it is to just have a good old basic uh, composite out. When you're dealing with anything below the Coco three, you're stuck with RF. And then you have to get into the realm of video, um, uh, additional video stuff, getting in there and fool with the board. Your average person is not going to do that. And a lot of people just aren't equipped to use RF computers anymore. I mean, at least composite well, out gives you, you a, a, a launching point. There are connectors now that help that. Plus, the, uh, uh, if you go to Goodwill, I'm you can buy a TV. An LCD TV that's set for it. There's no channels on three and four anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so pictures actually not. I get yeah. great pictures actually with my Coco twos on RF. Oh man. Yeah. Well, then I saw hills. That's a good point you bring up, Aaron. And we're going to get into uh, optional accessories of uh, what we consider essential versus luxury items. Um, I see what I see what Aaron's saying. So, is the fact if you have a Coco two and its only output of is RF. Is that a problem? Uh, you're raising your hand there, Rick. Yes, I do sell a whole lot of $25, $30 RF adapters that feed out composite. You feed them channel three, okay. composite comes okay. out. Yeah. Radio Shack has a bunch of them. They're really popular because you can stuff it into your new 4K flat screen and it works right, fine. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I've also Dave. experienced uh, even new. I have, I've got some Vizio TVs I bought at Walmart that are one or two years old, and on those tuners, I can get that little RCA to F connector screw on and plug in that same gray cable that came from my Coco, go to channel three or four, and I get a I get a decent picture because we're we don't have the 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 same noise pollution of television broadcast in that analog spectrum anymore, right? So. Um, the reason why they had to switch between channel three and four was to find the the, the channel with the least congestion in your area because there was a lot of there was a lot of airwaves of TV going on back in the eighties. The fact that's not there, and most TVs, other than like a TV built and say let's say twenty eighteen or newer, uh, most of the older TVs still had an analog compatible tuner. The new, new, new TVs are strictly digital tuners. They probably won't get that. Um, but as Ron Delvaux mentioning, Goodwill, you can get a cheap TV at Goodwill. I got really lucky. The, the first the first Coco I bought, I think I paid $100 for it. It was a 64K Coco 2, and it came with a square, like about a 15-inch flat panel TV. It was an actual real TV, but it was a flat panel with the tuner, and it had composite input and S-video input. Um, so, th- and it's real small and it's light and like, it'll fit on the, the back flat part of a Coco one. It'll sit on there perfectly and it doesn't take up a lot of space. So if you could find like a nice square, um, a flat panel, real TV, that's a, you know, maybe 10, 15 now, years old, you can get one, those pretty cheap. One of the things you have to be careful of if you're looking for a TV for it, if you get an LCD, you got to look for one that syncs to these older computers. Cause I'll, I mean, I have a great looking little magna box that would be perfect and it's even silver would match the cocoa but it will not display its output at all what, which cocoa are you talking about cocoa three the it will not display it won't sync to the uh the what is cocoa it one? they call it 15 15 kilohertz 15, or whatever 65. they call it. yeah of yeah. what the horizontal, horizontal, horizontal 
And it won't do it on RF and it won't do it on composite. Mm. RF should be standard. Yeah. David but, has but end up also. I, I don't I don't think RF is the worst thing in the world if but it depends on your space and like for Aaron, like for you and me, like when I, I actually have an analog TV tuner, so when I do RF out, I capture it and I actually run it through my PC so I can record it and stream it. And I right. had to find a very specific one on eBay that would pick up the old TV broadcast. But I've got a little <laughs> USB thumbstick that is a TV tuner that allows me to bring RF into my PC so I can view it in OBS and everything else. I use um, actually. It's funny you should mention it because I've got a uh, I've got a Samsung VCR. Yeah, here you can use that it, as it your goes, converter. It goes from uh, the, it lets you output an S video, and then ah. during the conversion, it puts out a signal that the Elgato can capture. Nice. So I've actually got a composite out to a capture board. But for people that are just going to pick this thing up to play with it, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, of course, when you get down in the into the realm of how you're, you've got to go get a converter box, you've got to go find yourself a TV. It, one would wonder if a new purchaser of a Coco that just wanted to tool around on it would want to go the extra mile to do all the extra stuff you need to do, versus uh, on plus the cost and the fact that you have to go out and get a CRT TV versus the ease of just taking your Coco and hooking it into your into your modern TV, your VCR, yeah, uh, the Coco Three, I should say. I mean, it's a it's a mixed bag. I mean, yeah, you can convert them. I did my Coco Two had RF, and it looked pretty good, mm -hmm. you know. But of course, uh, RF uh, is getting the, the uh, tuners just are getting older, and those things I've noticed on other machines that they you know they tend to start going off, you know. And so your mileage mm -hmm. may vary on what it looks like when you yeah. when you roll mm -hmm. those things out. So yeah, we'll get into some of the uh, luxury items and add-ons stuff. So. So ideally, uh, Coco Three is good, but the composite out on the Coco Three is not clean. Honestly, no. it's 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 good enough for the, the RC one. Yeah, um, but it, it but it's there and it's native. Um, so a composite mod for any Coco is is one of the. I don't know if you'd consider that mandatory, but if you got the the means to do it, it's probably worth doing. Um, so ideally, a sixty four K Coco One or Coco Three would be a great starter machine, right? Um, now, when it comes to essential items, would we all agree that the Coco SDC is probably no matter what Coco you have, it's it's, it's a yes. mandatory item, Ooh, right? Yes, yeah. yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, a, yeah. a second runner-up to that would be a drive wire cable, which is something you can make yourself or buy pretty inexpensively. And with a drive wire cable, you could load software over your serial port. Yeah, Ron Delvo, you got your finger up. You're muted. You're still muted, Ron. I was saying at least 512K would be essential. If you have a Coco 3, upgrade the RAM. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 64K for a Coco 1 and yeah, 2. Six, yeah, essential. if you have a yeah. Coco 1 or 2, 64K extended basic should be your minimum standard or your goal yeah. where to end up. You know, you might buy one that doesn't have that and you want to maybe get it upgraded. If you have a Coco 3, we've all kind of decided 512K is your minimum standard you should have for running software. And if you want to get crazy and go to 2 megs or 8 megs, you can do that too, right? For, for your average person, you yeah. don't need that much. I mean, the standard Coco 3 will run almost everything. I mean, what, 85% of the software will run on a standard Coco 3? So really, that's sort of a luxury item going up above standard, wouldn't you say? Well, five twelve. Mo most of the newer, most of the newer games, most of the newer games, were like all of Nick Morenti's games require five twelve. Okay, all of his newer ones, like Pop yeah, Star, Three from Gunstar, Chet, what does as well. Right. So, so um, because it's so inexpensive to buy and it's easy to upgrade, you don't have to solder anything. To go from the one twenty eight to five twelve, it's it's fifteen dollars to buy it from Boyson. 
and you can pop it in yourself without a soldering gun. I, I, and, and the fact that anything new, for the most part, is probably going to require that. I, we've all kind of come to the consensus that all Coco 3 should have 512K. Will, can, it, can it run on less than that? Yeah. Will it run all Coco 2 stuff? Yes. Will it run a lot of Coco 3 stuff? Yes. But um, if we're going to be real uh, discerning here, 512K should be considered the current standard for Coco 3 for any new software. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, opinions will vary there too. Um, but yeah, Coco SDC is a must have. If you've got a real Coco, what does an SDC cost? 50 bucks with the case? Can't remember. Right around there? Like Something like 70, 70 with the case. Okay, yeah. 70 with the case. All right. But still, so. And shipping. Um, I, Aaron, you're probably more familiar with this one, more familiar with this than a lot of us, but almost all retro systems have something like a multi cart, right? Where I just bought the, uh, for the Atari, I just bought that Harmony cartridge where you plug in an SD card and you can play a lot of Atari ROMs. I had the Atari Max cartridge for my ColecoVision, right? So if you're if you're into retro, and I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Aaron, I don't want to have every cartridge ever made. Uh, it, that takes up a lot of space, and then you can go down that road, and you're never going to find the end of that road, right? So um, to have the super cart where you can run everything off of one, because I like to, I just like the software, and I like running the software on real hardware. So the Coco SDC is kind of like that super cart. Um, under $100, it's worth every penny. Um, for those who don't know, it also has built-in drive wire support. So the Coco SDC adds drive wire to your disk basic so you can run things like Pi drive wire and real drive wire and things like that. So that's all built into basic. Um, so that's a little bit of a value added for those who want to get into some of the fancier stuff. Uh, and it emulates both a floppy drive and a hard drive. Yep, yep. So Nitrous 9, boot, you can boot up your hard drive. Yeah, yeah Ron? Plus, it has, uh, is it 16K areas that you can program? Uh, it's got a they few flashbacks. Flash yeah, it's got some flashbacks right. where you could actually... Eight banks. Yeah, eight yeah. banks, or you could boot up different ROMs, or you could actually copy a game to one of those banks and do that. Yeah, you can have different... It's, it's also the most compatible solution, too, because, I mean, DriveWire will run, like, 95% of the stuff, but some of the copy-protected disks or disks that or, or programs that directly tried to access the drive hardware, which back in the old days was done quite often... Don't necessarily work in DriveWire. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. So you had some compatibility problems yeah. on DriveWire you will not see on the SDC. Um, the SDC is fantastic when you're into programming too. Like you know, my primary thing was I was never a big gamer. I did play some games, but programming has always been my thing with the Coco and and being able to you know type in a great big long program to just do save straight onto an SD card. It's just so easy. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you do have a Coco 3, if you're lucky enough to have a Coco 3 and you're looking for a good output option, this is in the category that I would consider to be essential for Coco 3 owners. It would be your switcheroo cable by our very own Jason, the Coco Man Riker, right? So the switcheroo plugs into the RGB output of the Coco 3, converts that to SCART, which is kind of a European analog version of HDMI. That cable runs you roughly $40 from Jason. Uh, and then you need a generic SCART to HDMI converter box you can get on Amazon or eBay. Those are about $35, $40. And then you can then go from that box, HDMI out to a modern display and get your Coco up on that display. So you're looking at a little bit less than $100 for that adapter combined. And you're going to get your Coco 3 set up on a really clean, clean output. Um, 
that's kind of uh, when if you're going to be if you've got a Coco three and you're using it a lot, you're going to want to end up getting that, right? So that that's not even necessarily a luxury item anymore. That almost becomes a a, a quality of life necessity for the active Coco three user, right? But as you start to see here, we're like $80 here, $80 here. It can start to add up, but this is a hobby. Anybody's got a hobby, all hobbies cost money, right? So whatever it yeah. is. So, um, but be prepared to be dropping, you know, hundreds of dollars into this crazy <laughs> thing that we call the cocoa ownership, right? So and be prepared uh, to have uh, those <laughs> filters. Addiction. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, if you want to spend thousands yeah well so here's the thing too it's like i know i live in florida i've two things i've never done i've never lived on the water and i've never owned a boat my brother owned a boat and he goes you know what boat stands for bust out another thousand right because it seems like if you own a boat anything you got to do is a thousand dollars here a thousand dollars there right so um if you got a retro machine and you're, you're going to be using it you're going to spend some money to, to add stuff to it right um but yeah, you're probably looking at a couple hundred dollars in add-ons to any cocoa you get, regardless of what that cocoa costs you. Be prepared over time to drop a couple hundred more bucks on top of that cocoa for all these kind of quality of life improvements for it. So be 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 warned getting into the cocoaing. It's not a fifty dollar <laughs> one time hobby. It's a you know it, you can start well, to spend some you, money. You can if. If you don't want to get into it for any money and you already have a PC or Mac, you yeah. can you can emulate everything. Use an emulator. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emulation is one way to go. Well, it's, but, but it's just not the right. same. So the things go ahead. Gonna say the things you bought for your Coco Two will fit in your Coco Three once you've decided, hey, I spent three hundred dollars on Coco Two stuff. What do I do next? Right. right. <laughs> hey Stevie. Yeah, Mark. What about Mark, Coco Pie? Well, yeah, we'll get into emulations and okay. alternatives. Right now, we're talking about real hardware, right? Real, so real. One other thing, I've, um, I think I might have to uh, not add up all that I've spent on oh, my cocos because wow. I'd be, I'd be scared. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm on a so, pension. <laughs> I can't afford huge amounts of money, but but I still do it anyway because it's a hobby and it's addictive. And I'm, you know, you're investing yeah. in your mental health. Yeah, Ron, yeah. Ron Dova. Yeah. One other I good like thing that. about the hardware is uh, the fail rate. Uh, I've I've probably had twenty five cocos over yep. the years, yep. and I've had one have a little transistor go bad, and I had the, a lack of blue in my color computer three screen. And uh, Richard Lorvieski sent me a transistor for it, and um, they are uh, pretty Paul rugged. Yeah, put it in um, for me. you will mm -hmm. see on eBay a lot of times they'll use the word untested, untested, right? untested. Yeah. and that's because they don't realize that that is a RF out. And, not, and yeah. most people might think that's a, a composite it. out, so they just don't know how to test it. But there's a 98% chance any cocoa you buy is not going to have that much of a problem. I've bought dozens of cocos, and maybe two or three of them have had problems where it was just RAM-related. And RAM needed yeah. to be resoldered or replaced or something like that. I've never had a power supply problem. Him. Or mm -hmm. anything like that. So EIA. they're built really well. They last. Here, here's forever. another thing. Yeah. Um, I've had, I have five multi packs. I have had uh, three, I think, fixed so that they work with the co oh, co yeah, computer yeah, three. Yeah. But I've used the th at least the three uh, for 30 years, <clears throat> 25 years, whatever it is, without the upgrade on the Coco three, and it's never damaged it ever. Yeah. Whatever I've run on it. So. 
whether the upgrades needed or not, I don't right. know. But yeah, it I've depends on your hardware failures. mix that you have plugged into it. It was meant, the hardware <laughs> cards had some problems if you didn't have the upgrade. They'd start arguing with each other, and you'd get you know spawn sporadic <clears throat> results. But if you're just playing cartridges, it's fun. I have managed to kill a few, but I had to try really hard. <laughs> I mean, I make hardware, so I yeah. was able to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it took a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. My Coco One, my my original Coco One that I've had since new. Um, the only thing that's really failed on I've had two failures actually on that one. Um, one was a six eight four seven, and they can die in any of them. And it's an easy swap because it's a Coco One, and they're all socketed. Um, and the other failure was the RF converter, and they do tend to go in any old device. Like yeah, that. But yeah. Aside from those two problems, it's still got all the original power supply capacitors. It's still got all the original components. Everything is still, you know, aside, aside from the add-ons, like the Coco VGA and all the rest of it, the, the right. basic now, core machine is still original. And now, for me, I'm not a hardware guy. I'm not a solderer. So um, in the in the unlikely event you have a cocoa that needs a little surgery, there are a number of people in the community you can reach out to with the skills, and that's that's a great reason to come to uh, Cocoa Fest or Tandy Assembly or VCF Midwest because the people who do the repairs will be there. You can get it done in person, or a lot of these people you can like Ed Snyder. I sent him a message on Discord saying, "Hey, I'd like to get a composite mod." I don't know how to do it. If I send you my MC10, would you do it for me? And he said yes. And then I asked him about the 8K upgrade. So I actually sent just my MC10, and I packed it up, and I shipped it to Ed Snyder, and he's going to do it for me. So if you need repairs or upgrades or composite mods added, and you don't know how to do it, which I would say probably 90% of people who are in this for a hobby were not solder-type people, um, for us, 90%, there are people out there who are more than happy to help you with that, right? Jason is here. He knows how to do it. Tom C. knows how to do it. Richard Lorbieski, David Ladd knows how to do it, right? There's um, um, uh, Rick, Rick Eulin does. So there's a number of us out there with those skills who can uh, – Mark Bosley's raising his hand, right? And when you come to Coco Fest and David O'Connor, right, you've helped out uh, Brian Palmer, um, right, Bryza. So yep. uh, when you come to Coco Fest, there's going to be uh, Mark Marlette there. It's going to be Richard Lorbieski there. Jim Brain will be there, right? Um, David Ladd will be there. So there are going to be people there that can help you with that. And if not, you can just message somebody and say, hey, dude, can you do this for me? I'll give you an example. We talked about failure rate. I've got a handful. Like, actually, there's a cocoa that somebody donated to the show for us to give away, and it has a problem. And so I've got of the I've probably come through four dozen cocos since I got into this obsession, and of those four dozen cocos, maybe four of them have had some issue that's been a minor issue. But since because I don't know how to diagnose or repair these issues, I'm going to rely on someone else. So I actually bought a bunch of anti-static Ziploc bags, and I'm going to just strip down to two or three cocos I have that have issues, and I'm going to send those motherboards to Richard Lorbieski because he's already told me, yeah, I'll be happy to fix them and clean them up or recap them or whatever I need. So uh, that's going to be a little project where I'm going to send off the machines I need fixed because we, we don't know if we're going to have any in-person event this year yet, right? It's all to be determined. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime... I'm going to be shipping motherboards to Richard for repairs. So there are people who can do that. You just got to reach out and ask them, right? Um, so that's another great thing about the community. There are people with the skills that will help us do that kind of work. Um, but yeah, ideally, if you can get a composite mod, that would be great. If you know how to do it, the kits are out there. Ed Snyder's got a kit. Ed Snyder's got a... Uh, there's plenty of blogs where you can go to and see what the schematic is to build them yourself if you know how to do that, if you're the DIY kind of uh, hacker. Um, the, the things are out there. 
Um, but just I want to kind of close up on on the real hardware side of things. So we mentioned uh, the switcheroo cable. If you've got uh, if you're into playing games and you play games a lot, you want to make sure you've got real joysticks, right? So the Black Beauties and the Deluxe joysticks are nice to have. And then if you're like Nick Marotta and you don't want to be bothered on plugging and unplugging the left and right joystick from side to side because the Coco developers could never decide on a standard for player one. Yeah. Is it the left stick? <laughs> Is it the right stick? Am I coming? Am yeah. I going? Right. So uh, Jason, the Coco Man Rikerd, came up with the Joey joystick switch where you could plug it in, plug in one joystick and just flip a switch and automatically have it go back and forth. You could have a digital and an analog and flip between your controllers and flip between left and right. So the Joey joystick switch would be a nice thing to have. If you've got a Coco 3, you should consider having 512K as your standard. If you've got a Coco 1 or 2, you want to make sure you've got 64K and extended basic that lets you run everything, including you need extended basic to run the Coco SDC. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you can't plug the uh, disk basic into standard basic. Disk basic piggybacks on extended basic. And then you want some real controllers. And there are aftermarket controllers, too. So as much as it's nice to have the original Tandy sticks, there are new uh, joystick things you can get from that, right? So those are some things to think about in the realm of real hardware. And then we'll get into some luxury items on real hardware, like a composite mod. I consider that somewhat of a luxury item because you don't need it to use it. You can use it with RF out, and it's not too hard to do, but your situations and your mileage is going to vary on that. But composite mods are not expensive, and they're not terribly difficult to do if you have the skill set to do. Um, another neat option, if you've got a Coco 1 or 2, but this is a somewhat of a luxury item because it's not necessary, and it's $100, but the Coco VGA is a really mm. cool upgrade you can add to a Coco 1 or 2 that gives you clean VGA output. And VGA is a little bit more accessible today. You know, you, there's a lot more things you can plug VGA into than, than other things. So the Coco VGA is, to me, is a nice quality of life thing because um, you get a really clean output. You get emulated artifact colors. If the red and blue is wrong, you can just press a button and it switches the red and blue for you right away. It's got a lot of bonus features like more colors, more palette registers. You can get either 512 or 32,000 colors on your Coco 1. It's got a 64 column by... Uh, 32 line mode so it's really added some uh, redefinable character sets like i'm designing a game in basic that uh, looks like kaboom and i've made little bombs or actually like semi graphics but they look like bombs and stuff so um, there's some cool stuff you can do with it and it's not that hard to install right and that's about a hundred dollar upgrade for your coco um it's not necessary but it is definitely a nice thing to have, that Coco VGA. Um, if you're a power user on your Coco 3, you might want to go to 2 megs. But we have to warn you, uh, 512 is real easy to do. You clip one capacitor, you plug something into your motherboard, boom, you're at 512. You know, any monkey can do that. Um, to get to 2 megs, you need to desolder your CPU from your Coco 3 motherboard. That is something that I will never try to do myself, right? So that's something you want to have a trained professional do. If you know how to do it, then God bless you. Uh, bless your heart, as we say. But if you don't, um, have a professional do that for you because you need to be hey, in a socket. Uh, yeah. James. Yeah. Um, if your idea of I know how to desolder involves that r- little 
ribbon stuff wick. and a soldering iron, Solder wick. you do right. not know how to desolder these. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You do need a soldering gun for that socket work. But, I mean, with the, with the proper equipment, that's a pretty easy mod. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, easy is relative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can do it, Another Steve. thing, too, the, <clears throat> the upcoming Gimme X, you do not have to desolder to get up to 2 meg. Because that DAT board is built on the Gimme X board, which just plugs yeah, into the Gimme socket. Yeah, but you do have to replace one capacitor for low-profile one. Yeah, you have but that's a lot easier soldering yeah. job than and doing a 40-pin chip. still need the, the CPU desolder, which no, you no, really no, want to no, tool no, with a no, motor for that. No, you don't. You don't, you don't no. for the 2 meg. If you, if you want to go to 6, 3, and 9, obviously you do, but uh, yeah, for 2 meg, if, no, you don't. If you're doing the traditional 2 meg upgrades, you need a DAT board. The Gimme X has got DAT um, already on it for the yeah, built memory in. management. So, so it plugs into the gimme socket. It and plugs into the gimme yeah. socket. All yeah. Of that. yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah I, think I've, I've, I think I've mentioned it numerous times on the show, but because we're specifically talking about this very topic right now of desoldering, these boards are old and they're fragile and the traces are small on them and they're through hole plated. And if you get it wrong, even if you're using the right tools, you can suck those little, um, uh, what do you call them? The, the, the through the oh, barrels. There's a name. What was that? Yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, the playthrough thing, right? The vias. Yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a, the yeah, there's a, yeah, the vias, vias. That's the word for it. Yeah, you can Free you hole. can literally Free suck them plating. right out of the board with with one of those if you're doing the wrong thing. So it's it is very important to have very good um, soldering skills and plenty of practice at it if you're going to attempt to do that. Because you mm. can you can actually and easily then, damage those boards. And then you've got a Copa three like I've got that runs just fine but won't play carts because the cart thing doesn't feed through the board hmm. i was wondering about the gimme x i've it. got the gimme x held up right here and basically the the dat stuff is just a connector on that and then if you look at the bottom and i'll show it on the kind of the edge here this actually plugs into the gimme socket itself so actually once you put it on it's just literally a plug there's no soldering no nothing aside from the one capacitor mm -hmm. that uh, stevie mentioned so it's actually a fairly fairly easy upgrade to do as far as putting that in and the dat's built in so you just plug take your two meg board you take the two wires you plug it into here and that's it you got two meg Gimme X, yeah. So the Gimme X is like the Coco VGA for the Coco Three, right? And it gives you clean VGA yeah. output and extra modes, extra features, more speed, right? So the Gimme X is kind of a um, uh, Coco Three on steroids, right? So yeah, and, and also so that people know the Gimme X is in beta right now to developers like myself and Bill and a few, but a dozen others. But it's not commercially released yet until we get the kinks worked out, drivers done. Yeah. So it's coming later this year. All right, and uh, the Man Mandelio 420 is saying he's got a Coco 3 with uh, composite output. He'd like to get an RGB monitor, but I don't know if you were here before when we talked about the switcheroo cable where you could do um, RGB to SCART and then SCART to HDMI. That might be an alternative if you can't get the RGB monitor. You could use something you already have. Um, so the Gimme X is on our list of luxury items. Um, if you have a Coco 3 and you want the absolute best in Coco 3 experience, um, a luxury item that you don't need, but there are a handful of uh, providers of the digital to analog joypad adapters. So if you want to use a Sega style joypad or an Atari style joypad, a lot of these like Wyco arcade controllers and things like that. So there's a lot of cool, there's a lot more variety of really cool arcade quality uh, controllers for the other 8-bit systems. And so there's adapters that will convert those for you. 
The thing to be aware of is that certain Coco games are not well suited to strictly digital joysticks that go far left, far right with nothing in the middle. Some of the Coco games need those shades of gray between far left and far right. So your mileage will vary on what on the um, on the support of your games. But for games like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man, this your, your standard four directional style games, those things are great on a digital joystick adapter. And those aren't terribly expensive. I know um, John Linville has one that I think Neil's selling at one point in time that sold for 40 bucks. Richard Lorbieski's got some adapters that are, I think, um, a little bit less than that too. So there's different ways you can, you can uh, adapt that. That's a little bit of a luxury item, but it's kind of nice to have. Uh, something else you might want to have if you're getting into your cocoa and you're adding additional accoutrements to your cocoa is possibly the multi-pack interface that lets you add more than one cartridge. Mm-hmm. And if your name is not David Ladd, you could probably get away with uh, <laughs> you know maybe two or four slots, right? So Tandy originally made a four-slot multi-pack interface. Um, they are not as easy to find out there in the open ranges of eBay and whatnot. So a few years ago, Ed Snyder made what he called the mini MPI, which just had two slots. And it was a very cost-effective way to add a couple of doohickeys to your cocoa. And life was good. But wait, there's more. Then he said, hold my beer. I'm going to do the (laughs) Mega Mini MPI, which is now a four-slot MPI with two serial ports on steroids and a sound chip. The only thing it's missing is a real-time clock, right? So the Mega Mini MPI has got everything, all that in a bag of chips. So you can get four cartridge slots plugged into your Coco and super-fast serial ports and a really cool sound chip that is better than the Coco has ever heard in its life. Um, And so that's an option. Yep. Yamaha Stereo one. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. So you can still get the original Tandy multi-packs on eBay. They average 100 to $150 when you can find them. And if you're a purist and you want the original hardware and the original look, you can find them, but they're not as common as uh, as we would like them to be. So the Mini MPI and the Mega Mini MPI are some... Um, are some options if you need to plug more than one thing into your cocoa at, at a time. Uh, and now David O'Connor has actually found out that you could plug an MPI into an MPI and still have it work. <laughs> but he also thought they were they were hot pluggable. We don't recommend you plug things in while they're turned on. They weren't designed to do that. But he didn't he didn't blow anything up and he didn't lose his hair when he did that. Um, nope, and, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, and there there are a handful of sound solutions out there on the market. And as of right now, there hasn't been a lot of new products to support these sound options. But uh, John Linville has the Game Master cartridge, which Farfall will support. Um, Bosco, Steve Bamford's working on Cersei's Island, which will support that. I believe Karen has ported um, his Dungeons game to support that. Um, so it's not like an overnight runaway success, all these sound options as far as support. Um we don't, we're not super developer heavy here. We've got a handful of people who, who can handle this type of work, and they've got a lot of projects to deal with. So it's not like we've got hundreds of super talented assembly language programmers with nothing but time on our hand. But the support is getting there. Um, and uh, so, you, you know, there's, there's some really cool sound options that have yet to be exploited. So, um, you know, probably the most mainstream one is a speech sound pack from Tandy, right. which unfortunately they never upgraded for the Coco 3. Now, it's a fairly simple mod if you, once again, have soldering skills. Yeah. That you can yeah. actually get it to run on the Coco 3 high speed clock. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's what I think we figured out what a couple dozen games that support that. So, yeah, there was a- if you get it modified properly, then you do have some options there too. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to think about when it comes to owning a real Coco. And when you start to add this stuff up, you're looking at, you know, over time, you're going to spend some money, right, um, to do that. If you're into it, if you're that passionate about it and you want to use it and you want to get the most out of your Coco, you know, be prepared to be dropping, you know, $100 here, $100 there. And it's going to add up uh, over time. Mm, um, <laughs> so, so, so while if you're a purist and you want that tactile, tangible uh, nostalgic of having the real hardware. We've kind of given you a good list of things to think about. What if you want uh, some type of compromise? I want to enjoy all the fun of cocoing without all the hardware expense of doing that. Well, you can certainly emulate your cocoa, and there's there's a number of ways to emulate it through software, right? So, um, VCC for Windows is probably one that a lot of people are familiar with. Virtual Color Computer uh, was designed to emulate the Cocoa Three. Does a reasonably well job emulating Cocoa Three. Does a really good job emulating Cocoa One and Two. Probably 95% compatible. You know, there's a handful of quirky things that it won't do, but it's a really good all-around good emulator that's a super user-friendly. Most people that use it love it, swear by it. It's it's good enough, right? So VCC is great for Coco 3, Coco 1, Coco 2. Very user-friendly. Another great one is XROAR by Karen Anscombe, who might still be out there in the chat, 60. So XROAR is a great emulator for the Dragon 32, Dragon 64, Coco 1, Coco 2. It'll emulate PAL. It'll emulate NTSC. does really good artifact color. One of the things that I was Curtis or somebody else pointed out when I first started doing Cocoa videos with VCC, the red and blue artifact colors were not the same as the Cocoa. Like the blue was a really dark navy blue. The red was like a deep red, like stop sign red. Yeah. So and it only a, did four colors, like the yeah. actual artifacting. You can get some other colors up. And it didn't do any of the anti-aliasing of the font. So if you had like a high-res font mixed with the low-res screen, it just looked all freaking jacked up and stuff. So VCC's emulation of those red and blue artifact colors was less than desirable. And, and, and once that was pointed out, I started using XROAR and MAME and stuff, right? So XROAR is also super user-friendly. The only thing XROAR doesn't do, to my knowledge right now, is um, is Coco 3 emulation. But I, I think you mentioned today, Curtis, in the updates, it, it will emulate the 6309 CPU. Yeah, it supports multi-pack interfaces. It supports um, the Game Master cartridge. It supports a lot of stuff. It'll do floppies. It'll do cartridges. It'll do tapes. So, so XROAR is a really good, um, robust emulator that is being uh, updated by Karen regularly. And he recently added XROAR where you can even do it in a web. So you can go to the World of Dragon archive and boot up a Dragon game in the XROAR emulator from your browser. Right? So and that's being expanded to cover the color computer. Right. Now. So you don't even have to install something for that. Right. So XROAR is another one. So VCC um, was originally designed for Windows. Um, it 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 is there is a project now that's called OVCC, which is the open source VCC, which is supposed to be cross platform. As Walter Zambody is the guy working on that. Right. Yeah. Um, so that one's going to support Windows, Linux, and Mac because it was using what Microsoft's DirectX or Direct3D graphics engine. So it's being supported to use like what a SDL or some more generic cross-platform graphics uh, tool set, I believe. 
Yep. So um, that's a work in progress. I'm not sure exactly where that's at, but at some point in time, there will be a, a VCC for everyone, right? That will be, and, and he's already you, improved the 6309 emulation on that because that was one of the problems, right? That VCC Yeah, VCC not, was missing some of the instructions. Yeah. OVCC is actually, you can download it now. He's got yeah. you know, kind of beta releases of it right now for all three platforms. So, And we have a channel for that, that that's being discussed in uh, emulators on Discord, right? So there's a handful of those, which leads into some uh, some other um, Cocoa alternatives. And so somebody asked a question about the Cocoa Pie, which we which we talked about last week, right? So if you want to get up and running with every possible Cocoa and just about every possible hardware device through emulation, uh, the a Raspberry Pi... We were talking about adding $100 for the Coco SDC, $100 for this RGB adapter, $100 for memory. You know, now how much would you pay? But wait, you need another $100, right? So it, to have the real hardware, you're looking at that stuff adding up. If you get a Raspberry Pi with the case and the fan and everything in the SD card, you're still looking at under $100 to get a Raspberry Pi 4 and all the bells and whistles. And if you boot up the Coco Pi image, you can run Coco 1, Coco Coco 2, Coco 3, Dragon 32, Dragon 64, MC10, DriveWire. You can run everything the Coco does um, on a $100 Raspberry Pi, right? And it's all running through emulation, and it runs very well, and it's very user-friendly. So if you're looking for a small financial barrier to entry to have a fairly good Cocoa experience, Raspberry Pi might be an option. You don't even have to learn how to install the emulators. They're there. Right, it's all menu driven. You you just choose Coco One, Coco Two, Coco Three, Dragon MC10 from a menu. It boots up. You hit Tab for a file menu. You browse to what you want to load, and boom, you're in there. Right, so that's probably your cheapest and easiest way to get going. Because even doing Mame on your computer. There's a few things you got to figure out. How do I install it? Where do I extract it? Where do I put the ROMs? Where do I put the disk images? How do I browse to the disk images, right? So it's not, MAME is a great emulator, but it's not user-friendly, right? Yes. So um, emulation is good for those who know how to do it. And if you've been using MAME to play arcade games, this is not this is not a new rodeo for you. It's just a different machine. But if you're doing this for the first time, it can be a little daunting, right? So um, now over the years too, there have been, uh, some hardware emulated projects that are using hardware emulation, yes, right? Like um, thank you, the Coco Three FPGA from Gary Becker. That's been around forever, right? How long has he been, has that Coco Three FPGA been going on? Like eight years, something silly like yeah, that. Probably a probably long close time. To a decade now, I would yeah, say. close to a decade, right? So that is FPGA is uh, programmable hardware where you're using hardware to emulate hardware. It's not like MAME, which is software emulation. So uh, and that's actually, that's the core of the Gimme X, right? So Roger Taylor, not Roger Taylor, but um, uh, Gary, Gary Becker. Becker. Gary Becker doing that Cocoa 3 FPGA, that, that Gimme chip that he implemented in FPGA was the core for making the Gimme X, right? So where you have a consumer replacement chip for that. So that project's been around forever. That's kind of like a, we call a, I'd call it like a Cocoa Plus because it does almost everything a real Cocoa does plus more. Like he added a, 50 line 80 column by 50 line text mode for nitrous nine and stuff like that right so yeah 256 it, color yeah, modes so, got added on and, so some of those things were kind of like coco's on steroids they were kind of 
hybrid variants of what the real machine could do and then some. I know Roger Taylor, when he did the Matchbox Coco, he added additional graphics modes. He added sound chip emulations. He added a co-processor. I remember um, Bill Noble showing us some Mandelbrot thing where it was going really fast, well, fast for an 8-bit system, where it was doing that Mandelbrot stuff and playing music in the background at the same time. Right, So that Matchbox Coco was a project, and now he's got what he calls the Mr. Coco, which if you're familiar with the Mist Box, which emulates like the Atari STs and Amigas and stuff, there's a core for that where you can boot up a Coco 3 in your Mist. Right, so all you got to do is burn an SD card for that, and then boom, you can boot. If you have a Mist already, what does a Mist cost? $100, $200? It's not a lot of money, right? Does anybody know? Well, you got to get... You got to get the FPGA board. You got to get it an add-on board for the. It's. It can get expensive. It can yeah. get expensive. <laughs> Even yeah. for a miss, I thought a miss was a one-stop shop. It's just a magic box. No, well, no? it depends on what you're going to run or on the, it. Oh, the Mister it, though. The the, the Mister is the newer one, right? Right. Okay, I don't know, but I I never got into the whole emulated hardware thing because it just seemed to be that wasn't for me. And one of the things that we will say or I say is there's no wrong way to Coco. So for those guys who are doing these kind of hybrid systems, that's not a wrong way to do it, but that's not something I was ever interested in. I got interested in the Raspberry Pi because it was real easy and it was cheap, right? Cheap and easy, my two favorite words, right? So I picked my women. But um, yeah, so. Um, on the couch again, go ahead. <laughs> on the couch. Lucky woman. Um, but yeah, so the, the fact that the Coco F. The Coco 3 FPGA was out there. I'm not that much of a fan of a Coco to want to do it that way. You know, to me, that's almost like you're you're like Frankensteining building a Coco from scratch. If you're into electronics and projects, that's your thing. That's great. But that was that was not not my thing. You know, so um, it's not a bad thing. It's just everybody one, everybody does what they like, right? One thing about it, the one problem with it is I don't think he has the CPU timing exactly. You talking about Gary the Becker? Same as this. I'm talking about the, um, yeah, any of them. Okay. Uh, I don't think the CPU timing is exact on any of them. And none uh, of them have on, 609 emulation properly yet either. So. Hmm. Yeah. So, so there, the are FP, some, FP. there are some FPGA options out there. There's a handful of projects that do that. If, and um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just personally that has never appealed to me. But there are some people who will like that. They like the project side of stuff. There are people who like to, to build and, 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 and assemble. Uh, I'm lazy. So for me, that was never uh, <laughs> a consideration. Uh, but they're, but they're well, out there. Yeah. Go ahead, James. The... Um, the emulation can be more exact than the software if, you know, they've got it down right. But, mm -hmm. you know, until they fix that CPU timing, it's, it's not. Okay. So the CPU, this CPU timing issue, is that an issue with, with the software emulators or with the hardware FPGA hardware. or both? Or it's, it's the, okay. It's the, um, the hardware design is actually, it runs slightly faster than the original CPU. They have some optimizations or something in it. Okay. So, it's, it's, it's so that's, a, that's, it's, that's solely, solely FPGA based stuff that you're talking about there. Then. Yes. The it issues. takes, yeah. it just takes less clock cycles to do some things. All right. Okay. Now, do, do you so, think they'll emulate the uh, SDC? It's kind of I, pointless to do because the SDC is emulating a floppy drive. So now you're emulating something that's emulating something. Well, yeah, but don't you want to be able to do applications to use the SDC in certain ways? 
I I haven't used it, so I I know he's got some sort of floppy. They've got some sort of floppy emulation or something, but I don't, you know, don't know enough about it to tell you. I tell you okay. what would be nice. I I don't in general emulate. I, I again just because I can't imagine it doesn't mean it's not important. Although maybe in my world it's not, but. Um, <laughs> I can't not see any practical reason why you would need to emulate the SDC, but one thing that would be kind of cool is the SDC Explorer only works on things that are on the SD card. So what if I wanted to do like the SDC Explorer experience in MAME, right? And and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, ha- right. so have a virtual SD card mounted in a virtual Coco SDC and a virtual Coco, and then be able to do that, like Aaron says, that that game console experience where I can use my joystick to navigate the menus and all that kind of stuff from MAME, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The interface for gaming is better than actually running it through MAME in a lot of ways. Yeah. If you're actually yeah. booting up to the, I mean, if you're booting to a front end of MAME where you've got everything set up, it's easier, but if you're booting into the Cocoa environment, yeah. it'd be easier to boot up to the SDC. I was thinking about that myself. Yeah, it's much yeah. simpler just to go through the list that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good point. So, yeah, so that might be one good reason why. Um, yeah, this the whole ease of you getting back to ease of use. Um, there's been there's has anybody been keeping up with the chat too? Because I know some people in the chat might have had some comments or things. That I know we're kind of monopolizing this conversation here. Um, so uh, if you've been out there chatting, I do apologize because I've been trying to go over my list of things to make sure we've covered. But I know there's been a lot of flowing conversations here. And let me see if I can just back scroll here for a minute. Um, when did this kind of start? Okay, uh, Tony Ryan was mentioning that I still have my original gray case, 64K Coco. It has the HJL keyboard. Oh, we didn't forget to add that. So as far as luxury items, like the Ed Snyder uh, Coco 3, Coco Mech mechanical Coco Mech keyboard. keyboard. Yeah. Right? Again. Absolutely fantastic. You know, keyboard. I mean, everything. Get ready to bust out another $100 bill. It's <laughs> dropping them Benjamins, yep. right? So it's just like. <laughs> so, but yeah, the HJL, that was. So so another thing we'll get into is like kind of the unicorns. If you are a collector and you do want to have all the various holy grail cocoa items, maybe we'll get into that. Like what are the unicorns? What are the white whales of things to have for your for your cocoa wish list? Um, but before we get there, um, we should mention too, who are some of the vendors who if you need to buy something or get something repaired, and I'm only going to plug the ones that have websites because there are plenty of people who sell things and do things. But if you don't have an easy to list website, I don't want to sit here and say, well, send this email and use this secret handshake and, you know, do the, uh, <laughs> do the coronavirus elbow tap and, you know, turn around three times. Um, <laughs> but, um, and this is, a, this is, an, this is in mostly alphabetical order. But Boisson Technologies, Richard Larbieski of Boisson Technologies, primarily sells new upgraded things for your cocoa, but would also can do repairs. I'm not going to speak for him. I would imagine you need to coordinate and schedule and request repairs or upgrades. I know he does them at the show, but if you needed to do that uh, through the mail during the course of the year, you want to reach out to him and ask him. Uh, Cloud9 Technologies and Mark Marlette. 
uh, probably one of the longest running providers of hardware and accessories and upgrades and repairs for your color computer for well over 20 years. So Cloud9 Technologies is out there. Uh, if you need something that involves toggle switches and or cables, Jason Reichert has you covered. He's got a cable with a switch for just about anything, and if it doesn't exist, he'll probably come up with it. So go to cocoman.biz for all your cable switching accoutrement needs. Jason, anything you want to add to that? <laughs> um, spend money. <laughs> um, if you want to get the Coco VGA from Brendan Donahue, that is CocoVGA.com. Jim Brain from Retro Innovations has lots of other modern conveniences for our Cocos. He also supports uh, the, uh, the Commodore and, and TI and things like that, too. So Retro Innovations is another source you can go to. Uh, yeah, home and, of Coco Flash and, and soon to be that MIDI card. So. And, the, uh, and the Coco Mem and the Coco MIDI and stuff like that. And then, of course, Ed Snyder. Ed Snyder is kind of like the Apple computer of the Coco world. He makes things that we didn't know we needed until we seen them, and now we can't live without them. So he's made the, he's <laughs> the, uh, he's he's the one who produces the uh, Coco SDC for us. Although Darren Atkins designed that, he produces the uh, MCX128 upgrades. He's done the Mega Mini, the Mini, the uh, Coco Mech keyboard, programmable sound generators, the you name it, composite mods, S video mods, the Gimme X, you know. Um, uh, we can't wait to Does see he ever sleep. plus. Yes. So, um, and then of course, he there's may a, or may not be a Cylon. And now, uh, of course there, <laughs> there are, there are a lot of things for the dragon, but I can't speak to them intelligently cause I don't know what they are, but there's the dragon MMC, which is kind of like the Coco SDC. There's the Moo for the dragon, which I believe is like a 512 K memory with MMU, for the dragon, there are a number of things for the dragon. Word pack two plus. Word pack um, two plus. I am not as familiar with those because I I have not as of yet used my dragon and I haven't started buying those. But that's my next obsession is to get into the dragon hobby um, and start buying all those toys. So. And, and your wife's okay with this? Well, these are just going to be. Car- <laughs> I already have the dragon, so these are just cartridges. These are smaller. He's going he's gonna to be spending a lot of time yeah. on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag don't tell Stevie's wife. Couch. Yeah. He can sneak these on really surfing. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah. Watch the show, there, so. there are a number of, of add-ons for the Dragon and new ones being developed all the time. So the Dragon community is pretty, uh, pretty busy, too, with new upgrades and enhancements and quality of life improvements. I'm just not as completely aware of those, but Mark Overholz is putting down the tormod.me site. Um, so if, if you're out there in the Dragon world watching us right now and you've got some links, um, do that. Um, now, there are a number of resources you should be aware of. One of the things when I got back into the hobby and I needed to start compiling places on where do you go to get things, I set up a website called imacoconut.com. I-M-A, coconut.com. And the idea behind that site, even though I haven't maintained it in a long time, was this was meant to be your one-stop shop for all your color computer needs, where if it's out there and we know about it, we're going to post a link to it. So it's your website of websites, right? So a single good source to go to is that site. Now I'm actually researching a new plugin that's supposed to allow me putting up links to be easier. I I got this link library plugin that I haven't played with yet, but I'm hoping in the near future, I'll have that website set up to where you can just submit things to the site and then we can just approve them and put them on the site for you. But, um, I, and I would say that site's still 95% useful even today. Even though I haven't updated in a while, most of the places you need to know about are there. So like links to the... I only dra- found... 
Um, links I only to the found Dragon a couple dead links today. Okay, like um, getting to the Dragon Group on Facebook and the Dragon Archive and the MC10 groups and things like that. So most of the information is still there. There's just some things. There's some newer stuff that probably hasn't been added. Um, so that's a great site. The which that site will link you to the Facebook group for the Coco, for the MC10, for the Dragon. That will link you to the mailing list, which is another great resource. That will link you to the Color Computer Archive which is another great resource. That'll link you to L. Curtis Boyle's game site where you can get game information and the latest Nitrous 9 ease of use you can get there. Um, our Discord server is another great resource, right, where you can chat with people and leave messages and get near real-time communications with people in the hobby. Glenside Color Computer Club, you can get there from that site. So so amacoconut.com is a great place, to a great launch pad on uh, where to go to get some links for stuff. Um, and, and one of the things that in addition to all the new hardware that continuously, um, evolves and, and gets added to the cocoa, like I've been in the hobby now five years and every year something new comes out every year. There's the new next big thing that you gotta have that you can't live without. Right. It just seems to happen. Um, there's been a lot of people making <laughs> software, right? And that's been exciting for me that a 40 year old computer, I can get new games for my old machine, right? So, and quality games, right? So this is not everyone, but I tried to compile a list, but we have our, our, uh, Canadian DeBruce Moore has done a ton of projects. So, uh, the forest of doom, a great kind of RPG adventure game, um, Coco forever, a great thing His Joey and Coco series, right? So, uh, D. Bruce Moore's out there. Ken Reichard uh, with Ken Can Make It. He's got all his library of software out there. Nick Marionettes, Nick Morenti is with his Gun Star and his Pop Star and his, um, you know, all those Upcoming ones. game. Yep. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Rick Adams, new games from Rick Adams. Paul Thayer with his Timberman and his other projects. Paul Fiscarelli has been making stuff. Chet Simpson's working on stuff. Jim Gary makes a game about every five minutes. He's got a new game ported to something. <laughs> uh, Bosco, Steve Bamford's been doing stuff. Karen's been doing stuff. Uh, Pear Surratt, John Linville. Um, there's just a ton of people who have been making new software for our machines, uh, fun new games and utilities and just things to do. Um, if you're into the more hardcore stuff like operating systems, there is no shortage of operating systems like your Nitrous 9s, your Fusixes, your Yadoses, your RGB, HDB, ADOS, YDOS, UDOS, IDOS, WeDOS. There's all kinds of DOSes <laughs> for the DOS. Yeah, LDOS. Um, so tons of different operating systems. Flex. Um, there's lots of ways to develop for the cocoa, so you could use the old-fashioned EdTasm and develop on the cocoa itself. There's all kinds of cross development, across assemblers where you can write your source code on a real modern PC and then just pipe that over to an emulator or a real cocoa. So there's ways to rapid develop now, thanks to the 21st century technology that we have. There's lots of improved um, quality of life things, but if you are the Uber collector, or dare I say hoarder, and you've got more Cocos <laughs> than a single person should have, and you think you've got everything, for the guy who's got everything in his Coco collection, there's something you don't have that you want. There's those rare unicorns. There's the white whales. There's the holy grails of the Coco collectors. So why don't we go around the room, and you guys tell me what you would love to have in your Coco collection. Why don't we start with uh, Brian Weasler, a guy who's got more crap than most people need. 
<laughs> Probably, uh, I do want to get a video text machine and uh, possibly an Alice. But uh, um, probably the video text is the is the one thing I'm out there looking for right now. So, and for the benefit um, of those who don't know, why don't you tell us what the video text is? I, well, I'm not 100 percent sure exactly on its full technology, but it was basically like a terminal uh, for the. They have a video text cartridge, but the video text machine itself was like the original Silver Coco One, but it booted up right to a terminal yeah. type environment that you could connect. To, uh, to different uh, services. Right. So it's like the kind of grandfather or the father of the Coca, right? That's where the silver case was designed. That's where Motorola chips were implemented. And it didn't boot into basic yet. It booted into the VideoTex terminal program. It had a built-in 300-baud modem. And it was basically designed to be a portable terminal that you plugged into a television, right? On the Silver Coco 1, where the RAM badge is, the reason why they put the RAM badge in that spot, it was to cover the hole from where the LED was, where the video text had a little red LED there that was blinking when your modem was modeming, right? So it was kind of like a brain-dead cocoa. It just ran the terminal program, and you had to connect to uh, online systems with it, right? So if you're a collector, you, you might want to have one of those. So the, the Tandy model was silver. It pretty much looked like a cocoa. Um, that that would be nice to have, but there's an even more obscure one that's called the Ag Vision, the agricultural edition of that. Ooh. That's kind of a teal-colored cocoa, that is basically just an off-colored video text um, cocoa. So if you're a collector, the the silver video text or the teal-colored Ag Vision might be on your list of some some holy grail items, as as Brian's mentioning. Um, what else? Who else has got a wish list item? You mentioned the Alice too. So, what is the Alice for those who don't know? Uh, the the Alice was uh, um, it was red, and I believe it was a uh, European French French, based, French, French uh, yeah. version of the uh, of the of the cocoa. Yeah, MC10. Yeah, the MC10. So the original Alice was basically just a recolored MC10. It was a red version of the MC10. Um, But the Alice kind of morphed and grew into a bigger, better machine. James Diffendaff is probably a little bit more familiar with that than we are. He's an MC10 expert, right? The first Alice was uh, basically an MC10 with, um, was it SCART output? Okay. Or something. And it had, and uh, the unused ROM area was used to have a built-in assembler. Oh wow! So it was, ac- and uh, the Alice actually has um, a sound input on the expansion connector, so you could add a sound card or something externally if you wanted. It had some improvements over the MC10. The second version, the Alice 32, looks exactly like an MC10 except for the little badge on it says 32. Alice 32 or something like that. And they switched to a different graphics chip, a Thompson or something. Okay. And then the la- and then the third one they did has a real keyboard. Um, it's larger and it's uses a, the later video chip and it's a really cool looking machine if you ever get a chance at what is it an Alice 90 or something, I don't know what the, that. Hmm. But it's a kind of a wedge-shaped machine and two of the corners Opposite corners are kind of cut off looking thing, and it looks really, really cool. So, how was, popular was this in France? Because it's almost like the Jerry Lewis of um, the computer thing, right? They, the French loved it, right? They genius. tried to make it uh, like the educational uh, standard machine for okay. schools, and it kind of caught on. And then Thompson came out with their 6809 based machines. 
and and sort of replaced it. So okay. it, it it had some success, and there there's you if you look on the Thompson or, or the the archives for the related to the uh, Alice machines, you'll find some educational software and stuff for them yeah. too. That was there. Was the uh, did did the Alice kind of take the same route as like what the um, uh, the Dragon did, where they basically tried to clone, or was it? It was it was actually I believe that it was licensed, they okay. or they or they bought the design or something and <clears throat> from Tandy and then they just ran with it, imp- improved on it. Yeah, yep. they ran yep. with it. Yeah, Tandy kind of recognized that they that was basically a financial flop as far as ticket sales. Right, they didn't sell a lot. It was late to the party, and so they probably said, "Let's let's make some money somehow. Let's sell off yeah, the design." Yeah. And, well, it, yeah. it you know it was late. It was neutered, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, I do see that egg turn thing. Yeah. I always wanted one. Ever since I got this, which is the manual or the flip chart for one, but I can't find the machine. I can't even find evidence of the machine. So uh, I know how to use it, but I don't know where to get one. Right. If you I've read seen the, pictures. If you read the Coco book, which is Boise, Pete, and Bill the Judas came up with the Coco, the colorful history of Tandy's underdog machine, they talked about Project Green Thumb, which was actually the first thing that um, Tandy got involved with. I don't think it was 6809-based, but Motorola helped them navigate government contracts and bidding. That's when they formed that relationship with Motorola. So Tandy developed a another agricultural-type terminal for uh, for farmers and stuff. That was called Project Green Thumb. And so that was Tandy's first experience with creating like a predecessor to video text. Um, and they used Motorola to help them get those deals going with the government contracts. And then yeah. and from there, they made the video text and the cocoa and the rest is history, right? So um, I th- think the machine was basically the same as the video text, but maybe. But it was like a Thompson's Fairchild processor or something like that. I forgot what it was, but it was a different CPU. It wasn't a Motorola CPU. Um, but yeah, so uh, that that would definitely be cool. Now you you guys mentioned the TDP one hundred. Who wants to talk about that? Because I once I found out about that, it was one of those things. Oh, I got to have that. Love to have one of those. Uh, we have a question from Tony Ryan too, asking about the MM one. I think Curtis, you know a thing or two about those. Um, let's talk about the TDP, and then we'll get into things like the Coco fours, where your Tomcats and your MM ones and stuff. Um, who wants to take TDP? Too bad Terry Steggy's not here. Ron Delvo, you know a thing or two about the TDP, don't you? Yeah, I just have uh, have one. That's all. But um, <clears throat> um, uh, the thing I would like to have, uh, since you went first was talking about that, would be a camera to hook to my uh, DS sixty nine. That's your. Uh, that's a camera. digitizer, right? Yeah, that that would be cool to have. Um, otherwise, here's mine sitting here. Your camera seems to be like zoomed in. You got some type of optical yeah. zoom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we pixelated. Yeah. Oh, okay, there's the TDP 100. Right there. And it was sold um, outside of Tandy in um, Sears, I think, was it? Did you guys know that? RCA stores and Sears, maybe? I think I can't remember I the exact so, yeah. details. But TDP stands for Tandy Distributor Products, Your and product. it was their way of trying to sell hardware outside of Radio Shack stores. Right. All right. And it's so, basically yeah. an F board Coco One. In fact, I had the F board before the Coco One did. It came out a few months earlier. So, right. yeah, so I have a Coco VGA in this one. Yeah, I. 
Yeah, so it, Tandy, it, 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 it is... Distrib- go ahead. Sorry. sorry about that. Yeah, I was just going to say Tandy distrib- distrib- Distributed Product. I've, I've always thought it was Tandy Data Product. Yeah, I've heard it both ways. It makes more sense. Hmm. It is says it on the label, Data. Tandy Data Products. Yeah, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Um, sorry. Yeah, so it is a Coco One in a slightly different case. Uh, which is interesting because Radio Shack sold everything through Radio Shack, but they said, let's get our machines in other stores. And they're basically competing with themselves, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but because it is a, it is basically a, a, a repack Cocoa in a different case, if you're a collector, you might want to get one, right? Um, did, was that stock 64K, do you know? Does, were there variations of that, or was that just a fully loaded? I can't remember. I think they might have sold the 16K, because I do remember Spectrum Projects used to offer them upgraded to 64 in a bundle. Okay. okay. So I think they sold them both ways. Yeah. This this here was 16K at one time, and someone upgraded okay. it. Okay. Okay. And, and interestingly enough, it's kind of like this was an intermediary evolutionary step in the case design because it had the grill, like the, the ventilation vents in the back there that made their way to, to the Coco 2, right? So you kind of have those ventilation vents there. Let me hold, hold that camera right there. I'm going to spotlight your video real quick. Okay. All right, good. Yeah, so you see these ventilation vents here. A different badge, right? A square badge, a bigger badge, kind of like a bubble badge. Um, now I believe it originally shipped with a chiclet keyboard. Did yes. it not? Did you switch out? I think it only keyboard? shipped with a chiclet keyboard. The original. Yeah, it only it, shipped with a chiclet. Yeah, so it still had the silver chiclet keyboard, the gray ch- silver right. keyboard, but it's kind of like a Coco 1.5, right? It's got a more of a Coco 2-ish style case design, but still the same size as a Coco One. Um, interesting badge and what, and, and now Terry Steggy became obsessed with this. He set up a website and he's trying to find out all the products. Apparently there were a bunch of cartridges that were also relabeled with the blue labels and blue packaging. So that were Tandy data product versions of many of the game cartridges and there were joysticks and there were cables and there were more, yeah, more things for this than, than we previously were aware of that, that Terry's trying to find. So, um, that is basically still a Coco one, right? So, if you're a collector, you, you might want to get one. Yeah. Did, did you add the uh, melted keyboard to that run? No, it came that way when I got it. Okay. Yeah. That looks good. But look, the melted keyboard looks like it's designed for it. Yeah. 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 So. Oh, you got the Black Beauty with the metal stick. I want those. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Now another one that might be a holy grail for the American Coco owners, but. I had this unit. There was a white full-size 64K Coco 1 with 64K extended basic. came out in 1983, the same time the first Coco 2 came out. And it was the first production Coco from, from Tandy that had 64K extended basic standard. First with right? the melted keyboard, too. First with the melted keyboard, too. So yeah. um, I had that. That was, to that me, was- that was... That was Nirvana. That was the super souped-up Cocoa, right? It had all the RAM. It had all the basic. It had the nicer keyboard, yeah. <laughs> you know. It was like the is hot a, rock I sold mine to, is a, I don't know if you can see that, the photo of the uh, – it's the White Case Coco 2 in Australia. Yeah, the White Case Coco 2 was the 64K Coco 1 for us, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, Here's the case for one, so whoops. Oh, yeah, look at that. 
Yeah, I had I, I have one that was quite yellow. This actually just came out of the tank this afternoon. I okay. I uh, retrograded oh, wow. it. Yeah, your your badge oh, well. your badge has gotten kind of bleached too. Like there, well, no, that was unfortunately it was that way to start with. Oh, so, it was okay. Yeah, it was uh, the colors were kind of faded, but uh, yeah, this thing was uh, yellow. Wow, and uh, now it's nice and pretty. I used the uh, the uh, the peroxide and sun method there in a tank. Okay, so it looks really like really good. Neo likes yep. it. Yeah. yeah. Neo likes it a lot. <laughs> Neo really likes that one. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think I don't, I don't know if you guys want to chime in. So who wanted to take uh, Tomcats, TC9s, or MM1s? Curtis, you want to talk to that? These are sure. I, I mean, there's a few other unicorn bits too. I, okay. I'll mention Anybody as well. Anybody else unicorns? <laughs> I mean, there's some other hard, hard add-ons that are fairly rare, like the DICOM uh, Master Phaser adapter for the Sega Master Gun for their two light, light gun games for the Kogel 3. That's a fairly rare thing. Ooh. Um, that I believe Tim Linder's actually got the uh, schematic. So if somebody wants to build it and already has a laser gun from a Sega Master System, they can actually build that little interface, plug the gun into it, download the two games, and you can play them. Um Another one would be the Deluxe Coco, which, of course, was never actually sold. But, you know, there was 50,000 boards manufactured one time. The keyboards are manufactured, and Tandy did sell those separately. But there's a few of those that kind of stuck around that Boise has got pictures of the book. Uh, of course, the um, Coco 4 case that, you know, Boise found at uh, one of the original designers from Tandy with the built-in floppy drive and stuff, too. So those are kind of unicorn things, too. Uh, some of the more rare joysticks, some from Tandy, some from third parties. Um, you know, Waco trackballs are pretty rare, that kind of thing, too. So there's quite, there's quite a few third-party options that are quite rare. And then as far as the Coco 4s, I mean, the, the definition of Coco 4, I think, depended on who was talking at the time. The basic ones that were available, and this is around the 1990 era, would be the MM1, which is from Interactive Medium Systems, I believe is what IMS is the, uh, the abbreviation of it. The Tomcat, which is actually a series of boards and the K-Bus Black Plane. So I had the TC9, which is basically a one-make Coco 3 on a little dual board set that fit into a PC case with an AT keyboard and 8-bit sound, 8-bit joysticks, serial mice. Um, the TC70, which is kind of an MM1 clone, but it didn't have the palette controller, so the color wasn't as good as MM1 was. And then there was a System 4 and 5 from Delmar Corporation, which is basically a 68,000-based PC AT uh, system, which basically had the AT bus. You could literally plug AT VJ cards right into it wow. and, and run them as long as the drivers were written for it, obviously. Um, all the TC70, the MM1, and the System 4.5 were all OSK machines. So that's where, at that time in 1990, some of the Coco community was going towards the OS9 uh, <coughs> side of things exclusively. The TC9 was the one that tried to bridge the gap a bit. There was a version of BASIC done by Chris Burke of Burke & Burke that actually would run disk BASIC on the TC9. It wasn't 100% compatible because some of the hardware underneath it changed, so we'd try to remap it so the base could work. But, you know, some direct games, depending on how they worked, some would work, some would not. Um, so those are basically the three there. And then there's some other, you know, even further ranging ones like the Kix20 and Kix30 that we talked about in the news earlier uh, that weren't, that they were so far off that I wouldn't really count them as Cocoa 4s. Uh, but that would be basically what, what they would be. I mean, <clears throat> like the Dragon had a few sequels too, like the Dragon Alpha and the Dragon Professional, which were also upgraded uh, versions as well. Um, the original prototype of the Coco 3, I mean, they've got the big, huge board one that I think Mark has or maybe Zipster has for trying to scan, you know, the original pre gimme chip version of it. And then before that, there was the original when they were trying to use the uh, Motorola RMS chip 
stuff, uh, which is that other graphics thing that was up around the Amiga level of graphics that uh, Motorola unfortunately fell behind on. I think it only got used in a couple of machines years later, like the Microbox or Micro B3, I think it was. So there's a few of those too. Um, but that, that would basically cover the Coco 4s. I mean, there was the three basic ones, the TC9-70, the M1, and the uh, System 4.5. I think the M1 by far was the best seller out of the three. But if you weren't into OS 9, it, it was Right, it and that's really where bad. people like Chet Simpson and Boise and Eric Critchlow and stuff, they were developing for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a um, commercial-grade Coco spiritual successor, right? Yeah, emphasis on spiritual. It was not yeah. compatible. Yeah. Now, so and then and then so when the cocoa stopped and there was that period where everybody moved on to something else. For me, it was the Tandy One Thousand and then MS DOS based stuff. There are a lot of people who jumped ship from the cocoa <clears throat> surprisingly um, to the Amiga. A lot of people say, yeah, the Amiga was the logical step for me to go to after the cocoa because it was still Motorola sixty eight. XXX based and so on and so forth, preemptive multitasking, all these things. So there are a lot of people that evolved, if you will, from Cocos to Amiga, which I don't necessarily connect the dot, but I'm not, my brain is not on that level of the hardware and things like that. Obviously, the Amiga was a badass system for gaming and sound and everything else, but how do you guys explain the seemingly natural progression to go from Coco to Amiga? I think you kind of explained it there. I mean, one, it was a Motorola-based system. Yeah. So Motorola, you know, big ending versus little ending. You have to, like, figure out all this weird crap on Intel chips. Right. And uh, so that was one reason. Uh, OS K was available for the Mac, 68K machines, the Atari ST, and the Amiga at the time. They're a bit rare to find now. And I do know some Coco people that were into music did go to the Atari ST because of the MIDI stuff built in. Mm -hmm. And they also had the OS 9, OS K there as well. So that was another option besides the Coco 4s, like the MM1, the TC70s. You could jump straight to one of these other machines. And so the, the, the Amiga, I think, became the successor because it had the most advanced graphics out of those three, the Mac, the Atari ST, and the, uh, the Amiga itself. And some of the most advanced sound except for the MIDI stuff. And they, they had a, the, their other big claim to fame when it came out was they had a fully preemptive multitasking operating system, which is something the Coco 3 had, but the PC at the time was not, and neither was the Mac. They were both cooperative multitasking. So they weren't even as advanced as the Amiga or the Coco was, the Coco 3 in particular. So I think that was one of the reasons that it kind of became one. And, and we were also, utilities were written on the Coco to play like Amiga sound files and, and you know, you, you know show Amiga like graphics the mod, format. The mod files and stuff like that, right? Yeah, mod files, the 8SVX files. Those were huge. Uh, Those were huge. I we, had we a We could view the Atari ST yeah. tiny uh, mm -hmm. graphics options. We could view the Amiga, some of their graphics options too, though we, of course, not quite as well. Yeah. But, you know, somewhat compatible as far as that yeah. goes. So I think that was one of the reasons it was a spiritual successor. I remember and, walking uh, into a computer store one time and there was an Amiga there and it was playing like the art of noise in stereo, multi-channel. <laughs> this is before MP3s or anything. So to hear a computer sound better than your radio did with digital music and stereo. We used to play that. I was blown away by that art of noise ba -ba -ba music. And then... Yeah, so I, I remember just being so <laughs> envious of the Amiga because it was, it was expensive. Yeah, we kind of thought we kind of thought the Amiga was a spiritual successor because the basic, you know, you look at it, it it had a a better basic or whatever than like the Atari ST, and uh, the Coco was always you know the best basic of the machines up to that point. 
and it had uh, digital to analog conversion for the audio. Digital is, to analog converted sound. You got it. <laughs> digital. Digital. You know, um, and so, the, you know, and the Coco had that where everybody else had a sound chip and it's like the Atari ST. Uh, it, it has basically the descendant of the AY sound chips and, and not a DAC or anything. Okay. So, yeah, that, that was what we saw. And uh, my partner had a Amiga dealership and I developed the machine. But, you know, the, on the other hand, the, the PC had a basic that was almost identical. So you could go either way. Hmm. All right. Well... I hate to do this to you guys, but it's six o'clock my time. I smell food out there, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put a big old fat cork in this show. I know we were going to um, put a pin in it. Get into um, project <laughs> updates and acquisitions. We'll have to save those. Um, I do, I would like to play the games tonight. So if you guys want to do a live game stream after dinner, after food coma has uh, subsided. Uh, the, the game tonight is Galagon, right, Nick Marota? Yes. All right. Correct. Um, I think we have definitely covered a lot of information. So hopefully for those of you who are new to the Coco, we've given you a lot to chew on, things to think about. Um, there is, again, I'm going to say it, there's no wrong way to Coco. If you want to build an FPGA Coco, you go to town, you FPGA the hell out of that Coco, and you just Coco your ass off. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I like real hardware. I'm not a snob. I'm very lucky. I count my blessings. I started buying them when you could get them, and you could get them at a reasonable price. Um, there's always exceptions to the eBay thing too right you can especially go into your auctions at your vcf midwests and your uh, coco fests and your tandy assemblies right um you're gonna find things maybe or you on, just have uh, one walk right by you at a show that has soap powder in yeah it. or like with jason and i went to a <laughs> hamvention thing and we got some there i got a 15 dollar coco too um you're gonna find some yeah, un- unexpected deals. deals uh if you're in flea Canada, markets um, flea and... markets but um but they're getting harder to find they're getting more expensive so I've, I consider myself very fortunate. I have a few, and I've got a few spares, so if something dies, I have a backup. Um, they're still out there. They can, they're still to be had. Ed Snyder's working on a Coco 2 clone that's all real hardware. It's all the chips, so it's not even FPGA. Ed Snyder, again, we forgot to mention that, but there's an actual full Coco 2, all hardware, on a circuit board that you can just plug into, clean composite out, and run your Coco mm. 2 stuff, right? So and he's, he's planning a Coco 312 once the Gimme X is done. Yeah. So there will be more stuff the, on the, the horizon. Coco t- yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that Coco 2 one, he's also planning on, he's got a, a header thing on it where you can add a, a, um, a Coco VGA to it as well. Okay, so there you, you go. So, with the Kika J already fitted. Yeah, at some point in time, they're going to be gone. It will be like, you know, the resources or the well is dry. It's been tapped out. There is no more Cocos to be had. That day will come. And and so the fact that we have people making new hardware and new software and creative alternatives, hybrid hardware and software-based emulating things. Um, you know, I see the Coco kind of doing this V'ger thing, like from Star Trek, the motion picture, where it starts to become bigger than what it was. And there are some people that say, I'm never going to open up my case. I'm not going to break the seal and I'm going to be pure. Or some people to say, screw it, hold my beer. I'm going to 
plug some crap into this damn thing and it's going to be the super V'ger cocoa uh, to each their own, right? Uh, cocoa is in the eye of the beholder. And however you decide to cocoa, you know the community's going to accept you. And as long as you're not from Canada, you're all good with us. So, uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that makes the cocoa stand out from a lot of the other machines here is that it's it's a platform that is really friendly to software developers and hardware developers and tinkerers on both of those you know, software yeah. and hardware side. Yeah. I mean, it's the machine that I see the most homemade stuff not like there are you know commercial boards for amigas and ataris and some of the other old retro machines but i don't see people just making them up with their own at home and like oh here's a board i made guys and then you know if somebody wants wants to make it here's a schematic and go for it same with software you know writing all kinds of stuff it's very user hobbyist friendly i guess i would say yeah yeah and the and as aaron points out aaron uh and and boat from the amigos retro gaming they're they 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 know about a lot of systems and they like this system and they like this community and that's high praise coming from these guys and we appreciate that and like i say i need to isolate that clip Put that on an endless freaking loop and play it forever because that's the best six minutes of freaking you want boats time broadcasting that's what you really want. ever done. Um, Aaron was a little more level headed, but the, the comp- but Aaron had a lot of good things to say about the Coco SDC being like a game console and it works and the whole nine yards, you know. So everything you guys say. Yeah. I, I happen to agree with you. So, and I have to say, I every, never thought every, that Boat would be able to live down the Donkey King thing, but he did redeem oh, himself. Oh, he redeemed he's, himself. He's good. He redeemed he's, he's himself, good. yeah. He's, his ego is going to be huge. <laughs> I'm going to well, deal with this guy. Stop glamorizing him, for God's sake. Yeah, while he's got his new multi-million dollar career he's embarking upon, he's also getting his ego blown up. Right? Oh, so, God. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks, thanks for, for being, being here, Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, it's good to have you on thanks. here. You're, yeah. You guys are always welcome on here. Um, nice we're going to close on the, the, the hit music video that's sweeping the nation. But before we do that, speaking of hits, how about just let's just soak in a little bit of Nick Marotta here. Everybody look at this. Just you can't you can't get enough of that Nick Marotta right there. Look at that, oh, man. Boy. Just makes you hear ukulele. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to play us out on Nightmare Highway, the music video. Thank you guys for being here. I'm going to go eat some dinner, and then we'll be back later on tonight with some live Galagon streaming. Thank you all. And Coco forever, people. Got some time to kill, might play a little Zaxxon Might double back to play a little Temple of Rum Dungeons of Daggereth, color baseball But none can hold a candle to the greatest of them all Nightmare Highway Nightmare Highway Fix that, Bruce. Okay, maybe I just stick to the facts. To tell the truth, this game really ain't all that. 
to the Donkey King. Grabber and Cashman used to be my thing. Megabug, buzzard bait. Buzzer bait blows. I got that in there. You bet I did. Nightmare Highway. Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Everybody sing out a sing. If only we had a real time clock to sing tonight. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Need the power of Terry. Yeah, we should say thank you to Terry Steen. Thank you to Terry Steen for one couch's sacrifice has been all of our benefits. And we've milked the crap out of it since. Oh, yeah. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. We're pressing the button, friends.